Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 407. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix, and Span and Bix. We got an uh, interesting show this week as a bridge between two Patreon shows. But speaking of Patreon, we have a new Patreon show to talk about. Yes, and between our two uh, Patreon-picked weeks, we've got part one of two up now at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Of our look at the uh, brief history of Andrew McManus's World Wrestling All Stars promotion that ran from that is uh, correct 2001 to 2003, since it closed in May 03, or at least its last show was in May 03. So part one basically starts with McManus's first effort in wrestling, sort of, with uh, I Generation slash Superstar American Wrestling Superstars, whatever it was called, in 2000. And then we go through the end of 2001 with WWA with the first two tours in uh, Australia, New Zealand, and then in uh, the UK and Ireland. And uh, and we learned something about that 2000 tour during the show that we didn't really know, and the newsletters didn't report. Even they though they knew have. it. You know they knew. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely something... That you might you want to listen for. Exactly. Yes. yes, that comes late in the show. That some things that had been discussed in the newsletters earlier in the show uh get called into question. And and then also late in the show we have a situation where one newsletter appears to have very correct and inf- detailed information, and the other newsletters appear to not be aware of this information and making guesses based on not having the full information. Um what else? You know, we have, ha- you know, early discussion of how the change in WWF business model could affect WWA based on where they're drawing not as well and why and how that could be assigned for the future with the WWF looking to increase their international touring. Uh, we've got your Hoovy stories, of course, since he's around and it's this mm-hmm. era of Hooventude Guerrera. Um... We've got some Russo shenanigans, kinda, uh, once or twice removed, both in general and in terms of the booking, where it's Jeremy Borash and Disco Inferno as the official bookers of record, and they're, of course, Russo disciples at this time. I mean, well, I guess Disco still is, but Borash at that time was. Uh, what else do we have? We have, you know, the discussion of whether or not it was a good idea for them to run basically the same show in every city. Um... You know, looking at the areas where this was, you know, at least early on, a pretty decent success. Uh, looking at the differences between those shows and the iGeneration shows to see why WWA worked better. Anything else you want to add to that? I'm trying to think what else there is. Oh, early, uh, early uh, talk I mean, of whether or not Kevin Nash might be signing there. Nah, it's just, yeah, you know, don't give too much away. So there you go. Patreon.com slash 20 sheets, $5. Gets you access to that. And, all the other shows that we've done in our six plus years of the Patreon. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Uh, let's go to this week. As we go back 1992, May 24th through the 30th, 1992. And we start with the World Wrestling Federation. Major move happened this week at SummerSlam 92 as we moved from the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland on August 31st to Wembley Stadium in London two days earlier. The event will be broadcast for the United States on August 31st, as scheduled on a two-day tape delay. The move on the surface seems to, take, to make a lot of sense. You know, everyone forecasts U.S. wrestling probably had to sing to a new low this summer. 
On the other hand, WF wrestling has never been more popular in Europe, with England certainly the strongest country. When WF ran back-to-back shows early April in the 11,000-seat Wembley Arena, both shows sold out within days of live gates, each night exceeding $350,000. The outdoor stadium has a capacity of approximately 85000 which means that a sellout, which is expected to be the second-largest documented live crowd for pro wrestling, and probably break the all-time live gate record as well. The airing of such an event in the U.S. will show the WF as an organization with an amazing worldwide appeal, which is a positive jolt the company's image will no doubt be needing right about then. It's amazing WCW had a chance to beat WF to the punch area to make people in front of a size of a crowd that would cause people to take notice and look at the product with more respect, but instead never took advantage of the opportunity. The only downside is that unlike the Hoosier Dome and Pontiac Silver Dome, when the stadium is outdoors, and unlike in Los Angeles, it rains a whole lot in England. Days films of live events being moved to the Israel to cut down expenses of attempting to a live feed plus taking the time difference problems out of the equation. The WF is used to take the lady on pre-trivy shows. The first one's mainly aired live on the East Coast, which was taken away, although still advertised being live in the rest of the country. Second Mania, which was from three locations, aired live in the East and half of the country. But on the West Coast, only the Los Angeles matches were live, and they aired New York Chicago segments on the Delay. In addition to No Holds Barred, the match to movie, with Hogan and Buke against Zeus and Randy Savage aired about 12 days after it was taped in Nashville. And none of those instances, the fact that the shows, or parts of the shows, weren't actually live seemed to be a factor. It'll be interesting because this will be the first time hardcore fans probably get the news and results of the major review event before it airs. Although in minor events like WCW's two Japan Super Shows, both of which were advertised as being taped events, this was also the case. That probably the case as well with WCW's Clash, which takes place on June 16th, but won't air until June 22nd. And every preview show in between, then, in between, which nothing happened on the Clash, will be acknowledged. While none of the SummerSlam matches have been released for everyone in the company, Rumor has that some of the matches will include Randy Savage's Ultimate War for the WWF title, Brett Harper's Ric Flair for the Intercontinental title, and Untaker vs. Berserker. If that's the case, and seeing Hogan were to work the show, which one would think that if we need to have a shot at Disa Byray, his foe would be Papa Shango. <laughs> that would have been something. <laughs> but you got to think, if they're moving the show to Wembley, Davey's going to be involved in the main match, which takes play out of the equation with Brett. If I remember Brett's book right, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure of this. He was told if it's Landover, it's Sean in a ladder match. If it's Wembley, it's Davey. Well, let's continue because we may have conflicting reports on that. Although this is the United States, Dev's already hyping some similar TV shows there this past weekend in Europe. The European version of the shows did indicate some were for a European site, but claimed the site had yet to be determined and it contained interviews of various WF Bayface saying which city in Europe they hoped the show would be in. The show is confirmed from Wimbledon on the 29th for the 31st day in February in the US and Canada. Then else in the European showed the following match for SummerSlam would be Ric Flair and Randy Savage for the WF title, Brett versus Sean for an Continental title, LOD versus Beverly Brothers, and Ontario versus Berserker. It's not known whether this is a definite show. Or this matches that be changed at the angles have yet to be shot, air, and subsequent television shows. Since it differs from the top matches we have been given about 10 days ago. So that's interesting. And I, I, would, I would think, based on what he's told us in the past about pulling that down, stuff down off the satellite when it goes out to the UK, it's probably Roy Lucia or someone like that that's giving Dave this info about what aired on the Sky feed, right? Yeah, but they're advertising Brett and Sean. Savage and Flair. Yeah. 
I mean, LOT Beverly Brothers doesn't happen. Undertaker Berserker doesn't happen. None of these matches happen. No, none of these matches happen. Hmm. It was a smart thing to do for various reasons to do this. And uh became a memorable show once they made the right switches and everything. And it kind of makes you wonder why they didn't do this all, more often in the next two years when they have problems drawing houses. Well, the pay-per-views yeah. are still drawing fairly well for the most part. I guess, but... Right? I mean, still, I don't think I'm off base there, am I? I mean, they did okay. They did better than the rest of the promotion was doing. Well, that's damning with faint praise, too. Yeah, I mean, okay, so let's see. Well, also, I just realized, at this point, though... It's probably an optics thing with everything that's going on. You want to project success and having back-to-back stadium pay-per-views projects that even while things are going downhill. I mean, they did 6,500 in Dayton for the King of the Ring. They did an announced 23,954 in Detroit for SummerSlam. Uh, Survivor Series did 15,509 at Boston Garden. Um, and Mania, of course, Survivor Vegas. Series 92 Rumble, in Richfield did 17,500. Rumble was, Rumble was Sacramento did 16,000 the Arco Arena. Okay, so 93 is not too, is, is not too shabby. Now you get to 94. King of the Rings in Baltimore, 12,000. Rumble in Providence Rumble was 14,5. But it's with $160,000 gate, so that sounds like a lot of comps. <laughs> Summer Sandy twenty three three hundred in Chicago at United Center. I think that was a legit sellout or close San, to it. San Antonio Survivor Series ten thousand Freeman Coliseum, and of course Mania was the MSG. So that one go, that one will change. So I mean, yeah, maybe King of the Ring ninety three Survivor Series ninety four, but yeah, I mean they did well, but it's just these. The, these shows would have been more cooler, you know, if you would have done one or two pay-per-views in, in Europe. Yeah, they they probably because could of have. the vibe and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing, though, is they did make this, this all-time legendary event to British fans, and probably European fans in general. And one thing that I had not known until recently when I started doing the research, I can't find it where I have it in my Google Drive right now, but I... Never ended up making a spreadsheet. Maybe I should eventually. Trying to find UK ratings data in a broadcast magazine, because that's on ProQuest. So, for whatever reason, in the UK, SummerSlam did not air live. It aired on the same two-day delay. I don't know why. Especially since, if I remember right, they didn't do any editing for the UK version, even though they did for the US version, even though they aired the same day. But on its first showing, its premiere, so I guess primetime on Sky Sports... The following Monday, SummerSlam 92 did something like one and a half million viewers. Think about that compared to every other number you've ever heard for WWF wrestling on TV in the UK. Yeah. And I want to say that I think a replay was in the top 20 satellite shows that week, too. So that's another at least few hundred thousand viewers. And, you know, the regular TV shows at this point usually did maybe a few hundred thousand viewers. So... With all the bells and whistles, Wembley, with it being right as things are really getting super hot in Europe, 
And then, to a degree, also by not going back for a major show for so long after this, it gave it, you know, that doesn't necessarily make you money, but it did develop this lore around it. And with Bulldog being put in the main event and going over and everything that I don't know if it would have if you started hitting Europe more for big shows after this. Although I guess they wouldn't have had to be stadium shows. They would have been probably large arena shows. Yeah. All right, well, that's on Summer Stuff Only show that moved. Titans Forces World Bodybuilding Federation Championships on June 13th has been moved as well. From the 12,000-seat Long Beach Convention Center to the 2,700-seat Terrace Theater in Long Beach, which is right down the street from the original location. The reason, of course, was the threat of a series of Martians who had set their sights on the original site to magically cause green news to come out of various different body parts from the different bodybuilders. <laughs> Luckily, Titan officials mysteriously got advanced warning of the Martian raid, as they seemingly do on all raids by outside agencies. And they're going through some inhabitants of our solar system. And, and, and are going to treat the inhabitants of our solar system's fourth planet by moving the site down the street. <laughs> the week advanced reported that since 600 tickets had been told, was just a figment of the imagination of those who were taking tickets, and a new magic spell has been cast on the ticket office to forget how slowly sales have been. <laughs> wow. Uh, Dave, Dave, Dave. And for more on the uh, raid of the locker room in St. Louis a few months earlier, patreon.com slash between the sheets on the uh, Titan Gate <laughs> shows, where I think we did the week it happened on the main show. At some point, but it the coverage of it was a weeks long ordeal where it was not clear exactly what was up until I think it was a couple weeks later. But yeah, uh, like like I've said before, the WBF wasn't as bad an idea in the early nineties as it seems now. We weren't that far removed from there being semi mainstream aspects of bodybuilding. Well, but it was never going to work. I mean, there was. I mean, I mean, you got to think about the time. Right. Lee Haney had his own syndicated show, television show. Um, I know it's not bodybuilding, but ESPN in every morning during the weekdays had, you know, body shaping and Jalad and bodies in motion and shit like that. I mean, they're running those well, shows every have- fucking morning. They did have like their bodybuilding news like show and stuff too. Like they did, they did, they did. But I mean, I'm just I'm just talking about those in general. And it, it was an era where bodybuilders were some bodybuilders are kind of famous, like Lee Haney. Well, and of course, and Arnold's Arnold. And I think the last Olympia know? to air on like Wide World of Sports or anything like that was '87. So it's still fairly recent. So it's like it's the idea is less ridiculous than it sounds now. But still, at the scale Vince was trying to do it, it was never going to work. And Vince just did not have a business plan. It's very clear. Like, he's just paying these guys to sit around most of the year. He wasn't doing qualifying yeah. events or anything. He was he was not trying to have any kind of com- real competitor organization to what the Weeders had set up in terms of the IFBB and the related organizations. So what he just really had was just a dozen bodybuilders who were going to do one show a year. And, of course, my favorite part, well, which, I, 
I can't believe Meltzer never pointed this out, but I remember when Sean Ray, who did not go to WBF, told me this. I was like, oh, yeah, wait, why didn't anyone else think of that? Most of the bodybuilding magazines were published by the Weeders. There were a few that were independent. Yes. I think Flex maybe was one of them. But the the main popular ones were all Weeder magazines. So you're not going to get magazine coverage in most of the magazines that people inclined to patronize your events would be reading. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's about the time when most magazines that would have been going to press about the time all the charges against Titan Sports Flying would be hitting the newsstands. U.S. News and World Reports an issue in the stands this week as a cover story the anabolic steroid epidemic. Well, the majority of news stories on this subject seemingly don't have a clue to what the real story is. This one was the exception. Although what was built as Arnold Schwarzenegger's first public interview on the subject showed him for what he really is and talking so strongly against the drugs. This is the same Schwarzenegger who told superstar Billy Graham when he wanted to go public on the subject, did not hit the subject hard and to not mention names of users. He claimed that steroids didn't help him achieve his bodybuilding goals. Another classic bunk about personally using minimal amounts under a doctor's care. Most teenage steroid users in this country, and there are hundreds of thousands of them, know full well if it was for Arnold using truckloads of steroids, he would still be living in Austria, and nobody would have ever heard of him. Muscle Mag International thought about the WBS steroid testing program, and Lou Ferrigno, who played TV's Credible Hulk in the 70s, splitting with the organization, presumably over not wanting to submit the testing, with the sign remark that they didn't believe that that was the reason for the Ferrigno WBS split, because nobody can fail the test unless first be given approval by Vince McMahon. The case for Rigno was very Hulk-like, and that Big Lou, who's at the 326 pounds of muscle, according to MMI at the time of the split, at the age of 41, when he first joined WBF, made a big deal in the media that he was joining the group because of the strictest year-round steroid testing, despite WBF not even testing at the time, program, and then leaving as soon as any testing was implemented. Another MMI item talked about the article in GQ Magazine a few months back on steroids in high schools, and named Schwarzenegger, Hulk Hogan, and Ben Johnson, not because he's a particularly charismatic superhero, but because his 9.79100 on steroids and inability to break 10.41 without it showed those who compete in sports just how potentially viable the drugs are for gaining speed, which is so viable in so many sports. As the three individuals most influential in causing a steroid epidemic. U.S. News had named names, but said the epidemic was caused by kids who looked up to certain sports entertainment heroes that they knew were using steroids. Iron Man was only muscle man to talk about Vincent Mass problems, saying how some of the WF guys were embarrassed about the association. Another new muscle man called Muscle Media, a publication of about 7% of discussions about steroid use, broke pro and con, mainly pro, but very serious and realistic discussions about those quite knowledgeable in the field, talked about WF and te- talked about WF testing, and said it was real testing and strictness around, although they didn't go so far as say it was unbeatable, and said Titan Sports instituted it because of pressure brought on by 2020. Interesting enough, and surprisingly enough, the best covers came in wrestling magazines, particularly the two-page editorial in the current Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And two different stories in wrestling's main event, they hit the stands in two weeks, written after the Larry King, Phil, Donahue, before now can be told shit interviews, neither of which in any way try to apologize for for or whitewash any of the charges that came out during the media blitz. The PWI editorial was shocking. Now there was anything shocking said, but how sound the editorial was in many that it's almost wrestlers believe they're being rewarded for having muscles, steroid use will exist. It also didn't contradict any of the charges brought forward by labeling the accusers with a sour grace tag. 
There's a valid point many have made about the Western publications in the past that for the purpose of some magazines, the PWI family has pushed certain wrestlers that look great in photos like Lex Luger and Sid Vicious as unbeatable superstars well before they could work a lick. But when the story came out, the group also didn't know the existence of the story. The new wrestling main event had a strong editorial by editor Sandy Krebs in the August issue closing with, take a look at your, take a look for yourselves. You can see for your own eyes which wrestlers are taking steroids and breaking the law. These are the men who looked abnormally large. Men such as these should not be admired or treated as heroes, and wrestling promoters should not give them the opportunity to become stars. They are breaking the law and probably killing themselves in the process to get rich and become famous. Instead of admiring men such as these, they should be pitied. There's another story about McMahon's appearance on King and Donahue, which is exceedingly negative towards McMahon personally. Although there was one line in there about Mel Phillips that could have been taken as libelous. Dave's not certain how the rest of it does the new Sand Wrestling Magazine's cover. It didn't cover the media blitz. So this would probably be, what, the August 92 PWI since they were three months out usually? Uh, yeah. Curious if I had, doesn't, I, doesn't look like there is a scan of that online, it seems. But I do remember, though, like, from the stuff I do remember reading, they did go harder than you'd expect on the scandals in the, in the, after mags or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, and I guess you could say maybe that they did that because of the past history possibly between uh, Vince and Bill after. Yeah. I don't know. Possible. But, I mean, this is, we're in a time and place with the rest of magazines where they're Kind of, especially even pro, I mean, pro wrestling illustrated, especially, is towing that line. They still have the, you know, the worked stuff, but they're also dabbling more into the real side of pro wrestling. Yeah, because, I mean, especially in, I mean, it's, you know, they're also kind of playing around PWI specifically, is playing around with the full color format seems like there's just a lot of exploring what their place in wrestling is, especially as business is going down. So you probably want to do different things to retain readers, you know, as wrestling attendance and stuff is going down. And, you know, 93 and 94, I mean, the two most memorable real interviews in the history of the Aftermags, you know, it's all that era, the... Kevin Von Erich interview after Kerry dies and the Lawler interview after the rape charges are dropped. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's just becoming a different time. Yeah. Um, I mean, and wrestling magazines are kind of mirroring what was going on in the world itself. You know, where the decadent 80s is over with. You know, in the early '90s, we're we're going into a new, the you know Generation X era, where you're kind of questioning those old norms and the ways of doing things. It's about they're being real, you know. Yes. So. Yeah, and you know, like, and it hit the other wrestling magazines too. Although some of them were more, you know, of the type you'd think would be more likely to cover some of the stuff anyway. Like, I pulled up 
because I was able to find the July 92 Wrestling Eye has a whole story about steroids. Yeah, I'm, 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 they had me, it's, something, it's something that you couldn't dance around. No, I see. There's a photo of Mr. Flex Lavender in IWCCW with the caption "Physiques can be achieved without using artificial methods," and I'm sure certain uh, eventual YouTube commenters love that. <laughs> yeah, you know, but... about only been illegal since 1988. Giving a timeline with happened with WWF, etc. So, but then you got the you got the old Arnold thing though, and Dave calling him out hard on on what he said. The thing is that the thing is, is what can you do about this? But about actors, you know, I mean they're they're not ta- they're taking steroids for the appearance. It's yes. not to in, in, enhance themselves. It's the line yeah, about yeah, well, it and being role models to kids and all that. Well, yeah. But you know what, though? If you're in Arnold's position and your main concern is how kids will view it and stuff, I can make an arg. I think there's an argument that's saying you only ever used it under close your provision of a doctor and that it wasn't the only thing that made you what you were. I think that might make a better impression than just completely lying and saying you never took them by. The thing about Arnold that's different, though, than anything else, though, is Arnold was a competitive bodybuilder. So there is that on his side of things that's different from any other, like, say, Sylvester Stallone that, you know, would take steroids because he's not doing anything but acting. Arnold has that past of being a competitive bodybuilder, Hmm. which, you know, steroids would definitely enhance his chances of winning. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was expected. It's expect- I mean, it's a story that's going to be out there, but it is interesting though how, and we mentioned this on the Patreon show, all these, all these um, magazines and stuff like that are running the cover steroid side of things, but they're not touching the child abuse, nope, or even the sexual harassment of adults. Yes. Um, yes. Holy shit, Wrestling Eye was wild in 1992. On the same page as the Pen Pal section, which includes underage kids, we also have the ads for uh, female bodybuilder... Uh, well, let me just read what this says. Awesome, powerful, and competitive. Fulfill yourself. Meet and participate with all caps female boxers. Competitive female bodybuilders. Female martial arts bodybuilders. What? Female wrestlers and threesomes in your regional area. Please arrange your encounter. To arrange your encounter, please speak with Joel. Female bodybuilders, wrestlers, and boxers will also travel. And then you have your top, your Foxy Boxing video ads and all that too, in the same spot as the uh, pen pals. Oh, uh, no, that's some good old Foxy Boxing. All right, well. Less than television show, which has been more and more time promoting the bodybuilding pay-per-view show. Yeah, that's the bodybuilding event has been sold out live, which surprises this day since the weekend in Los Angeles, and they were doing ticket giveaways galore on local radio and publicizing the event with no mention of it being sold out. Nor has there ever been any public mention of the change in the live site. The bit about WBF setting the standard for drug-free sports competition may be the greatest example of gall ever by this organization. 
even if we are to believe that all the bodybuilders are off the drugs, which no man bodybuilding in the world, Dave's taught with, seeing that there's even a remote possibility, but we'll know for sure in two weeks. You're talking about men who presumably all were heavy drug users, most for a decade plus, with some, according to Muscle Mag International, piling up annual bills in excess of a hundred grand. And certainly most are piling up annual drug bills in excess of 30 grand in recent years, since virtually all pro bodybuilders over the past few years use the expensive growth hormone. Even if these guys have been completely clean for three months and don't use escaline before the contest, escaline is not a steroid, and Dave doesn't believe it can be tested for, but it's a European drug body, pro bodybuilders now use the day before the show because it creates an inflammation in the muscle. Thus, the muscle itself swells for about 48 hours and creates freaky signs in the small muscles like the real, real genitoids, biceps, and calves, both which are debatable. Ten years also, of Dave's being wrong. Some of it, it, it is a steroid. Okay, there you go. Ten, uh, ten years of being the most prolific drug use in any sport followed by three months of being clean doesn't set standards for anything. This is all new con to set up selling food supplements. Icopro, which the bodybuilders will endorse to make teenagers believe that's the secret for developing these physiques, when the real secret is to heavy drug use and superior genetics, and most even use supplements, and even among those who do, it isn't much of a factor in building a, a freaky physique. So... <laughs> Here's the thing with that. Uh, when I interviewed him for my Fighting Spirit article about WBF, may he rest in peace, like, Fred Hatfield told me that, because remember, IcoPro, the name, Integrated Conditioning Program, was specifically the combination of a workout plan and diet program. IcoPro was developed initially, I mean, the idea was to also turn into something they could sell, but the initial idea was... What is something we can have the bodybuilders do if we actually try to get them off steroids? Yeah. Like, there was a genuine desire to try to do that there, as ridiculous as it sounds. And even Hatfield said to me, you know, like, he found, thought it was fairly effective for what it was, but bodybuilders like the juice. They know it's great for recovery and everything. So, it is what it is. And Dave's right. But it, it's it's just this weird little sidelight to it that, like, they kind of went into it with genuine intentions, weirdly. Yeah. But, yeah, this is the beginning of the Icro, Ico Pro Heavy Push that would go on for well over a year. So, how about the fact that they're promoting this as a sellout, even though the local market is good, you know, they know that that's not the damn case. Well, I guess I, I guess on there. the LA TV they must be altering it, but maybe I don't know. But still, pretty fucking bold, like they said, the gall there. Well, they end up doing all this weird shit with saying SummerSlam sold out over the summer when it's not, too. Yeah. All right, let's go to the torch. Well, WF has refused to comment to the press on the personal lives of their employees. Many sources have reported that Randy Poffo and Elizabeth Poffo have separated and Elizabeth has filed for divorce. Well, uh, many this sources is, have reported. What does that mean? This is the torch. I know. Mix as well. I know that's more of a Dave thing, but still, it's, yeah. <laughs> this in all likelihood marks the end of Elizabeth participating in any WF angles or certainly changed direction of Savage's angle Ric Flair. Early indications are that if we continue to use the angle as is, eventually just fade Elizabeth's name off the TV over the next few months. 
All WF needs to do is have Savage explain that all the attention has caused Elizabeth to stay out of the public eye, which to a certain extent may be true. There may have been pressure on Elizabeth to go on the road and be ringside for Flair Savage matches to help add heat to the angle. Obviously, that did not take place. Well, what, okay, let me just read what he just said here. The, these two sentences back to back. There may have been pressure on Elizabeth to go on the road and be ringside for Flair Savage matches to help add heat to the angle. Obviously, that did not take place. Well, how can you speculate there may have been the pressure if it didn't take place? Well, you see, in the event that ECW is meeting with USA Network right now. <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right, Savage, who for the last two years has desired to retire from wrestling and just broadcast television, last fall returned to the ring to replace the injured Sid Justice. Elizabeth had been a major character in WF, and the Savage Liz TV relationship peaked at last year's SummerSlam when their in-ring Suedo wedding was the main event. Now, now, wasn't the story that Savage didn't want to retire from wrestling, and that's why he left WF in 94, because he wouldn't be a wrestler again, full-time wrestler? I mean, the, the idea wasn't was... When the well, stories... Things are getting mixed up here. He does the gimmick retirement, but the idea was him... He was never permanently retiring. The idea was was that he was taking time off to get off steroids so he and Liz could try to start a family. Let me read that again, Dix. Savage, for the last two years, has expressed a desire to retire from wrestling and just broadcast television. Well, you know, that, okay, so here's the thing, though. It's one thing to do that when you have a wife at home. It's the other. It's a different one when you don't. <laughs> I know, but this says retire, and it doesn't say anything about take time off. It just says retire. Yeah. In fairness, Wade is anyway, a, a child at this point. So. Well, still, I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to be doing a professional newsletter. Yes. I mean, this is past the point where uh, he would call He's up. been doing it for four years now. Yeah, and we're well past the point where he would call the torch turkey to say gobble gobble, but that that is an oddly written thing. Um, I'm trying to see but, if I can I mean, find the yes. open letter in WWF magazine that he ends up doing. But but I mean they they obviously divorce here, so there it is. Yes, and we've but. talked about the details of all that before. Um, and yes, and yes, I've watched the television recently from, you know, this era, and it does get weird with the flare, savage angle because they basically what they do is go back to what it was in Mania time and say that Liz and Flair are to, you know, Liz is calling Flair again and stuff. And they're just going back in time. I forgot about that. Really, really weird. Yeah, they retcon everything all over again. So, I forget what month magazine this is in, but here's the letter purportedly from Savage that's in WWF magazine to the fans. It is a fact that Elizabeth and I are divorced, and I would like to go on record right now to say that this is nobody's fault. It's just one of those things that didn't work out. The next thing I want to say is, Elizabeth, I know you're out there and reading this, Please remember that in my heart, I will always love you, Randy Savage. There you go. All right, uh, back to the observer. Former WF wrestler Marty Jannetty was sentenced last week on the cocaine possession charge and resisting arrest with force 
charging Sammy from the incident late in January while he on a, in a date were attending against a tap at nightclub. Janetti, 33, was fired by the after the incident and is now working independently. Janetti's case was not adjudicated, and in exchange, he accepted six months of community control, being under house arrest, which means he can leave his house to travel and go to jobs, but best for no other reason. 30 months probation. He must submit to a urine test every week for three months and bi-weekly for the following three months, and will then be subject to random testing over the next two years and 250 hours community service. This week, the judge was so hard on Janetti because he was tired of pro wrestlers like Janetti being portrayed to the public as role models and then behaving in a manner which makes those portrayals hypocritical. I tell you what, I mean, why, why this is like this is because it's in Florida where there was a lot of stuff going on in the previous months and year regarding this type of stuff. You know, the whole Florida State Athletic Commission thing, yeah. the speaking at the hearing, Ed, Ed, Ed the Bull Gantner and his mother and this, that, and the other. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of heat in Florida on, on wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But anyway. All right, uh, back to the torch. Scott Hall debuted his Razor Ramon, and that's R-A-M-O-N-E, character at the tapings last week, but the gimmick did not work out as well as projected, and his matches will not air on television. Hart, Hart. Hall turned down a guarantee with WCW in a major role for this chance to enter the major leagues, quote-unquote, although the guaranteed WCW offer was nowhere near what they had been offering in the past. And just as a reminder, there's a reason, everyone, for, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yes, uh, Bill Watts, but yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing, too. He probably scheduled that return tryout thing before Watts was back in the picture. And then he's like, fuck this, and works that WWF tryout or whatever it is the next day. Well, it's not even a, try- it's not even a tryout because he's already raised a Ramon. There's no match in the WWF yeah. in this period where he's Scott Hall. No, and the character, the, the, he was going to be a member of the Dangerous Alliance. Yes. He was going to replace Zabisco. Yes. More on that later on the show. Yes, let me just... But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to look up on Cage Match to refresh my memory on what the timeline is here, as far as what's the, the tape, the, the, tapings, the tapings the week before our week, which is like days before our show started. I know, I'm just reminding so myself when the list... Cincinnati? Cincinnati, I want to say, is where it was at. Um. So his last... <laughs> Oh, wait, is this... So wait, is this the tape date or the air date? Yeah, Cincinnati, Cincinnati on May 18th is the uh, the first Razor Ramon match. Yes, and his last WCW date was... Okay, May the 1st. Oh, so there you go. Watts is announced when? At the beginning of May? No. Uh, mid-May. Okay. So there you go. I, I mean, granted, it's in Cincinnati. He would have had to have been flown in. But maybe he heard some rumblings, although people hadn't really, it didn't seem like. But still, like, so he works. Yeah, so he hadn't really been doing anything in 92. Then he comes back to TVs on the 27th at Center Stage, on the 20th, and on the 28th at, in Birmingham, Birmingham, and then on May 1st in St. Pete, shoots for squash matches. And then, less than three weeks later, he's at WWF TV with a gimmick and everything. Yeah. That's the really interesting part, is that he's already Razor Ramon. You know? Yeah. 
So I really would love to know the timeline if he ever did a shoot interview or something that really explains this. Although I bet, you know what? I mean, Waltman might know, so that might be something to ask him. But it's such a weird thing to look at. This. But it has to be him finding out about Watts to some degree, right? Or or they're no, or not necessarily that. Or, or they don't offer saying... him a new contract as a result or a new full-time money contract. Yeah. So he's like, well, if I'm not getting a guarantee, any kind of guarantee, you might as well try WWF. They have, they want me, want, I mean, they have a gimmick for me, etc. As we'll talk about, you know, later on, Bill Watts doesn't start until June the first, right? So, is it, you know, there there is that difference there. He but has that, to, you know, he has to know though. By the beginning of May, he has to know that WWF actually has a whole gimmick idea for him, right? Uh, yeah. But he doesn't actually debut on TV. I mean, he doesn't debut in a match that's airs on TV <laughs> until the July 20th Superstars tapings. Yeah, they do a lot of vignettes. And then that doesn't air until August 22nd. Yeah, they do a lot of vignettes. Because the the, the, the taping said this was supposed to be on. You know, the fact that it stunk, and I guess... And they got apprehensive and just decided we're just going to focus on building the character up. Which paid off. They said the match. Yeah. And they tweaked the character a bit and stuff, too. Um, also, I, I'm yeah. wondering, I got to think, Wade must have heard. Because remember, the whole thing of the name Razor Ramon is Scott Hall asked Tito Santana for a suggestion for a Hispanic sounding last name. Hence, yeah. R-A-M-O-N-E. Mm-hmm. So, Wade may have heard that, or maybe that's even the spelling initially. So that's why it's where he's Ramon with an E here, whereas later, I think we're supposed to think it's his first name. Or, or Phil Ramon. Or Joey Ramon. The but that's with an E. That's what I'm saying. That's with an E. That's what I'm saying. That, that may be where it came from. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's a, a, a typo on Wade's part. I guess. Well, anyway. All right, Big Boss Man, Bethany Observer, will be off bookings for about a month, so it's Injury from Nails. Kevin Wack also turned on television this weekend. Boss Man will also tour in June for the SWS. Well, let's Does go ahead and play happen? that now. Uh, I'm not positive, but let's go ahead and play that now. That's the first clip that was queued up anyway. So let's watch the debut of Nails on the television. Yes, and for those who don't remember the... Build up to this was they had a very Black Scorpion-esque recording of Nails played into the arena after big boss band matches for a few weeks. Boss band does not work SWS. I mean, does SWS even still exist by June? Or is that we'll the have more on that later. Okay. Oh, wait, I didn't unmute. There we go. If you know who's facing well, you, it's one thing. If you don't know who they are, then naturally you have certain reasons to be concerned. Look at the size of this guy. 
looked like it knocked his teeth out. He kneed him right in the face. Again. My goodness. What goes around comes around, boss man. Now, how does it feel? Oh, wait a minute. Look at the boss man is quivering. 
to get him out of there. No one will come close to him. Somebody has to get him out. 902 That's the number. He's foaming at the mouth, kind of. I mean, I think it's supposed to be. few things here and i wonder how much of this has to do with pat patterson who a lot of people would tell you was the real booking genius of the group not being there they are having hennig hammer home the idea that boss man abused him in prison way too much like i know that is the storyline regardless that's fans yeah but i mean look if you're acting like he's even accusing Bossman of having done, you know, abused him as well when he was an inmate, like it's you're going down that road anyway because canonically, from when he was a heel, the idea of the Bossman probably was like that when he was a prison guard. But I don't think it's the right move to hammer at home. You know, like, does it justify, uh, you know, jumping the man in public and beating him with half to death with a nightstick? No. But they make, like, in the storytelling, they make nails way too sympathetic. Maybe for people like you, Bix. Well, no, what I was about to say, though, <laughs> you was... Look, you, you, look at the, you look at the world Well, no, 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 no. I was about to follow that with something else, though. Do. I was about to say, though... Yeah. Much more so in 2023 eyes than it would have been in 1992. But still, like, I think... Nobody had far, 
no, I think there's newsletter stuff in that era asking why they're doing it, going in that direction. I feel like I've seen stuff like that before. Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I think far. I'm not talking about newsletters. I'm talking about regular fans. No, no, no. I know, but still, I don't think you needed to go that far, though, in his justification. You know? Well, they just hammered home. They're they're getting that, that out there. That's the reason why he's attacking this man. I think it's better though if you that he felt he was confused. I think it's but he's better. a heel, so you're not supposed to believe it actually happened. But he, what pro- he thought was abuse wasn't abuse. But the problem is, is that his gimmick until two years ago was that he was an abusive prison guard. Well, I think it's better I mean, if you are not as. That. He's very- but I th- do you get what I'm saying though? I think they should have been more subtle with it. And maybe rely like I get it. You're pr- you're pushing towards kids. They're not necessarily gonna have been around for that, etc. But it's like I think it plays better if you're not as overt with it and are playing on the history of the character more. I mean, you do have Vince uh, saying that nothing would justify what he just did, but Vince is not going in the direction of really. And I don't think later when Nail starts cutting the promos, I don't think it's ever really in the direction of well, he's lying. I think it's a more like you can't try to get well, plot supposed- revenge like that and assault someone. In no, I think I think it's I think it's something that you're supposed to think for yourself. Which part? But it, the the fact that it's not he's not he what he thinks was abuse wasn't abuse. Again, you know, I mean, there's a, we're going way too far off on this. All right, let's get, let's get back. All right, May 29th at the Target Center, Minneapolis, your 4400. As Crush beat Kato, high energy beat Nancy was by Kana. Rip Marto beat Tito Santana was feet on the ropes. Lisa Doom over the Beverly Brothers. Axel Jim Duggan on Repo Man by disqualification. Brett over Sean and Warrior over Sean Go. After the show, Torch reported that Hawk traded the entire WF crew to state dinner after the show and uh, picked up a check estimated around $1,000. Well, that's very nice of Real Warrior Hawk to do that. All right, Denver drew 3,100 with the same results as Minneapolis on the 28th. Auburn Hills on the 30th drew 4,100 with the same results as Minneapolis, except Nasty Boys beat high energy there. Colonel Mustafa's apparently history, as is the Warlord. Well, I can pretty much guarantee why the Warlord's history. <laughs> All right, so you're going to crush. Yeah, one of his big uh, opening vignettes on TV during our week. So let's go see Crush in the scrapyard. When your name is Crush and you eat guys like the Mountie or the model for lunch, what do you have for breakfast? <laughs> Simple, a short stack. <laughs> Get it? Short stack of pancakes with a short stack of cars. Yeah. Also, one of the weirder WWF repackagings of all time. Very. Because he's clearly supposed to be the same guy, but they never acknowledge it whatsoever. No. But he is clearly supposed to be the same guy. Yeah, he is. He's Crush. Yeah. But he's been off TV for a year. <sighs> but he's still Crush, just a baby face with shiny colors and uh, blonde hair. Now, here's the thing. No paint. When he wrestles Repo Man, are we supposed to think Repo Man is Smash? <laughs> no. 
I don't think have to say that. No. Bret Hart gives a very interesting promo on television. So let's go to that, shall we? Where he has thoughts on Shawn Michaels and more. Well, they're huge friends at this point, so. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming my guest at this time, the World Wrestling Federation's Intercontinental Champion, Chris the Hitman Hart. How has nobody named a wrestling podcast my guest at this time? <laughs> don't know. We have our vantage point, but we don't have my guest at this time. vividly in Indianapolis at WrestleMania when you once again captured the World Wrestling Federation's IC title, a very hard-fought victory for you. You know, for me, Gene, WrestleMania 8. Okay, wait a second. How often did anyone say IC title on TV? Rare, but it happened. Interesting to hear it, though, because, again, it was pretty rare. I yeah. always thought of that as a fan and rest, maybe wrestler nickname, but not an on-air thing. But here you have Gene Okerlund saying, I see title. Yeah. It's probably the toughest, absolutely the toughest match that I've ever had. Everybody knows, you know, I know, and all you people know that I came about this close to get my bell rung. Did you ever? But you know something? For all the times that my father has been in my corner, I just like to say, for all the times that he's backed me up, that I just want to dedicate this belt to him. Happy 77th birthday, Dad. Get this one is for you. What a nice gesture. And of course, I've watched your career, and I'm very well aware of your your family, your mother Helen, your father Stu, one of the all-time greats. Right now, you're on cloud nine, you're riding sky high, but there is one individual here of the World Wrestling Federation who is trying to upset the apple cart, so to speak. He happens to be the number one contender for this title. You know I'm talking about Shawn Michaels. Did I say something wrong? You know, it's kind of funny, Gene, we talk about Shawn Michaels, you know. Because when I think of Shawn Michaels, sometimes he kind of... He kind of reminds me of me, you know, he, he's, you got to give Shawn Michaels a lot of credit. He's a great, great wrestler. He's got a lot of ability. He's a little unfocused, but he's got a lot of ability. He's got some really, really great moves. He's fast. You know, you just, you don't know where to start sometimes. He's got a tremendous amount of ability. But there's two real, real big differences, big differences between me and Shawn Michaels. What are those differences, Bret Hart? Well, the first one is, I don't got to pay my women to go out with me. Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> I don't believe you should have told that one. And the second big difference between me and Shawn Michaels is, Shawn Michaels, you don't have this, and you're never, ever going to get it. Confrontation when it does go down. Stay with us. We'll be back with the nasty boys. Mom's name Stu. 
I like how the camera just went right up to Brett's face when he said that line about the on the pay mom women. <laughs> and yes, his house show program is with Sean for the next couple months. Yes. Into uh, mid-July, it looks like. Early mid-July. Yes. They're doing a voodoo spot during the Warrior Shango match where Warrior cells are being touched and the reaction in every city is groaning. And in some cases, people walking out of the building in disgust, which is interesting because they put them on early in the show every night. Oh. I'm wondering, I wonder if that's just the people that's actually sending that report to Dave. You know? Check twins. <laughs> of that, or people of that ilk, maybe. I don't know. Well, Papa Shango uh, is doing his curse acts on uh, his jobber foes on television. So let's watch this one, shall we? And see the strangeness of Papa Shango. Yeah, I don't remember which. Oh, it's. A, oh, wait, no, I see which curse it is. It's one of two. Big monster of a man. Very, very impressive when he burst upon the scene here in the WWF. However, never has he been any more impressive since these alleged curses have been put on the Warrior. Well, McMahon, this is the first time I've seen him wrestle since he's cast that curse on the Ultimate Warrior. What's going to happen next? I have no idea. I mean, after last week, I just have no idea. There's no telling what to expect from this man. Look at the steam coming out of that skull. Papa Shango. Taking his time here, and it's almost like everyone else here is waiting for something to happen. I mean, is the warrior going to burst upon the scene? It's almost like they're waiting. Here he goes into this spell. of What is this? This is that same look he had in his eyes, It McMahon. is that same look. You're right. Oh, wait a minute. What's going on? Like that. What is that? He, he started to... What, what is that? There's a fire. There's a fire somewhere here in the building. There's a... Wait, no, wait a minute. His opponent's on fire. He's on fire. What is that? In the dark. He's, he's laying down. McMahon. His opponent's feet are on fire. I cannot believe my eyes. All the lights in the building have went out. He went into that, that trance. <laughs> and that, that goo, that same goo that we saw on oh, the face good. of the ultimate warrior, on the face of Brian Krieger. What, what kind of power does, does this man really possess? McMahon, I have never seen anything like this. It's still leaking out. Papa Shango striking sheer terror in the hearts of this capacity crowd as the lights went out just a moment ago. There's that look, McMahon. What is that? What is that? can we expect from Papa Shango? It just boggles the mind to think that this man has those kind of powers. You have no idea what to, what the things hey, coming man, The lights went out in the building. The next thing we see is a, is a guy's feet on fire. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm out of here, McMahon. I don't want nothing to do with this guy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Definitely different. Um, and it's very obvious that it's just the lights are out and the guy lays down and they just have someone put the burn gel on and put it, put it, set his feet on fire. But uh, Bix, lights did not go out in wrestling in this era. This is not what, you no. know, this is not Sabu. This didn't happen. Yeah. This, this is like maybe the first time that happened. Yeah. Well, know? well, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Carrie and uh, Iceman. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as like a major, and I know World Class is on TV, but a major wrestling promotion. Sure. The big two. Um, I mean, the Papa Shango stuff, it was very silly. Yes. Then and now. Yes. Um, I understand why they were trying it, but yeah, it just, it, it just, it just was a, I think if this angle happened, I think if this character happened two years earlier, mm. it may have done better. It would have done better. Yes. Well, also, it wouldn't come off like they're ripping off Global from a year earlier. Well, I guess there's that too. But I mean, I the also fact is well. Go ahead. The fact is, like I said, things are starting to change, and yes. going to this type of cartoony shit was going to turn off some fans. Well, here's the other thing, too. People need to understand. Undertaker's not a supernatural character yet at this point. No, he's not. Not in the slightest. No. And we're also coming off of a time where they've done all all these more hardcore adult angles for the past year. Yeah. So you go from where, you know, the Undertaker isn't doing magic He's locking Warrior in a casket and trying to murder him. Where you have Jake putting the Cobra on Savage and slapping Liz. And you have the Flare Savage stuff with Liz. To go from all that to this also makes it it a lot work. Yeah. It would have worked far better in a more cartoony WF. Yes. And honestly, it would have worked. Better, like, two years later. Yes. But, anyway. The goo fire, yes. Papa Shango in full force here. I mean, it's probably a lot better with this one. Something like this is better without the goo. Because, like, you can come up with alternative explanations if he's not bleeding black goo from his forehead. Yes. All right, let's go international now. As uh, it's going to be an all-encompassing international section here. So we start with Japan, land the rising sun, and all Japan pro wrestling. Where on May 25th in Miyagi, Kendo Kabashi and Shoshikuchi won the All Asian Tag Titles from the Can Am Express, Dan Crawford and Doug Furness, and the match said to be one of the greatest tag team matches ever held. Now, doesn't that set expectations at an unrealistic level? Finish at Kabashi Pen Crawford with a moonsault in 22-11. Now we got the results here for uh, 5,500 for the TV taping, which aired uh, on the 31st and drew a 3.9 rating. Saw Gordy, 
Gordy Doc and Richard Slinger beating Jumbo, Kiritawa and Yoshinagawa and Dot pinned Sharud in a big surprise at Oklahoma Stampede in 25-51. Four and a quarter stars. Masawa Kawana beat the Patriot in uh, Johnny Smith in a three-star match. Kobashi Kikuchi over the Canons win the titles. Star rating. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Tommy Rogers over Dean Malenko in a battle of new tag partners. And there's a reason for that because, well, we'll get into it. Giant Baba, Rush Kimura, and Junu Zamita over the Wild Bunch. Uh, Billy Black, Joel Deaton. Who's the third? And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> Somebody's missing. Um, and, I'll, I'll uh, go six. Jackie Fulton over Ricky Nelson. That's R-I-K-K-I. Ricky, don't lose that number. And Bobby Fulton over Satoru Sako. So, yeah, that's why Tommy Rogers and Dean Malenko are teaming up. It's because both Fultons are here together as the Fantastics. Now, let's read. Let's look at the TV review from May 31st, where Dave finally watches the match. Kabashi Kuchu will knowledge stay talks from Can-Ams. Doug Furness pressed Kikuchi over his head and dropped him over the top row to the floor. Then he went to the floor, pressed him, and dropped him on the table. The heat was incredible here, with Kabashi and Kikuchi kicking out of one sure finish after another, including Kikuchi even kicking out of the LOD finisher. Doomsday device. Finally, Kabashi the moonsault and Crawford to win the title. On Crawford to win the title. And it was one of the biggest pops for a title change that David ever seen in Japan. One of the best matches of the year, five stars. Okay, real quick, I got to do a different search because Billy Black was not on this tour. And he was the name That's I was That's right, using. Billy Black was on the next tour. Billy Black was on the next tour. So I'm going to have to use someone else who's on the show to pull the results. I'm, think, I'm thinking the Wild Bunch is Japanese guys. So I'm, I'm thinking it's uh, Fuchi, Akuma, and Egan. Were they the Wild Bunch? There was a name they had. And I think that was it. Because I just saw 92 results where the result sites are calling Black and Deaton the Wild Bunch. Okay, so this is May... Right, what? 27th? Or... May, th- May 30th. No, May 25th. It, it's uh, Aiken, Fuchi, and Akuma. Yep. Okay. But um, this match... Mm-hmm. I just rewatched this again recently. Well, we should say, though, real quick... <laughs> Since Dave doesn't actually mention the TV review, what aired on TV in 1992 was the latest eight minutes or so, right? Um, I mean, the, the copy I watched was a complete match. No, I know, but we didn't get that until uh, uh, like the mid to late 2000s, I think, when it aired on some G Plus classics and the Kabashi DVD came out. But yeah, it was clipped. It wasn't the full match. Yeah, it was like maybe. Yeah, it was like I think mainly the last eight minutes. But I bring that up because you know, Dave's saying here, you know, calling people calling it one of the greatest tag matches ever, and that's a lot to live up to. Well, the version everyone saw at the time did, and then you know, years later, we finally get what's basically the full match, and that lived up to it too. Like. That kind of thing can always be disappointing, and it wasn't. That is still to this day one of the. Gr- I mean, not even one of the greatest tag matches. It is one of the very best matches in wrestling history. And a big part of that is the crowd. Yes, because Kikuchi is they're from Miyagi. Kikuchi's hometown. Yeah. Yeah, they're in his hometown, and it was just insane heat atmosphere. <laughs> 
and I mean, just wild stuff. Um, the the kickouts like they said, just constantly kicking out, constantly kicking out. Just finisher, 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 and couldn't put them away. And then you know, Kabashi and that moonsault at the end. Um, just you know, and the, the winning the titles is just an amazing moment. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's the two lower guys on on the totem pole of the Super Generation Army now winning that All Asia Tag Title. And yeah, it, it's just it, it's fantastic stuff. And then at the end of the match, Can Am's uh, Furnace in particular puts the belt on Kabashi, sign of respect. And um, man, just fantastic, 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 fantastic. Recording this on the 21st anniversary 30 of that first. match. Well, 31st, excuse me, 31st. That's right. I wish it was 21st. It'd be, it means I'd be 10 years younger. Uh, but um, yeah, just that match may have been heard from YouTube, by the way. And I don't know why, other than like there have been some weird nip on TV takedowns in recent months and i say weird because there does not appear to be any rhyme or reason to them but you if you just search on google you'll be able to find the full match whether it's on facebook or daily motion or whatever yeah i mean it's around somewhere there's ways of finding it yeah i wanted to see so. maybe if i could play the pop at the end just so people can get an idea of the heat and then we can maybe move forward but it's I'll ask you this. You know, we know how Baba books, and Kikuchi was never going to be the one picking up that fall. But outside of that context, Kikuchi should have gotten the pin here, right? Yeah. It would make a perfect match even more perfect. Yeah, I mean, it would have been the best finish. You know, him... It would have been the best finish. But the finish you do probably... I think if you're wanting to also, I guess, you know, play lip service to that Kabashi is the more pushed member of the team. You have Kabashi give him the, give, you know, I guess Crawford the double arm DDT. And then maybe tag and Kikuchi and Kikuchi hits the diving headbutt for the pin. But that, I mean, it's a nitpick though. It's one of the very best matches that has ever happened in professional wrestling. You know? Yeah. Um, just super hot crowd, amazing performances, and one thing we need to single out too. It's, it's also, I mean, it's, it's Kabashi's first Kabashi's first title. Mm-hmm. That's another thing too. Like I said, they are the lower members of the group, the Super Generation Army, and yeah, this is the, the first title win for both these guys. And uh, I mean, it's just the perfect titles for them to have. Those all age tag titles. Yeah, they're the mid card tag belts. Um, for mid card tab belts, tab belts for young up and comers, work rate belts, you know stuff like that. Yeah, in a way, yeah. And I say work rate in terms of stylistically, it is more of a fast paced style of tag team match than you get in the main event all Japan style. And then their first defense is against fucking uh, Fuchi Nagao on July fifth, and holy shit, another awesome match. And you know, I'll play that clip in a second, but one thing I do want to say though too is. Yeah, look, this is a podcast that puts over the Can-Ams a lot whenever we talk about them. But it sucks that when they started teaming here that they were so beat up. And that 
also that they were booked as baby faces when they came to WWF because they end up getting that stupid, boring gimmick when they turn heel. And it kind of stuck with them, I think, in American fans' perception of them. Which is a shame because like, they, they were a strong heel tag team with personality in all Japan. You know? Said even aside yeah. just their work in terms of moves and pacing and everything. They were a strong heel characters in all Japan. And they just never got to show that here. And it's really unfortunate because, I mean, if, if they had a real run as a heel tag team with good opponents in the States on TV, you know, maybe even towards the end of their physical primes, I think they'd be thought about much differently by fans who are not exposed to their all Japan work. Yeah. You know, like they would be spoken about with the very best of, you know, your American teams of that era. But anyway, let's go like to the last minute of the match just so can people people can just hear how hot this crowd is. In terms of all Japan crowd reactions, I feel like this is right up there. You know, Masao over Jumbo is always going to be number one. But I feel like the number two spot would be either this or uh, Kawada beating Masao with the Tokyo Dome. I mean, yeah. I mean, this, this is one of the greatest wrestling crowd deals in, in history. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this though, <laughs> and I've been watching all this shit lately. You could, I mean, you can just point us by every major six man cork and hall for about a three to four year time span <laughs> where the crowd's just fucking insane for all Japan. I mean, some of those matches with Super Generation Army against Jumbo's Army, cork is just about to fucking explode. Um, and there's other uh, – and a lot of the other buildings, too. All in Japan, man. I mean, this era. And New Japan, too. I mean, the major matches, crowds. Holy shit. I mean, just rewatching all this stuff. 
man, just craziness. I mean, that's one thing, you know, in rewatching all this Japanese wrestling television, and I've been watching all of it, you know, and my God, the crowds, and especially, you know, 80s New Japan with the, uh, the Choshu feud, the UWF feud, and all those feuds, just the heat, the heat, and then all this stuff in all Japan here, the heat, oh my God, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, but those Japanese it's crowds, they so quiet and respectful, Chris. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> no. Yeah. They're not when they're, I mean, when they need to be, they're not. That's the thing. I mean, they are, but they aren't. You know, it, it's just, it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's a reputation that's gotten that is there for some reasons, but it's not there. It shouldn't be there. But holy shit. Yeah, this, this crowd in particular right here, man. Oh. Right. I guess the best way to put it is, like, if they are quiet during, like, the build of your match, don't take it as them being dead. But once you're peaking your match and you should be getting a reaction, if they're not reacting, it's not because they're Japanese. (laughs) Yeah. But, my goodness gracious, if you've never seen this match, do yourself a favor, go find it. And it's one of those all Japan matches. You can just watch Cole, too. You know, well, there's, yes. there's well, some, I mean, there's not, there's no story to the match beyond I mean, it's just it's, the old tag team, babyface tag team heels of the champions. It's Kikuchi's hometown. That's all you need to know. It's, a, I mean, that's all it is. You know, I mean, there's no angle with these guys. Yeah. The angle in all Japan is Super Generation Army against Jumbo's Army. That's the angle. Yes. And if you, you have your, you know, your your random deals with the foreigners at times. But I mean, the KMs don't have an angle. I mean, they're just there. Yes, just fantastic, fantastic stuff. All right, May thirtieth in Hamamatsu City Gym, and, and another TV taping. Mitsumoto versus Torosako, Ricky Nelson over Masama Noe, Johnny Smith over Yumi Zamita, Giant Baba Rushkamura over Matushi Okuma and Haruka Egan. Andre the Giant, Mighty Inoue Yoshinara Gawa over the Patriot and the Fantastics. Yes. That was a match. Well, the fantastic Fultons. Well, that's, well, I was getting Masafuchi over Tommy Rogers. Then we had Doc Gordy and Richard Slinger beating the Can-Ams and Dean Malenko. Jumbo and Tawe over Masao and Kikuchi. And then uh, Kawana Kabashi over Stan Hansen and Johnny Ace. In your main event. Hmm. Yeah. And Stan Hansen and Johnny Ace are just now forming a regular tag team at this point in time. Yes. Now, they weren't partners that long, though, were they? No. Uh, it was, Ace replaced the spot team. Yes, and then eventually he moves over to replacing Gordy with Doc. Although, well, he's not the immediate replacement. Boss Man, I guess, is the initial replacement. Booba. Big Booba Rogers, yes. So there's All Japan. New Japan. Masahiro returned national May 24th from Tokyo after missing four months with a pancreatic infection that many thought would end his career. He turns 50 in August, and Dave said 50, and I bet he's still one of the toughest shooters in the business. Oh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching his return era here. I'm in July, and he's been all these months. He's had these, these health issues. He still looks like he can beat the shit out of anybody in the ring. <laughs> I mean, he's just a tough bastard, that Masa Saito. You don't mm. want to fuck with that dude. Yeah, maybe no, he sir. 
Maybe you should have fought in pancreas, as some people call it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the king, he's the king of pancreas, I guess, because he survived that infection. Oh, yes, he ended up. May 24th, in an outdoor small stadium in Tokyo, drew a set out of 3130. It's when four cards going on in Tokyo alone on Sunday. Or FMW had a major card, Eric Kassian, which we'll talk about. All Japan Women University that shows Cork and Hall, which we'll talk about them too as we go along. Uh, Hiroshi on Tesla should go to a super strong machine, raging staff. Hiroshi Hase, Akira Nagami, and Katoro Hoshino. Jushin Thunder and Shiro Koshinaka over Norionaga and Pegasus Kid, Christian Wall. Kijimura Masiochono over Brad Armstrong and Brad Rangans. The Brads, Bix. I guess if Jeff Gaylord and Jeff Jarrett could be the Jeffs, then uh, Brad Armstrong, Brad Rangans could be the Brads. The new super team. Oh, I just watched the super team in Memphis the other day, Bix. Have you seen that? The uh, Billy Joe Travis version of the super team, where it's Gaylord and a black guy who I do not know who was under a mask wearing Superman outfits no. with capes. I was oh, talking I about the super that. team of Jeff and Jeff. I know, but this is after that. Okay. <laughs> this is Billy Joe Travis's super team, which includes Jeff Gaylord. The promo <sighs> that Jerry Lawler cut, the promo that Jerry Lawler cut in that segment, even though he's the one that's, that probably booked that. It's fantastic. It's about how dare they, how dare they desecrate the honor of Superman. <laughs> I love how you're saying probably there. Like, that's not the most obvious Jerry Lawler thing. Yes. Well, we do have uh, the Grave Digger and we do have uh, the Dragon Master and all that going on. So, it, yes, it's definitely. Well, also uh, um, the Warrior, too. Not this time. Okay. This is a different Grave Digger run. Okay. This is November 91. Yes. Um, Shinoshimoto Masita and Ricky Choshu then beat Tony Hame, Tony St. Clair, and Mansur Rambo. And Kenneth Kobayashi beat El Samurai. Huh. Mansur. Yeah, I'm guessing that's not the actual match order either. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I'll tell you, I mean, I'll tell you what I mean, it, it sounded like the actual match order, and then just for some reason, Kobayashi Samurai thrown in at the end. Uh, yeah, that that was uh, let's see, that was uh, May twenty third or was it May twenty fifth? Um, no, it wasn't. What, what day? What did I have on that mix? May. This is May twenty fourth. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the main event was Raging Staff over Nagami Hasen Hoshino. Oh, okay. So maybe it wasn't in reverse order. Okay. There's some more matches that were mentioned. Some uh, okay. over Black Cat. And then we had two young lion matches: Hiroshi Yamamoto over Koji Kanemoto, Tenzan over Kanemoto, and Satoshi Kojima over Samu Nishimura. So there was a there's pressure car. And it was at the City Center Wholesale City General Wholesale Center Special Ring in Hasyoshi, in okay. Tokyo. Sure. Yes. That, that, there's a lot of those on both promotions in this area. They have outdoor shows a lot. Hmm. Non-TV tapes, absolutely. All Japan held stores and um, held uh, matches at grocery store parking lots. <laughs> I mean that that should happen in that in the nineties. Okay. Just one tape for TV. All right, Takuki Azuka returned to action on May twenty fifth after the Potato City match with the Steiners on May seventeenth in Jacksonville, and had what was said to have been one of the great matches of the year. Teaming with Kira Nagami to upset Jushin Liger and Keiichi Muto in twenty three oh three. Unfortunately, this match wasn't taped for television. Move. 
it was tight, though. Oh, there's a yeah, Atlas video? Okay. Oh, absolutely. I've had this. I, yes. I know there's some stuff that's probably like in Google Drives or something. That's sort of, but I beg of someone, please find a way to make a compilation of like the like just cornucopia of footage area of new eras of New Japan and make like yearbooks and stuff that have everything in order. Because it's just so spread out between this, TV this and classics been, and home video and handhelds this, and other TV shows. This, and I mean, if you had if you had uh, Good Home at 92, your book is on there. No, I know, but of just the New Japan, I would love to see uh, like, uh, New Japan well, yearbooks for like 90, 90, like 90 through 96. Yeah. You know. All right, so Cork and Force uh, 2000 had uh, the main event, which was also on Valus on video. Chano, Hashimoto, and Hase over Choshu, Koshinaka, and Kobayashi. When Hashimoto and Kobayashi in 17 on one with DDT. The over Liger and Mudo. That's only two matches that made the made tape. Uh, then we have Rage's Staff, Machine Goto and Saito over Pegasus Kid, Brad Armstrong and Tony Hame. Rambo and Matsuda, Rambo and, and Masakurisu over uh, Kevin Cormier and Osamakito. Nero Nago over El Samurai, Black Cat over Tony St. Clair, and the future Tenkoji, Hiroshi Yamamoto and Satoshi Kojima over Coach Kanemoto and Osama Nishimura. Was Monsieur Rambo just their way of saying he's French-Canadian Rambo? I guess. I guess, and you know, that's their version of Crusher Bam Bam Bugalo was Monsieur Rambo. Yeah, because he was just Rambo in Germany. So that Nagami and Azuka may fuse. This had a shot match on May 30th at their six-man tag, in which they teamed with El Samurai to lose to uh, Hiroshase Kejimuto and Masuo Chono. And I just realized Super Juniors hasn't happened yet, so Samurai is not really... I mean, he's back from his excursion, but he's not really considered a push guy yet. Um, or did Super Junior happen in April that year? He's pushed. Because he's already lost the title. He, he just lost the uh, IWGP title defense against Liger. On the seventeenth, um, the top of Super Juniors already happened in April. Okay, which he, he lost in the finals of that. So Liger beats him on April thirtieth. Liger beats him on May seventeenth. And then when and does then he Samurai, win the title? Samurai beats him on the twenty sixth of June at Budokan. Just watch that awesome match. Okay. So. And yet, that's one of those things that's a credit to Liger too, because as good as. As good a worker as Samu Matsuda was, I don't think anyone other than Liger would have seen that much in him, you know? And the thing is, is that, you know, in, in this era here, two of those, at least two of those matches, he wrestles most of the match without his mask on because Liger rips the mask off. Yeah. So he's, everybody knows who it is. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, he's still going balls out, though. What a Never trust what a mask is on. What a great worker, too, that no one really talks about anymore. Oh, he was fantastic. And he's a heel in this era. Yes. So, he's not, yeah. And how about him keeping his excursion gimmick, too? That didn't happen often. No? All right, FMW, their big show on May 24th at Rocky Coliseum. Join an announced crowd of 14,380. Oh, that figure's exaggerated. Oh, what a shock. The building, which holds 12000 was full. All they had slash ticket price at the ticket window, particularly expensive tickets, in order to pat the place out because the advance wasn't strong. This is Shanina regained the World Martial Arts title, beating Leon Spinks 
in 8.36 of a no-rope cage match with an octopus hold after Anita was knocked down 11 times oh, by Sting's on. punches and Juice Heavy. Tag titles also changed hands as Grigory Virachev, the Soviet Union Judica, and Tarzan Goto beat Horace Boulder and All Elite Wrestling Sabu when Boulder was knocked out in 11.21 of a bloodbath that was said to be the best match on the show. Also, The Sheik, in his first match back since being set on fire, beat Sambo Osako in 58 seconds with a camel clutch. Megumi Kudo beat Erika Shishuya with the WWE Women's Title 1120. Dr. Looser, a wrestler from Calgary, doing <laughs> Monster Gamble, retained the FNW Heavyweight Title, knocking out Kesuchi Ueda in the Strat match. Combat Toyota then beat, uh, as Dave calls it, Terichi Kawa of the Soviet Union, when her ne- real name is Svetlana Gundarenko. <laughs> Wait, if that's Svetlana Amigo- Gundarenko, where did that come from? I have no idea. Amigo Ultra then beat Genghis Khan in a mass match. And Ricky Fuji and the, the shooter then beat Ijiasaki and Mr. Kanosuke in the opener. And Amigo Ultra, of course, is uh, Damian Seisseis. And Dr. Yes. Lutzer, of course is the debuting Lenny Sinclair as Dr. Luther, a uh, Japanese deathmatch legend, the original death dealer. Yes. So uh, basically Dave had all the results here, so I don't have to re- read these over again. But uh, Anita announced that the card, the group's four major shows for the of the year will be in June 25th, Sephora, headlined by Anita versus the Sheik in a barbar cage match. September at Yokohama Baseball Stadium and two nights in a row at Osaka Farisu Gym during November. Onita and Leon Spinks. Uh, quite the spectacle, yeah. this match, as expected. This wasn't Leon Spinks versus Jerry Lawler, that's for sure, but uh, something else. Yes, yes. Do you realize how happy it must have made Onita to beat a former Anoki opponent that actually had, like, real-world name value? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Who's really the martial arts champion? Who's really the greatest martial artist in the world? Who's actually proving that pro wrestling is strongest? Yeah. But this is this is classic FMW in this era. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what, you know, if, if they drew 12,000 or whatever, that's 12,000 fans with no television. Yes. So let's not let that go unnoticed. They still pack the place, yeah. Universal Lucha Libre ran Cork and Home the 24th, as we said, drawing 1800. As Grand Hamada beat Punish. That's uh, ghetto. <laughs> yes, uh, Punish KT. And then Ginger and Scorpio Jr. beat America and Javier Yanes. Shua Guerrero won the EWS Super Middleweight title from Robin Hood. Riku Yoshida beat Mima Shimoda in the women's match. And then Dynamic Lynn and the Lightning Kid beat Cooley. Um, Crush. Was it Cooley Crush? Cooley SC Crush? Whatever it was. They're Bulldog Punish KT and Cooley Crush SC. So Jetto, Jetto, Jotto, and Sakagaki Gentesu, aka Dick Toga. Yes. Is that the match that I tweeted the clips of a while back that aired clipped on the home video where they keep doing like all these insane balcony dives and stuff? I don't remember, but this is yeah, this is Jalen and, and uh, Waltman teaming up here in Universal. Yeah, and it was always so interesting to me. Like, I don't think they brought in anyone else that didn't have lucha experience. But credit to both of them; they did great jobs on all their Universal tours. 
Oh, yeah. Well, both are such great workers. Yes. You know, Lynn stuck around with, you know, get Michinoku Pro Tours. And I mean, they just great, great workers so they can adapt. And this is their type of style. Yes. So, yeah. Some good stuff there. All Japan women, they ran Corkin on the 24th as well, drawn 2100. As Asa Kong and Baisakamura beat uh, Kirokuro and Etsukomita to become the top contenders for the tag champs. Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada. Here the men saw Bull Nakano beat Toshio Yamada to become the All Japan representative of the upcoming CMLL War Women's Title Elimination match, which will be held with held within two weeks in Rio, Mexico. Nakano won that title as well and defend both the Triple WA title in Japan, a similar time in Mexico, and Japan. Interesting to note that Universal, SWS, New Japan, and All Japan women all ran Quark over the last four days, and the women were the only group to sell out in the automatic sellout building, which says something about too many promotions, too many shows in Tokyo, and a warning sign that it can't continue this way indefinitely. In, in fairness to the other promotions, All Japan women is the only one that considers Quark in its home base. So there is a little extra something to them running Corican that's not there with the other promotions running Corican. And it's 1992, so there's not a glut of women's promotions running. Mm, I mean... So all trans women... Well, the other two just launched, I think, JWP and... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So this isn't like the males, which we're starting to get more male promotions. Yes. So... And this is all before the indie boom really gets going anyway, that Dave's saying this. Yes. You know, yeah, the, o- the only thing that's close to an independent promotion there is Universal. Yeah. And I don't know if you can even necessarily call a promotion with, you know, uh, Shinma involvement in indie. Yeah. So, there you go with that. Uh, might as well make this full-scale international, shall we? Well, I've already said that. But, or, but I forgot you that. said that let's at the beginning. Well. So let's go to Mexico now. Uh, AAA, which is very new in their second week of existence. As those who saw God of Vision on Sunday realize this group, while they do have the prime Sunday television spot Mexico City, hasn't replaced the CMLL show that airs in the United States. U.S. shows are some concern. And Dave Slow's Festival is a good shot that switch we made in the near future. So, promoter Antonio Pena does want to promote house shows in heavy Hispanic cities, particularly Los Angeles, with Galavision being the main promotional outlet to get the wrestlers over. Well, it happens. I mean, it's just a matter of time that that happens. So, yep. I forget exactly when it starts, but it's not long. Yeah. El Indonito, Angel Matal, Matamasco 2, Submuñeco, Supinoco, Chaco Herodes, Chacho Herodes, excuse me, Superstar, Marcus Jr., Chicano Power Jr., The Kiss, Enhambre, Marabunta, Aaron Grundy, yes, Mukin Singh Norman, Mike Shaw, and Super Gallo have all jumped to this group in the last week. Loading that roster up. They ran two different house shows on Friday night, both in Veracruz and television taping. Universal dos Mil run the Mexican National Heavyweight title from Mascaro Sagrada in a strange DQ finish. Cien Caras was seconding his brother, Universal, while Superstar was seconding Sagrada. Cien Caras kept interfering, but Superstar was turning Gruda, did nothing about it. 
Pedro Aguayo then came out trying to heave things up when Sienkoff started to interfere again. Pedro gave him a low blow, and heel ref Dave calls him El Suspenders. Durantes awarded both the match and the title. And Mexico and Japan titles changed hands with the champions as qualified to count it out. And it went to Universal in a two and a half star match. Then Aguayo, Sumineko, Solar with a no contest with Sienkoff, Fishman, and Herodes. When each referee raised a hand, of Different team, two and a quarter stars. Superstar, El Hero in Colorado beat El Picudo, Heavy Mental, and uh, Brussels de Platino, three and a quarter stars match. And winners in Super Gallo over Mr. Maldad and Dr. Maldad in a two and a half star match. And I this mean, show Friday night. Oh, I was yeah. just going to say, I mean, that is what Torontes means. I know. El Suspenders. <laughs> just to say it in English just made me laugh. But anyway, uh, the I mean, show on Friday night. this is the same, you know, world where Blue Panther is not Pantera Azul, so. Well, yes, but Torontes is Torontes. Uh, yeah. The other show Friday night was headlined by Octagon defending the Mexican National Middleweight title over Fuerza Guerrero. Uh, even though Veracruz is Octagon's hometown, Mexican tradition has to the Technicos and lose their titles in their hometown. Dave Smith is also a title change. He was wrong. <laughs> As we go to the next week observer, Octagon retained the title, beating chief rival Fuerza Guerrero in 203 Falls. And Jalapa. Originally, Fuerza was going to win the title, but the finish was changed. Because they wanted to do the title change on television instead. Well, there you go. I guess that explains that. Uh, all right. Uh, results here. Marquez Jr. and Matematico 2 against Ahlamaton Esteban Perdito. And Hombre, Reptil and Marabunta against Galactico, Super Kiss and Supinoco. And Domito and La Barca against Chicano Power Jr. and Fantasma. Roca Valente, Tony Arce and Vulcano, Los Destructores. Because Angel Azteca Mysterioso and Volador, and then Octagon over Fuerza to retain the title. So, yep, Triple R starting to uh, take shape here in a big way. Lots of stuff going on, lots of top talent in, already, already in and coming in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep, good yeah. times. CMLL, which is still going on pretty strong at this point. Rosa de Plata, though, age 30, but still gross overweight, suffered his second mild heart attack on May 28. No details is the press time. Rosa de Plata won third of Los Brazos at about 5'5 five, five, and 280 pounds. Built like Buddy Rose, is one of the most popular and best workers in Mexico. His weight was around the 310 mark, almost all in the stomach at the time of his first heart attack. Alvarado, one of about 11 brothers who are wrestlers, including Rosa de Oro, Brazos, Uber Brazos, Rosa de Patino, and Robin Hood, among others was the former national champion amateur wrestler before turning pro in 1978. Yeah, think about that, folks. Young Porky was a champion amateur wrestler, which is, you know, one reason why he was in uh, deep in the 2000s, because he was, he was legit. Yes, and he, he took it seriously. Like, the shape you see him in in that match is not the shape he was in in wrestling at that time. He did he no. did go out of his way to train heavy for that match and lose weight. Yeah. Um I, I didn't realize he's only thirty at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you know, you look at those World Pro Wrestling matches that we see the Brazos in, he's only twenty two years old. The Brazos and the Fantasticos and all that stuff. Twenty two years old. <laughs> He's younger than Sting. 
he's younger than Lex Luger. <laughs> Think about that. Crazy. Negro Casas is considered by many the best worker in the entire country, Mexico, and hosts UW Midway Talks is fit to jump to this group, perhaps since this weekend. All the rumors about Casas jumping seem a weekly thing. Triple A made a big play for Casas as well. He jumps and he stays for uh, 30 years before jumping to Triple A. Yeah, stay for 30 years. Similar. It's still wild that I, it shows you. I mean, granted, it's perception of Lucha in some places, but in a year that's had a lot of big wrestling news, that really is one. It should be talked about one of the biggest stories this year. Because his brothers was there, his father was there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nephews. Mm. Yeah. Oh, now, by the way, with Dave saying there's not 11 Alvarado brothers wrestling, right? <laughs> there's a lot of Alvarados around. <laughs> I mean, I know of the six Brazos, but I don't... I, th- I feel like I've looked at the family tree on Lucha Wiki enough that I'm pretty sure there's not 11 of them. I'm going to look real know. quick. Well, anyway, you did, I'll read the, I'll read the Arena Coliseo for the 24th. Shamako Dos and Olympus went against Arias, Fayos, and Torver. Granapache is Super Kiss. I'm guessing he probably didn't work that show because he was a AAA days later. I'm going to against Escudero Rojo and Mario Prado. Lady Apache, Lola Gonzalez and Zuyema went against Carlo Maeda, Matavillobos and Patera Sereña, El Faraón and Rico Mendoza and Solomon Grande went against Egipcio, Herodes and Elusis Plus. And then that's not his streaming service. Domino Guerrero, Guerrero de Futuro and Guerrero Maya over at Acana de la Muerte, Guerrero de la Muerte and Guerrero Negro in your main event. How about Acana de la Muerte in the main event? Good for him. Okay, yeah. Uh, it is, it is, I checked. Yeah, it is, the, it, he had the, yeah, it's the six Brazos, or the maybe he had eleven kids total, mysterious. or something. Maybe Shadido Cruz. I mean, who knows? But maybe some mysterious uh, Alvarado brothers. I, I, I mean, they would be people that even Luchawiki doesn't know about. But um, you never know. But as far as the third generation, though, there are fourteen. There's a lot of them. Yes. May twenty ninth for Encarceo. Which is TV taping. So Eclipse, Guerrero Samurai 2, El Mestizo, and Hakon Negro Jr., two stars. Samurai did in the third fall what amounts to a combination of Liger Shooting Star Press and a Sign the Side Moonsault, also known as Equebrada. Huh? <laughs> America, Mano Negro, and Yoto Solitario be Espetro Jr., Ponzonia, and Espetro de Ochotumba, two straight falls, two and a half stars. Petoff, Hakimate, and Supremo. Be Filoso, Apollo Dante, and Faraon in two straight falls. Was Solitario turned Rudo doing a running attack in Dante's? Two and a half stars. Petoff, Hakimate, and some, I already just read that. Uh, best of Survival Hispanic and Parata Morgan be Atlanti, Sadandi, and Ultimate Dragon. Uh huh. In two straight falls. And second fall, Satanico and Morgan on Mass Atlanti, so allow to be pinned rather than get up and fight, which we have revealed his identity. My identity. The best of Savahis, one of the best workers in Mexico now, said it been fantastic. And you're making this a hot match. Three and a half stars. A hot match. Hot match. Yeah. Hot. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out as I hear the ice cream truck song. Um, ice cream! Thank you, Eddie Murphy. Um, Too bad we don't have ice cream working a lucha show during, uh, yeah. during this time period. 
Yeah, but uh, I am trying to figure out what move Dave is describing there, and I have no idea. A shooting star press and the side moves all together, huh? Yeah, that... As a quadrata. doesn't click, yeah. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I don't think anyone you was know. doing, like... It... I mean, I don't think anyone's doing, like, a second rope, like, shooting star press... I don't think anyone's doing a springboard shooting star press at this time. So, like, even if it was from the middle of the top rope or something. So I, I don't know what he's describing there. UWA, which does TV. May 24th, Rotorio Nakaponso connect goes a double count out with Viana Tessero in the main event of a bloody match. It's all both friends had their masks ripped up. Kokina. Fijokozuna, Buffalo Allen, bad news, and Bam Bam Bigelow, who surprisingly looks good. Surprisingly was about the best of all the foreigners here, such an Owen Hart, Chris Benoit, that Dave's seen working in Mexico. Beat those Cowboys, Silver King and Tejano, in the Viano 4 and all Rudo match. Saw uh, Black Scorpio, Negro Casas, and Gigante Warrior. Beat Fishman, the Killer, and Dr. Biden, the Jr. Headhunters and Rambo. Beat Solar, Viano 1, and Enrique Vera. Chaos and Babyface over Colosso Psychedelico. In the opener had Ninja Sasuke, the future great Sasuke, Masamichinoku, and Canadian Tiger Mike Lazansky over Momotaro, the future Monkey Magic Wakita, and the future Super Dolphin. Well, no, he's already Monkey Magic Wakita. Well, Momotaro picks this here. No, but it says Monkey Magic Wakita in parentheses because he's already Monkey Magic Wakita. You said future. Well, whatever. He's Momotaro here. And Chaos. And... uh, Chaos Jr. So UWA still has a solid talent base here at this point. The problem is, it's, it's it, they have talent, but there's not that many of them, and a lot repeats. Well, yeah. Transformer, who's now Kendo in AAA, kept his mass beating Zeus in a mass match on May 20th in Mexico City. Zeus turned out to be Andreas Soliano, who used to work as Baby Richard in CLL. Oh, okay. Los Cowboys, the King of Tejano, current tag test for this group, had changed their ring name to Los Efectivos. They kept their tag titles on May 20th in Salaya, being the Headhunters. They're going to feud with the Can-Ans when the Can-Ans return from Japan. You mean Phil Lasson and DNS Funas? Yes. And the Wrestling Union ordered a benefit show on May 29th at San Lorenzo to pay for the medical expense of El Mojicano and Dragoncino. One of them had a broken arm, the other a broken leg, but not sure which is which. They ran a show at 5 p.m. on a Friday, so all the wrestlers could work their regular Friday night bookings and use both CMLO and UWA wrestlers, with Viano's going up against Jerry Estrada, best chance of I had Rambo on top, plus the Cowboys and Captain Lee against Lobo Rubio and Ginger and Shua Guerrero. Hmm. Now, the UWA guys, they had their booking that night at Arena Neza for TV. We have Dragon Shino Dos beating Ed Muir, Moctezuma and Solar. We're going to get Scorpio and Scorpio Jr. Silver King and Tejano beat El Ingenio Negracasas. Vianos 4 and 5 over Dr. Wagner Jr. and Espanto Jr. In the main event, Enrique Vera, Granamano, Viano Tercero over Bam Bam Bigelow, Black Scorpio, and The Killer. Hmm. Yes, the union, the, the Lucha Union would hold benefit shows for injured wrestlers to help pay for their bills. Yeah. What a novel concept. So there is that. Let's go to Puerto Rico. Double <clears throat> C, May 24th of San Herman. So Adonis of the Heartbreakers, meaning Salvadoreño. Fidel Sierra over Lale. 
giant warrior over uh, Dick Murdoch. And Adonis, by the way, Harper Adonis is um, Frankie Lancaster. And the giant, oh, excuse me, the giant is the Canadian giant picks. Sorry about Ooh. that. Not giant warrior. He's in Mexico. Yeah, Canadian giant beat Dick Murdoch by DQ. Okay. Carlos Colon with the. Carlos Colon with the double cut out with Abdul the Butcher. The match had never got in the ring, and they brought over the building, the concession stands. Bronco number one over uh, Muhammad Hussein, or is here Abdullah Hussein, Lou Fabiano by DQ. And then we have Ron Starr and Butch Masters, excuse me, Doug Masters. I think I had got the worm on my over um, King Rex King and uh, El Casado and Invader number one over with double count excuse me, with. Um, it's, it Alvarez. just says Perez, but okay. Oh wait, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way Dave writes it was oh, confusing. Perez Jr. Sorry, yes, it just says Perez. I had to think about my Perez's here. Well, and there's no comma, so it's it, it was making too many gears turn in your head at the same time. <laughs> I think. Yes. All right, uh, Ross Starr and Dub Masters are back as tag champions. The Bells heard about their match with uh, Ricky Santana and Ritz King, and the match was set for May 24th. However, Santana no showed the mask, so the heels just wore the belts back. All right, Memorial Day, spectacular in Bayamon, May 25th. So Adonis over uh, Salvatoreño, La Tigresa beat Sasha in a lumberjack match to keep those in women's title. When Dick Murdoch gave Sasha a body slam. Fedosier over Lale, Canadian giant over Dick Murdoch by DQ. Colón with the WDQ with Abdul the Universal title. Bronco number one over Hussein by DQ. And Star Masters beat uh, Risking and Kosari to keep the t- tag titles. And Invader one over Miguel Perez Jr. And then Caguas on the 30th saw Adonis over Rock and Rebel. Yes, that Rock and Rebel. Risking over Fidel Sierra. PNUs and the Canadian Giant beat Dick Murdoch and Abdul Hussein, Bix. When PNUs pinned Dick Murdoch. Sure. Oh my God. Bronco number one beat Invader number one by DQ. Carlos beat Abdul in the cage match. Rockstar and Dumb Master Chain Tag Tales being Lale and Salvadoreño. And the Canadian Giant won a 30 man battle royal. And this is a time period where they have competition from AWF. We just don't have any AWF results. So, amazing. Yes. They're still doing strong business at that time. Even with competition, yeah. All right. It is halftime. So after some great 1992 commercial pivot to halftime, where we'll talk about a Patreon show, we'll uh, hit all our plugs, streaming services, and the like, and then we'll come back as we have news on uh, John McAdams UCW, Tetsumi Fujinami appearing in a sports bar in Philadelphia, and um, Memphis and Dallas. Yes, used to be in global, quote unquote, having a feud. All that and more after the break. More head tonight on News 4 at 11 o'clock. She heard the evidence and now she's talking. An ex-juror in the Carolyn Warmus trial speaks her mind. Bullets in a Chicago hotel cut down a staff member for the band Boys to Men. And it's a new era on The Tonight Show. We'll be live in Burbank to preview the age of Leno. And back in the Weather Center, it's always the age of Roker. Oh, thanks a lot, Don. In fact, I'll have that interview with Jay Leno where he talks about Arsenio Hall's comments. And we'll have your forecast. Can it get a little bit more summer-like? We'll have the details when News 4 at 11 continues. I'm Stephanie LaMotta, and I have multiple sclerosis. 
a chronic disorder which can short-circuit the central nervous system. When I was little, I was terribly shy and timid, but my dad Jake would encourage me and tell me to keep punching and that I'd be a winner like him someday. When MS left me blind and paralyzed at 21, I kept repeating those words and refused to stay down for the count. Now I'm in remission and hitting as hard as my dad while teaching others to use boxing strategies to stay fit. My future is uncertain, but my determination to be a winner is not. Whether standing or sitting, I'll pursue my career as an actress and my life as a loving wife. Each week, some 200 adults learn they have MS. As yet, there is no cure, no way to prevent it, but there is hope through research and services funded by the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. For information, call your local MS chapter or 1-800-624-8236. Still ahead tonight, get ready to sneeze. A heavy-duty allergy season is here. Also, Jay Leno kicks off the brand-new Tonight Show. In just a few minutes, we'll have a live report from Burbank. And Sal has a wild one at the stadium. That's right, Don. A holiday, a Monday, and lots of sports. And we're ready to rumble. Yankees and Brewers slug it out at the stadium. Meanwhile, the Bulls and the Cavs do some banging, too. Opening day at the French Open Tennis Championships. All of that and much more if you keep it where it is. Come to Meineke's Discount Muffler Sale now through June 30th from as low as $16.88 to $27.95 installed. Fits many small domestic cars. Additional parts and services are often needed at extra cost. Available at participating locations only. At Meineke, you're not going to pay a lot for a muffler. If you haven't been to WFO lately, now's the time. Every location is packed to the walls with a gorgeous selection of wall units, bookcases in all sizes, and beautiful entertainment centers. We have the largest selection in the tri-state area and our lowest price everyday guarantee. WFO, we make the most of your walls. Come to Meineke's Discount Muffler Sale now through June 30th from as low as $16.88 to $27.95 installed. Fits many small domestic cars. Additional parts and services are often needed at extra cost. Available at participating locations only. At Meineke, you're not going to pay a lot for a muffler. These are the greatest movie themes of all time. It's Richard Claterman remembering the movies. An exciting new collection of music from Quality Records. Glorious music from today's most popular films. And from Hollywood's golden era. And it's only available in this special TV offer. Call now to order. Have your credit card ready and call 1-800-342-6200 or send $14.95 for cassettes, $17.95 for CD, plus $3 shipping and handling to Richard Claterman, P.O. Box 2001-BC, Murray Hill Station, New York, New York. Or call 1-800-342-6200. And coming up as we continue tonight, more violence in the Middle East as Israel's jets strike in Lebanon. And Sal has the Mets back at Shea after a long road trip. Stay with us. Hope you enjoyed those great 1992 commercials. And if you haven't had time, send me a show. But we're talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And we do have the new Patreon show up. Looking at the first 
year, I guess, basically, of uh, Andrew Manis' WWA. And first based calendar out of year. Australia. Yeah. Yeah, it starts in 2000. And of course, we did a big plug at the beginning of the show, so you heard that already. But uh, yeah, so we go to the iGeneration stuff, where we find out as we go along that Andrew Manis did not own that. He was just the promoter. And, uh, and all kind of other stuff we find out as well. So you definitely want to listen to the show to uh, get the uh, lowdown on Andrew Mass's IWA. IWA. Yes, IWA is WA is a lot of them. And um, you'll hear us talk about that first pay-per-view from Australia. And God almighty, what a horrific show that was. We did a show on the regular show a long time ago, Wiltricity. But man, he's going back and looking at it again. It's a horrible, horrible show. So we'll talk about that and everything they had uh, in their plans for 2002, which we'll, of course, do that on the next show. So definitely want to check this out. Two part series, part one. Very good show. Very fun show. Lots of different stuff talked about and uh, a lot of Vince Russo type stuff on the show as well. So everybody check that out. Patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Five dollars a month. Get you access to that and all the other audio that we have done in our almost uh, seven complete years of the Patreon. Wow. <laughs> Hard to believe. But yeah, so everybody go, uh, get on there. Five dollars. So just an insane bargain for all that audio. Dollar month gets you access to the Discord fast next segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 on your figure show for the week. Now, if you want to do this, make sure you have a couple shows in mind just in case the original show that you want could be something that somebody else has on the calendar as a selection, or it could be something that we've talked about in a previous show that you may have forgotten about. Uh, if you have any questions, get with me and Bix, let us know. Let us know also why you want to do the show so we make sure everything matches up date wise. And uh, follow Pro on the Patreon website, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline, 30 day rules in effect, 10 year rules in effect. And you follow that stuff, and we should be able to get your show on the air. So uh, do that. $25, and you get a show. As we'll have one next week, which we'll talk about in just a second. $50, I should say, on the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. You don't have to, but it's there. And don't forget all the uh, annual fees. Tim, uh, 16% mix of uh, each yes. each thing. So at the right... Yeah, so at the regular $5 tier, that gets you to fifty forty a year with the 16% off. So do all that, and you should be good to go. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, Big Swift, this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we got a few this week. We'd like to thank Adam and Yuri. Thank you, Adam. We'd also like to thank DM, who I'm guessing is not from San Jose. This my DM could be anybody. So, but thanks, DM. Then we have all caps S lethal. Thanks, S lethal. And then finally, with an annual pledge, we would like to thank someone who we've elected to refer to as Mister Wrestling Three. Thank you, Mister Wrestling Three. Yes. For your annual pledge at Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets, as well as all of his other uh, continued support of this show. Yes, yes. Which, uh, is much greater than Man. I think anyone would ever believe. <laughs> Mr. Re- hey, anybody that's the son of Mr. Wrestling 2 and the grandson of Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods. I don't think that's how that hey, works, okay. Chris. 
Well, in my mind, it does. I mean, hey, who knew Dusty Wolf loved this podcast so much? <laughs> well, he's the son of Mr. Wrestling 3. I hope Mr. Wrestling 3 knows that. <laughs> no, I said, no, he's the other Mr. Wrestling. He is a Mr. Wrestling 3, I should say. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. See? Yeah, well, I mean, then, of course, who else well, would then, we be talking well, then about? This, right? well, well, then this person could be Mr. Wrestling 4 then, Bex, if we think about it. I'm so confused right now. Well, imagine the confusion people have in results when Mr. Wrestling 2 decided in 84 that he wanted to work as Mr. Wrestling. Remember that? Yeah. And uh, he put his protégés as Mr. Wrestling 2. Yes. Hercules in Mid-South and in uh, Continental. Okay, well, Continental, yeah, but Southeastern. Pat Rose was working on Mr. Wrestling 2. So, yeah, that, that it could get confused. Yes, there's a reason all Mr. your results always refer to Johnny Walker as Mr. Wrestling 2 when he's under the mask. Yes, and the other ones are Mr. Wrestling 3. Yeah. So, really, Hercules and Pat Rose were the original Mr. Wrestling 3s. So, there's that. I'm so but anyway, enough right about it. Yes. Well, maybe it's a good thing we're making this deliberately confusing. I don't know. But anyway, so we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons have been there from the beginning, left, come back. We thank all of you uh, for your support at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, it's uh, time to talk about our streaming service, buddy. So, Bix, what's going on in the world of uh, Fight TV and IWTV this week? I mean, IWTV, I'm going to be honest, in terms of live streams that are scheduled, I mean, no one that I'm really familiar with is on any of these cards, and they're not promotions I really follow. Yeah, they, they were with a lot of different promotions. Yes, but it's not like there's anything I it's can not, really talk some, about here. Yeah. Some have more, you know, cash aid than others. Yeah, and there was not Just much... I mean, you're, it doesn't. Uh, it hasn't penetrated your universe. No, and there wasn't much added to VOD this week, at least from what I saw. So I, I, we're not going to really talk about anything in detail with our uh, friends at IWTV this time. I mean, coming up. So yeah, I mean, if I just take a quick peek for the coming, but we're not week, going yet. No, I'm but, just looking but, but, just to to get an eye on it, but. Oh, yeah, I see there's a lot coming up the following week. I mean, there's an Anarchy show, Freelance, West Coast Pro, which I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty next week since that's the tribute show to I, our I will dear say friend, this. Uh, Matt Mann. Yeah. I, I, will, I am shocked there's not an ICW No Holds Barred show this week. I thought there was one every fucking week. I mean, if there's not an ICW No Holds Barred show, there's usually either an H2O show or something at the H2O building, and there's neither this week. So it's a, a very rare weekend <laughs> off for uh, for those guys. Yes, for the so uh, Deathmatch uh, people on IWTV. The Deathmatch universe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then, yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, H2O is going to have their anniversary weekend the following weekend. And then there's Action and ICW and more the weekend after that. So, yeah, there's a lot coming up for the rest of June. There's going to be Prestige. So we'll, we'll have more on that in the coming weeks. But, uh, yeah, if you're not already in IWB... IWPV? What? IWTV subscriber, sign up at independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD, and we will get a referral fee for each month that you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Now, meanwhile, at Fight TV on Fight Plus, they've got a fairly loaded weekend coming up as it's a GCW Cage of Survival weekend. Or, no, excuse uh -huh. me, Tournament of Survival weekend that includes Cage of Survival on the yeah. Sunday show. As well as the uh, Deathmatch Hall of Fame, which includes uh, inductees like Zandig, Brain Damage, and the uh, recently departed Pish Jug Mike. 
If there's a Deathmatch death Hall of Fame, Zandig better be in there. Yes. yes. I mean, that's a no-brainer. So Tournament Survival is going to be Saturday the 3rd at 5 p.m. Eastern. I think that's because of Deathmatch Hall of Fame plus the JCW show that's going to be on YouTube. And did I make an oopsie and accidentally close the tweet window that had the search up with the GCW stuff? I don't know, because I can't see where I put that now, because there's other stuff that... Outstanding. Wait, maybe I did it in another browser. Hold on. Outstanding. <laughs> I, okay, I'm trying to figure out what the hell I did, because did I do it in Fire? What the hell did I do? Okay, this is weird, because I had the stuff open, and I just tried doing undo a bunch of times to see what other tabs I had open, and I'm not seeing Twitter open in any of these. Hmm. Okay, give me one second. What the fuck did I do? I hmm. swear, I actually did make sure to prepare everything in advance, since Fight TV doesn't put the lineups in their stupid listings. But, <laughs> alright, I'm going to pull up the GCW Twitter so I have the fields for uh, Tournament Survival in front of me. As of who's hmm. been announced so far. I, I, I'm at a loss for words, because I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened there, because I actually did have it all open. And Did I have another window open? No. I didn't have another instance of Fargo. All right, so here, here's your field that's been announced as of this writing. Um, so, Rina Yamashita, the GCW Ultraviolent Champion, T Tomoya Harata, Toru Shigura, Joe Janela, returning to Deathmatch action in what I think is his first tournament of survival since the first one in 2016 with the viral Zandig bump. Uh, so Sawyer Rec, Casey Kirk, John Wayne Murdoch, Cyclope, Matt Tremont, Miedo Extremo, Green Phantom, and a mystery 12th entrant. So that's who's been announced so far for, for Tournament of Survival. And, I mean, look, if you're into deathmatch stuff at all, especially with the international talent mixed in, these usually are, are genuinely the among the best GCW shows of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, if... This goes in their sweet spot. Yes. And That's what they're done for. Yes, and then on the Sunday at... Yeah, I don't know if they've announced any non-tournament matches for Tournament Survival. And then... I... Hold on, as I go through my tabs here. Oh, yeah, so Deathmatch Hall of Fame is going to be at 10 Eastern that night on Saturday the 3rd. And then Cage of Survival is going to be Sunday at 5 Eastern... For a show that includes, I believe it's um, Masha Slamovich defending the GCW world title against the winner of Tournament Survival in the Cage of Survival match. Uh, Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander taking on the Kirks. Uh, Speedball's going to be in action. There's more I think I had up earlier, but probably the kind of thing that's going to come into focus more as uh, time goes on. So... Should be some quality shows there, though, because especially, like I said, with the Japanese deathmatch talent in, Janela back in the mix, should be a hell of a tournament. So, that's that. Meanwhile, uh, our dear friend Mikey Blanton at Black Label Pro, also on Saturday, I believe. Let me make sure. Yeah, so Saturday. Oh, that also starts at 5 Eastern. Great. Uh... <laughs> has the uh, fancy wrestling show for this year, where in theory the fans are expected to dress in some kind of formal wear. Um, 
And that show includes, let's see, Calvin Tankman. Tankman? Calvin Tankman versus Young uh, Jay Lee. As I scroll through the Black Label Twitter. Uh, oh, and for anyone who might be going to the shows, there's going to be a Speedball seminar that afternoon. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, I don't know who these are. Latinos Most Wanted versus Twist and Flip. Okay, here we go. Here's the one that has the card that's announced. Uh, I saw that already. I, or I said that already. Oh, here's a hell of a match. Uh, Speedball Mike Bailey taking on friend of the show Kevin Koo in a first-time match. Sounds interesting. That's a big opportunity for Koo to have a great match with genuinely one of the very best wrestlers in the world who always gives 100% no matter where he's working. Uh, then, what else do we have here? Rachel Armstrong taking on Miyu Yamashita. Uh, Trevor Outlaw versus Matt. Yeah, Matt Brannigan. I thought I was reading his name wrong for some reason. Mance Warner versus Steph Delander. Uh, Filthy Tom Lawler versus Eli Isom. And more. Uh, who else do we have on the poster here? I see Billy Starks. Uh, who else? Do we, is there anyone else that was not mentioned? I see Brogan Finley, unsurprisingly. <laughs> so that that's just about every match that's been announced so far, I think, for uh, Black Label Pro Fancy Wrestling. It's fancy. Yes. Fancy fancy. Yes, yes. So that's uh, that's on. Those are all on Fight Plus. So uh, if you're not already a subscriber, use uh, our referral link, tinyurl.com/slash/bts-fight. That's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. And use our referral link to sign up, and we'll get... I think that's just a one-time referral fee, so whatever. And you can also use that for the pay-per-views on Fight as well. So uh, tinyurl.com slash B-T-S-F-I-T-E. All right, today's episode Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You know, use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data, and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider and network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a raw solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just running the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about that, shall we? We offer three options here in our plan. We get the regular monthly option. You get $11.95 a month. You can go yearly. At three dollars thirty-three cents a month, or thirty-nine ninety-five a year, or we have the best deal: three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety-eight a month, seventy-nine dollars for three years yearly thereafter, eighty-three percent off. The best damn deal in the market. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now and take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-Day Risk-Free Challenge, try it for thirty days, see if you like it. If not, just return for a full refund. So you get that, you ask, well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, the Patreon requested show, and we go to 2013. Yes, 
the the latest show we've ever done. Alan Peisner wants us to go to 2013. So this will be quite the show as uh, WWE. Yeah, we got the Shield to talk about. We're in the Shield era. The Wyatt family's coming in, so we'll have that. We got Daniel Bryan being pushed heavy, so we'll have that. Punk and Jericho are feuding. How about that? <laughs> so we got a lot of that we used to talk about. Um, <clears throat> we got some interesting shows in Mexico to talk about. Some big Dragon Gate shows, Super Juniors going on in uh, New Japan. We'll talk about that. Featuring a lot of familiar names, everybody. Keiji Muto being kicked out of all Japan. <laughs> Quentin Jackson making his making his debut in Impact. We'll talk about that. We got Slammiversary, a pay-per-view to talk about as well, featuring uh, Bully Ray in a big main event during the Hogan Angle where he faces Sting. So we'll have that. And we got Chikara, the end of Chikara, supposedly. So, uh, and one of the most interesting moments of the of that time period. So we'll have that. And to be on the show with us is Joe Sposto, who is a dear close personal friend of Leonard F. Chikarson. So he has a lot of uh, inside knowledge of all this. So he'll be with us next week to discuss this. So, uh, yeah, should be uh, quite the deal there in that segment. He'll be on for just that segment. So it uh, should be quite the deal there next week on Between the Sheets. Yeah, 2013. Well, it's a long enough show that it would get bogged too, down too much, probably, with him being on the, more than just the Andy section. Well, I mean, it's just there's a lot of shit going on. Well, and also, so, there's a lot uh, of. I mean, I mean was, I'm sure that the indie section, particularly the Chikara stuff, which is the bulk of it, is going to get fairly granular for a six page section with his, you know, first hand knowledge and all that. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, this is going to be quite the show. We're doing it a different direction. So normally we have all these different results. Not this week. Not this show. So. It's going to be an interesting show next week. We'll see if we can get it all done in, in the time we need to get it done. So there is that. All right. You follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Big set, David Bix. And Bix, I guess the big story this week, of course, is uh, they finally announced that Collision's first show would be in Chicago. Didn't announce CM Punk by name. But the fact that it was announced in Chicago is pretty much announced CM Punk by name. So, yeah. All this stuff that went on last week, we came to some type of a mea culpa here. So we'll see how long it lasts. That's where we're at now. Yeah. You know, obviously he's coming back. Now the question is, how long? Yes. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with with that guy, you know, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, he is very quick to change his mind, and if he has any issues with anybody, you know, shit happens. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see see what happens uh, now with that promotion, because, I mean, Double Nothing is over with by the time you hear this, so they've, they've gotten that. Oh, which, by the way, Chris, we are recording this on the fourth anniversary of the first AEW show, the first Double or Nothing that I was at in Vegas. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah. So um, now they're moving on. They got Forbidden Door coming up. They got a Ring of Honor review coming up. They got All Out, All In. 
you know, they got a lot, a lot of stuff coming up. Collision shows, Owen Hart tournament. Uh, it's going to be a very busy time. Presumably Death Before Dishonor. I said bring up on pay-per-view. Oh, you did? Okay. I mean, that, hey, Grand I mean, Slam, Grand Slam, and Arthur. I mean, it's a very busy time for all the wrestling. Yes. So, uh, well, I remember though, Ring of Honor is completely separate. <laughs> you wouldn't know from watching TV lately. No. But, um, uh. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be quite the summer here for AEW. We'll see how that goes for them. And WWE's got their stuff going on too. It's a weekend this weekend as we have, uh, Double or nothing going head to head with uh, Battleground NXT show. Yeah. So there's that. And of course, uh, Saudi Arabia took place already. Also, all these shows didn't happen already, but yeah, so. Uh, but they're all taking place in the same weekend, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, all same weekend, yeah. So, yeah, interesting time in wrestling right now. Yeah. See what goes on. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's just a coincidence that the first Sunday. Uh, NXT uh, PLE just happens to be this weekend. Well, I mean, I mean, we know we know the deal, but Sean, you know, Sean said in his conference call that you know, with them being in Saudi Arabia, you know, it just made sense to have that, that, that on on Sunday since they weren't going to have a Sunday show. I, I know what you're saying. Doing any Sunday show? I I know, I know, I know, I know, but whatever. How weird is it, by the way, also that now that AEW has moved into mainly having Sunday shows when they were the ones who were moving, to, who had been giving us the nice Saturday reprieves. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's just and the thing so is, is, much better on Saturday. It's one thing, thing with AEW pay per views; they go on for five hours plus. Yes. Uh, so there's that too. That makes it even worse. Although Tony did make it clear that uh, last year's double or nothing was an extreme outlier because of the whole NBA playoffs extending the show so, with the idea that people might buy the pay-per-view to see the top matches after the game was over thing, which apparently worked, but resulted in the longest show in AEW history. Yeah, but anyway, so... And it was yeah, an amazing we'll show, too. I mean, it had... Last year's show arguably had the best match of the year. It had with the first anarchy in, in the arena. So I am, you know, I, you know, it's over by the time people hear this, but I'm definitely looking forward to the pay-per-view. If just, you know, there's a very high standard to live up to with last year's anarchy in the arena. And, you know, Danielson, who was probably the MVP of the first match, is in this one, too. So. Well, who knows how much he'll be doing. I mean, he's going to be in the match. But I know exactly. But, well, yes, but you're re you're referring to how it seems like he has a secret entry. Yes, he hasn't had any physical actions in months. No, the the last physical thing he did was the turn. Well, last physical thing he did actually, I mean, that he took that took a shot in was uh, the MJF match. Well, no, but he took a bump. He did the Busaiku knee. In the turn, yeah, but Bix, that's that's him on offense. That's about him. Your point, your point being that he's fully controlling it because it's him hitting the move. Okay, fair. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so we'll see. But yeah, I mean, it looks like a really good show. It, yeah, as weird as the build has been, the four pillars four way title match should be great. I mean, 
MJF has always had excellent matches with all three of those guys. I mean, you'll get your. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you'll get the wrestling on the show. I mean, it'll be it, it will be definitely a. I would guarantee pretty much a solid wrestling show. Even if the creative at times has been a little wonky, but it will be definitely be a uh, uh, probably a classic wrestling pay per view. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And uh, I'm trying to think anything else going on this week of no. So I feel like I'm forgetting something. Dark Side of the Ring starting up uh, uh, next week. This yes. week. Well, this week. This yeah. week, it's Chris and Tammy. So that should be an interesting show to see how that goes. Yeah. With them back, back, back in their new, I guess, form, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Let me find. Let me pull up the episode order because I, I listened to Evan on the Cowsman's podcast, and he did. He he gave the official order for some reason. The one that had been going around was not correct. So let me see. Okay, have to click through here. All right, so your episode order is Chris and Tammy on May 30th, Shattered the Magnum TA story on June 6th, Breaking the Cycle, the Graham Dynasty about, you know, the gossets, you know, Eddie and Mike Graham and their family on June 13th. That's an interesting show. Yeah. It's going to be a heavy one, but it's going to be an interesting show. Yeah. I mean, because... Uh, we'll get into it after it airs, I guess. June 20th is What Happened to Joint the Clown, which it, it's a Matt Bourne episode. I'm assuming it's a marketing thing that it's being centered officially on Joint the Clown, but it's a Matt Bourne episode. June 27th, Junkyard Dog. June, uh, they're off July 4th because it's July 4th. June 11th, is, I mean, excuse me, July 11th, The Tragic Fall of Adrian Adonis. Uh, June, why do I keep saying June? July 18th is your lighter episode of the season with Bash at the Beach 2000 and all the Hogan Russo bullshit. July 25th, Abdullah the Butcher, Legacy of Blood. August 1st, Bam Bam Bigelow, The Beast from the East. And season finale, August 8th, The World According to Marty Jannetty. Oh, that'd be a that'd be a show. <laughs> yeah, that would be a show. How many crimes do we think he admitted to just during the interview process? But you know, the thing I hate about this is some of these shows should be more than an hour long. But I, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. So I tell you, sort of territories. Uh, all those shows should have been two hours long, but that's a whole another story. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, well, Evan did say in the interview with Houseman though that. So, you know, and I can attest to that this is the truth. Like, they've been wanting to do Chris and Tammy for years. Well, but, I mean, it is, that is a show that is definitely a dark side in the ring worthy show. Yes, but the way it There's would a lot of stuff. work out was between seasons, Tammy would be not in jail and see, maybe seemingly doing okay. And by the time they were starting production, she'd be in jail. Yeah. And they decided at this point it just should her get off the pot, so they had to do it. And he did say if if it happened with Tammy being available, then it might have been a longer episode, and they might have tried to make it a two-parter. But since it's going to be centered more on Chris, I'm sure John, Johnny Candido is going to be one of the main players. Um, they it, they just have it as a regular one-hour episode. That I mean, that and Janetti are the ones. Uh, I almost don't want to say I'm looking forward to Janetti, but still, those those are the ones that jump out most at me. I would say, I would say those Graham and Matt Bourne. 
JYD is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see wh- where they go because there's a lot of stuff that's out there that people know that pe- a lot of people don't know. Of you know, or is so. it widely known? Like the stuff that um, that Al gets uncovered about, like his high school activism and stuff. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about JYD in the nineties. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that stuff that like Bo, stuff like Bo has told us, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, there JYD had a very interesting decade in the nineties before he died. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So. I mean, Bo honestly would have been someone good to interview because he. He's one of the few people that actually was, like, friendly with him as Sylvester and knew him as a person. Yes. But yeah. That that should be an interesting one if they got the right people. Yeah. Because he's, you know, we've talked about it before. He's one of those guys where it's like, he had problems, but, you know, you don't hear a bad word about him as a person, really, ever. And it seems like it's really, like... Especially with hindsight, but also knowing the issues in his family and stuff. It's something that, through a modern lens, it seems pretty clear was mainly a mental health story. Yeah, he had a lot of issues over his years. Yeah. All right, well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to the other U.S. now, to the Indies. And we start with uh, our friend John McAdam who at this time was running his UCW promotion. John McAdam and Cody Boyne's Universal Championship Wrestling Run Show on May 29th in Nashville, New Hampshire for 166 fans, 130 paid, as Kamikaze Bill Wilcox pinned Freight Train Fulton to become the first UCW champion. Two different people report this match as four and a half stars and is also taped for television. They run their next card on June 12th at St. Stanislaus Hall with the Thunderbolts versus the Untouchables in an explosive match and Wilcox for the title against Vince Apollo. Yes. Playboy Vince Apollo. Plus a 14-man battle role to determine their first TV champion. The guys in this group, from what Dave's told, really work hard. His promotion aimed mainly for hardcore fans. You know, here's the thing about John's promotion here that is so different from the other guys that were fans that had gotten into the business and promoting in this time period. Mm-hmm. John is only main is using mainly local guys. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to bring in the big names and all that shit and lose money. He's pushing local guys and they're going out there and kicking ass. Now there's a letter. I'm going to read this letter real quick from the, I didn't put it in here, but I remember I looked, I saw it in the June 15th observer. I'm somewhat concerned about the lack of coverage UCW receives in the Observer. UCW is a promotion direct aimed, directly aimed at the hardcore wrestling fans. We stress good angles and great ring action as opposed to WCW's products. Our matches feature top shelf wrestlers like Bill Wilcox, Freight Train Fulton, Scott Sharkey, Steve Ramsey, etc. We push wrestlers based on their wrestling ability and charisma, not bodybuilders or buddies of the booker. I'm not asking that we be the top story every week or even get a heading like Global and USWA, but if you could give our results and more importantly our return dates, it would mean a lot to everyone involved with the group. Remember, the fans in this area use the Observer as a tool to stay informed on the events happening in this area. Let them know we have great cards every other week. Signed, John McAdam, President, UCW, Nashville, New Hampshire. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, John was a a guy who was around for a long time by this point. And I, I understand where he's coming from. You would think that they would at least give him a little space, more space in the newsletter, you know? Yeah. And really the only difference between this and any other 
New England Indy at the time is like it's the idea is specifically let's go out there and kick ass and put on a great wrestling show. When he's not using, I mean, all these guys I just mentioned, I mean, they're they they, they weren't named guys. But they were hardworking guys that went out there and put kick-ass wrestling matches on. The biggest name is Vince Apollo. Yeah. And he's not really a regular. No. And I, I'm trying to figure out if I've ever seen much of this stuff. I know there's some on YouTube, right? Well, I, I remember seeing it on John's comps. <laughs> um, Bill Wilcox, Free Train Fulton had some really, really damn good matches. Yeah. They would get talked about, but... To John's point, they was talking more about, and went way the same way. We're talking more about these other promotions that have more name guys, you know. Yeah, it went for you know, like your um, Maryland promotions that would use the WF guys, or your, you know, tri-state indies that would use more name guys and stuff like that. Yeah, and also. This parent is where some of the New England guys that's a, that build up a little bit more name value later are really first breaking in. Like, I think Maverick Wild is breaking in around this time. You know, it it, it does it does kind of uh, make you think. Okay, what if John decides to keep running a little bit longer, and he starts using guys like Triple H and the Eliminators? Well, also, if he starts running longer, though, then he's running when CWA starts. Yeah. And Tony Rumble, he has names, but he is going in more of that hardcore fan work rate direction than the other promotions in the area. But CWA also, I mean, it's mainly Massachusetts. They were in New Hampshire. They weren't going to New Hampshire or Maine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, not that much. So I don't know, but. Yeah, I get where John's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Considering who he is, and you know, I mean, it wasn't he wasn't put on a Joel Goodhart type show, but still, at least get some press. Yeah. But anyway, all right. As we continue here, we go to the IWF. <laughs> Coincidentally, which runs Wallingford, Connecticut on May 30th. Drew, drew 275 fans for a free show, which included the Bushwhackers meeting Double Trouble, the former Undertakers in ICW, the Puccios. Rochester Roadblock. Hey, okay, okay. So it's Rochester Roadblock, and then nothing there. Odd. I guess he's just worked. No match listing. Yeah. No opponent listed. Then we have Cool Charisma, Chris Candido meeting Ray Odyssey. Should have kept that name. Vic Steamboat over Tasmania by disqualification. And Tony Atlas over Tommy Dreamer in your main event. Okay, I have a few questions. One, remind me, if you can remember, who was it that was billed from Wallingford in the late 90s? Billed from Wallingford? Oh, God. There was someone in WWF or ECW that was billed from Wallingford, Connecticut. I think it was ECW. I don't remember. I do remember that. I remember somebody being Bill from Wallingford, but I don't remember who it was. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Okay, so the other thing is, this is IWF, which I thought was Kowalski, but this is clearly not a Kowalski show. Yeah, I mean, it's the name that was given, the name of the promotion that was given for this. It could have been anybody using an IWF name, you know? But it's weird to see another IWF in New England 
regardless. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it reads like a Tony Rumble show. Yeah. You got the Puccios, you got Roadblock, you got Candido, Odyssey, Vic Steamboat, Tasmaniac, Tony Atlas, Tommy Dreamer. That's basically the Tony Rumble crew. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, but here's the type of show that John, you know, we were talking about with John. Right. Look at all these names on this show, and this is what, you know, that gets talked about in The Observer. What a blurb. Yeah. So are we to assume that the blurb about, that Dave had John's letter before writing the blurb about May 29th? Obviously, the letter show. came before he, yeah, obviously, the letter came before he had the results, yes. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Well, another thing, too, like John mentioned, they're running bi weekly. Mm hmm. Or, well, for, not fortnightly, I guess is the better way to put it, because. I, I I know people use it less, but it's a pet peeve of mine that we have two words that mean complete. I mean, we have one word that means two completely different things, but are still used as like a measurement of time and frequency. I'd rather not use biweekly in two different ways. I'd rather say biweekly and fortnightly. But anyway, let's move on to uh, Joycey. What? Um, yeah, you're one of the few Americans. I would actually say fortnight. <laughs> well, we're not talking about the game. I'm going to say every other week. That's the easy way to say it. That's the, the cool charisma Chris Candido. <laughs> All right. Uh, WWA, Dennis Corluzzo and Larry Sharp ran a WWA show on May 30th in Clementon, New Jersey. Drawing 700 fans as Boy Gone Bad, Joe Daniels, won the WWA title beating the Spider, Glenn Roof, when Valet Amy Lee gave Boy Gone Bad brass knucks in a Texas death match where the loser would have to leave the ring in a body bag. A lot going on there. Chris Candido beat Barry Hardy. The South America cartel, Bobby Muniz and Chichi Gomez, kept the WWE tag titles beating Mr. Nice and Victor Rivera Jr. When Mr. Nice turned on Rivera, well, he wasn't so nice, was he? And a master reveal, AC Golden. Corluzzo and Sharp were promoting the Boston show in the same building on June the 6th and included a three-round match with Boy Gone Bad and the Spider and attempted to draw wrestling fans to the boxing show. All right, Bix, this is your uh, New Jersey heroes here. How are they mine? Well, they're close to you. You're tri-state heroes. Wait, where in Jersey are we? We're in uh, Clementon. Where is Clementon? Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Clementon. That's Clementine. Okay, I'm pulling up a map. Doesn't matter. Clementon, New Jersey is where? Um... Okay, so I'm looking, I'm trying to see where this is on a map relative to everything else. Um, oh, that's south of Philly. That's, yeah, that's far from me. Yeah, that's closer, that's closer to Delaware than it is to me. Much closer to Delaware than it is to me. But anyway. Yeah, right. I, mean, I mean, one thing I found interesting about this, though, at least from the figures we have, it seems like the... Larry and Dennis shows generally drew better than Dennis and Larry's shows after the split. Yeah. Which is interesting because Dennis keeps using names. Larry doesn't. I guess it all goes to the promotion, Bix. Maybe just good team. And unfortunately, yeah. things went south. I don't think I've ever heard what the reason for the split was. Have you? I'm sure it was involving money. <laughs> That's the way most of them go. I mean, it's Indie wrestling, yes. 
Let's go now to Eastern Championship Wrestling. They just opened, didn't they? It's very new. Testament Fujinami appeared on May 25th in Philadelphia at the sports bar before about 200 fans for an afternoon show. Fujinami was sitting in the bar in street clothes and was challenged by the bouncer, Chris Duffy. He jumped to the ring and beat him in a minute 22 with a dragon sleeper. Amazing. Also, Sandman with double count out with J.T. Smith. Max Thrasher and Glenn Osborne beat the Flames. Mr. Anthony and Mr. Perez. Tony Stetson beat Metal Mania by disqualification. Johnny Hotbody kept the ECW title being Jimmy Gennetti. Larry Winters beat King Kalua. But after the match, Sandman and Hotbody attacked Winters who did a structure job. Anyway, the Super Destroyers being Chris Michaels and John Rock, not John Rocker. And Salvatore Belomo beat Steve Richards in your opener. Hmm. And uh, we're three months in. They started on February 25th. They ran again a month later on March 24th. And then, yeah, then they didn't run for a month, ran on the 25th and 26th of April, took off a month again, and ran on the 19th and the 25th of May. But Tessimi Fujinami at the the, the deal here. Now, here's why. Um, He's doing... Tours of various wrestling schools in the Northeast as part of his comeback in Japan, including Killer Kowalski's, Johnny Rods, and Larry Sharps. You know, I matched on June 2nd with some of Sharps' students taped for Japanese television. Okay, so there's a tape I used to have. I know I converted to DVD. If anyone has this, since I don't have this stuff anymore, please let me know. That had Fujinami working out at the Monster Factory. I used to think it was. We, from did, his... we talked about that on our show before. Yeah. I used to think it was from his 1988 trip. Um. There's someone who is very obviously Chris Candido in a ski mask working, working out with him and going over stuff in the ring. And the thing I can never figure out is why is Chris Candido hiding his identity? I figure, okay, if it's 1988, is he underage maybe at that time? But if it's 1992, which seems more likely, what reason would he have to hide his identity to going over... He was there in 88 too, though. So that would be why. Because, okay, at this point, he's 20. Chris is. Yeah, in 92, he was in, I mean, 88, Fujinami did the same type of thing. Okay, and he went to some of the same schools? Okay. Yeah. So you would say it's probably from 88, and it's probably some paranoia over Chris being underage? Yes. Okay. Um, This is a gimmick that a lot of Japanese stars used to do that, has kind of disappeared in the last 20 years or so. Look, yeah. I mean, um, Japanese wrestlers would come over and do different things in the U.S. on occasion, especially in the 80s. No, and but so. going to the different wrestling schools and working out and getting the photo ops. I, I'd love to see what Fujinami at Gleason's looked like with Rod. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I mean, they worked together in the past, so. Did Rods get a junior heavyweight title shot against him? He, They worked against each other, I think, in Los Angeles when Fujinami did some work out there, when Rods was working out there as Javarook. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of the great wrestling stories. They give him this Arab gimmick, and he's like, I don't want to get new boots. They have my initials on them. So he's Javarook. Yes. Hey, at least they came up with a uh, a compromise. Yeah, uh, only result on cage match is a junior heavyweight title match from the Nassau Coliseum, February 10th, 79. Well, they were getting the WWF, yeah, when Fujinon would come in as well. But I, I, 
kind of think they had an interaction in Los Angeles. I could be wrong on that, but it's possible. Like, there's I mean, Fujinami, Fujinami worth Jose Estrada a whole lot more. Yes. Because Estrada would go on tours. Because I never have a good opportunity to ask this. And it's one of the more widely viewed Fujinami WWF matches because it was on a best of the WWF volume. Who the hell was Ted Adams? Ted Adams was, um, I think he was British. I think, no, he was, I mean, no, he wasn't. He was a guy that worked, uh, he was a Northeast guy. He was from New York. Because he had, I would feel like, probably the best of the Fujinami MSG matches. He only worked from 76 to 80. Mainly, mainly seventy six, mainly seventy seven, seventy eight. That was his main years. Hey, some guys just quit the business. Yeah, that's what I mean. Some guys just leave the business for various reasons early. You know, I, you look at guys like um, Don Diamond, which is a different story because he had criminal issues. But he, but, was I mean, there a guy, fairly big star. Yeah, Brian St. John's one that I, you know. That has come to mind. He got a you know good push in Florida with Stan Lane as a tag champion. He had a car accident that put him out of action for a while. He came back in '81 in Georgia. He worked there for a while and then gone. Never heard from him again. And there were other guys like that too, and they just left. So, especially in that era too, like Pete Austin was one um just all kind of guys just gone yeah um what's his face uh mike masters yeah well no not really because he continued to work i mean he was all in the northeast in the 80s okay working in working in either mike masters or rocky jones that's right I mean, I forgot he was rocky jones that's right he was on world championship wrestling in 84 <laughs> so yeah he did he, he worked for quite a good bit yes but anyway my Rob Russell promoted an IWA show on May 30th in Elwood City, Pennsylvania before 400 fans as Shane Douglas and Preston Steele beat Stan Lane in the Big Cheese. And then Lane won a battle royal, blindfold battle royal. Charlie Fulton beat Thunderfoot number one, Thunderfoot number two, probably not the real Thunderfeet, beat T.C. Reynolds, and Ron Cumberlege beat Scott Summers. So, of course, that's Sal Parenti is the Big Cheese, right? Yes, it is. I mean, he's teaming with Stan Lane on a Rob Russell show. And he's named the Big Cheese. It's clearly Sal Corrente. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, I guess he did work as a heel manager some, right? So it's a little weird that he's doing just a match against two regular babyfaces with Lane here. But how about Stan Lane going over in the blindfold battle royal? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, Charlie Fulton's still around here. At this oh, point. yeah. Got both Thunder feats. Which is not the originals, obviously. Well, it's not Joel. It's not Joel Deaton and Gene Legan. I'm sorry. Yeah, but Ron Cumberlege is com- isn't Ron Cumberlege a Carolinas guy? No, he's a Pennsylvania guy. Okay. He's not Carolinas. He was never. He never worked Crockett. Uh, I can only imagine what the YouTube comments are on Ron Cumberlege squash matches, though. <laughs> well. Now, also, did Rob Russell run another show the next night in Jake City, Pennsylvania? No, he did not. Okay. No, no Jake City, Pennsylvania. All right, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, this is one of their last shows. 
uh, May 29th in East Clarendon High School in Turbyville, South Carolina. We have a tag title match where the Ring Lords, Rick Slagle and Speedy Gonzalez, are taking over Tommy Gunn and Chaz Rocco. We have Wahume Daniel over Ivan Koloff by disqualification. Trooper Max over Mike Starr. Colt Steele went to a time draw with Jeff Husker. And Battle Royal won by Wahoo McDaniel. So, yeah, we're at the dying days of South Atlanta Pro Wrestling here. Yeah, they're not shooting TV anymore, I don't think, are they? Uh, Yes, they were still doing television. I mean, I know it's airing, but are they shooting new TV? Uh, um, I'm not I'm not sure, sure. Okay. But I do know they still have television. So I'm curious what the tag titles were actually called, since I'm sure it's not an actual, like, NAWA slash South Atlantic tag titles. It's not like the, uh, you know, the Zero One slash UPW slash NWA International uh, titles. It was probably South Atlantic, but still had the NAWA lineage and shit. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you don't even have, like, most of your previous like TBS job guy guys, it's basically just Colt Steel as far as that. Yeah. All right. Uh, a benefit show was held on May 29th in Marietta, Georgia, which drew foreign fans. As Junkyard Dog went to a double DQ with a Night Stalker, Brian Clark, Sugar Ray Lloyd, Chris Blade, and Steve Day, who works for the UFI in Japan and was actually not a member of the 1980 US Olympic team, but went to the trials as a 220-pounder in Greco-Roman and was beaten out in the slot by Brad Rangans. Beat the PYTs, Jimmy Bryant, Fred Avery, and Ronnie P. Gossett. Van BB Peggy Lee Leather, rest in peace, Peggy Lee, and Steve the Brawl Lawler pinned the nightmare, Ted Allen. Yes, Peggy Lee Leather died uh, on, uh, this week as we record this. And uh, apropos that we have a result with her facing Bambi because God knows they wrestled each other I don't know how many times over the decades. And uh, Peggy Lee, you know, was Moolah trainee, worked a lot in the, in the Moolah troop, but once she got out of that situation, she was a stalwart in the Southern Indies for many years, worked Japan, worked all kinds of places, had a you know, really, really good career. I mean, hell uh, of a worker, too. Hell of a worker. She worked as uh, Lady X at one point in time in a, in a mask gimmick. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, somebody who doesn't get talked about enough for being a, a really great uh, heel wrestler, Peggy yes. Lee Leather. Yeah, memorable name. You know, she just they brought her into Tammy brought her into Smoky Mountain. You know, and yeah. uh, in the feud that she had there with Dirty White Girl. I mean, so yeah. And honestly, just like seriously though, because like I remember it was just one of those like random, not famous wrestler names that like my sister would remember. Peggy Lee Leather was it's just a great, a great ring name. It's a great name. Yes, and yeah, she was. You know, the glue of WoW in its original run. Yeah. After her feud with Bambi, you know, Selena Majors. And they had, I mean, they had, that that uh, street fight they had on WoW TV, I mean, it was, you know, far and away the best match in the history of the promo- of the original run of promotion, but, and probably better than most of the stuff that's happened later on, too. But, I mean, that was just a really, really good television match by any standard of anything that was airing at the time. Um, yeah, she just, she deserves more credit than she's got. 
And I mean, you know, really, I feel like Bambi too. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, they also they they carved out careers for themselves at a time where it was very difficult to carve yourself out to carve out a career as a woman on the independence in the South. Yes, <laughs> as well. But I think it got over more for being in the South, though, because they were Southern and they 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 carried that in there and got the fans more into it. And also, Bambi was a tremendous was a tremendous babyface wrestler. Yes, and Peggy Lee had that look where you know you wanted to hate her, so they were great playing off each other in yes. that way. Yeah, and then I gotta think too. They gotta be up there on the list of opponents who have faced each other the most in wrestling history. In the modern era, absolutely. Because they were working usually each other probably at least once or twice a weekend. What would you say? Every year from 90 to at least in the late 90s? They were working together a lot. I mean, I mean they were working together in the 2000s. So, yeah, even post yeah. wow, yeah. So, rest in peace, Peggy Lee. All right, as we continue on here, uh, Florida, we go down there. We ICWA, they ran a show in, T- in Tampa on May 28th, drew 145 fans. As Steve Collins beat Kenny Kendall, half star, a Kono kid, a Japanese wrestler from Wing, being trained by being trained in Tampa, that's Takeshi Akano. Being the Coconut Man, star and a half. I mean, I would hope it's Takeshi Akano. Who else would it be? <laughs> Dick Slater pin Hercules, one half star, bad match, good finish. The Terminators, Alan Green and Mark Laurinaitis, won the uh, U.S. Tag Titles from the Iceman, Ricky Santana, and Alan Iron Eagle. Three stars, Alan Iron Eagle being Joe Gomez. Ricky Santana sub for the no-showing Lou Perez. And uh, the main event saw Jimmy Backlund beat Mark Starr, two out of three fall match, two and a quarter stars. Okay. I did not realize Ricky Santana was ever Iceman in the U.S. There you go. I thought that now was you know. like a Japan and maybe Puerto Rico thing. Well, now you know. Yeah. Huh. All right, Tampa, May 30th. Marstar beat Mean Street, Tommy Star. Brady Boone, who's Firecat in Japan at this point, beat Coconut Man. Star Riders over Southern Posse, Southern Trout, Sunny Trout and Rick Thames. Dick Slater over Kid Collins. Marstar and Jim Backlund lose their town match as Backlund's going to work for Wing, Jimmy Del Rey. And uh, said here, expect to see some of the IWF wrestlers in Florida working indie shows as almost all the contracts expired and a lot of guys quit. IWF's only running two shows this coming month and 80 Mansfield had the guys originally sign exclusive contracts. Huh, I did not realize that. Did you? No, but the IWF is back and doing stuff in 93. Yeah, there's also that. <laughs> Yeah. So that's weird. Um, I'm curious what the heck he was paying them. Like, were these basically MLW contracts? Or... I would think so, right? Yeah. But I... I don't know if it was Eddie Mansfield's money, but there was clearly some money in that promotion, though. The production was good. It seemed like they had a more official hookup with Universal than other promotions did. Because of all the promotion for Universal Studios on the shows. 
They weren't they weren't good television shows. Though. Oh my god, they were not. Oh. No, even when they had good Woo! wrestlers, but and they were, they were not well lit. <laughs> no, it was not good, not good, not finely produced. Terrible television shows. Terrible. No, I watched one course, Mansfield on color is always Continental Lover. He's never Eddie Mansfield. No, he, he's not. It's Continental Lover. He's CL. I thought he was called Continental Lover, and but then officially he was Continental Lover, but they called him CL. No, he was, he he was strictly so, CL. Okay, yep, that's ridiculous. How are we supposed to know? Whatever. When it's him, I mean, you know, it's him because he's on camera. I know, but still, whatever. It's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. All right, um, a couple of matches reported to be incredible and appeared in a small indie circus this past week. Oh wow, 30- Dave really took that letter from McAdam to heart. Jeez. <laughs> on May thirtieth in Fraser, M- M- Michigan. Before 289 fans, 188 paid, saw Mickey Doyle keep his North American title being Punisher Rock Stevens in an explosive match with false kind of in the building in 2217, with them brawling up the aisle to the stairwell, through the concourse and the hockey players' benches, into the rear tunnel, back into the floor. At the body slamming Doyle on the floor, Stevens trying to run him over with the Zamboni, but officials threatened to disqualify, so he didn't do it. Think about that one. The guy is about to attempt to commit murder by running the guy over, but when threatened with disqualification, he stopped. <laughs> and it was a match that would be four and three-quarter stars. It was taped for television. That Mickey Doyle, man, you would see stuff about him in The Observer and stuff about all these great matches he was in. I never really have watched him wrestle other than Al Snow matches. And I always thought Al Snow was the reason why the matches were good. Yeah. I don't know how much Mickey Doyle I've ever seen. Yeah. It, at least Dave's putting over some of these small indies here, Bix. Yeah. So, okay, I'm trying to remember this. And they're explosive matches. Explosive matches. Well, wait, is explosive match a gimmick match name, or are they just saying this is a hot match? Yes, yeah, ex- oh, explosive match, yes. Explosive moves, hot moves? Yes. Yeah, I know. All right, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They take TV on May 25th in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah, they're still doing that. Before 400 fans paying $5 a head. The top angle is Brian Lee, the new champion, feuding with both Dirty White Boy and Paul Orndorff. Robert Gibson and Jimmy Golden continue to feud. Robert Fuller may be headed in, but didn't appear on television. Mark Kyle is doing a Mafia Hitman gimmick as Killer Kyle. Tag champions are the Hemley Bodies, Stanley and Dr. Tom, feuding with the Batten Twins. The new Fantastics, who are currently in Japan, Party Patrol, joining Davey Rich. Lee wrestled Dirty White Boy double juice television match with Orndorff doing a run in and had the Guerrero attempted to make the save after White Boy called Guerrero and hung him on by his own tie of the ropes. Danny Davis was in his night show with Danny Davis. Best match saw the Heavenly Bodies beat Tim Horner and Robert Gibson in a three and a half star match when Buddy Landell posted Horner, who was pinned. All the cars in the parking lot were paper for Herb Abrams' show in the same building on June 19th, headlined by Bob Orton, defending the UFWF Southern States title against Orndorff. And also advertised for Danny Spivey, Butch Reed, Ivan Carlo, Jimmy Valiant, Pets Watley, Night Stalker, Steve Ray, and Barry, the star David Horowitz from Tel Aviv, Israel. <laughs> Let's hear it for him. <laughs> well, we know Herb loved his Jews. What can you say? I'm surprised, though, that it's not David the Jewish Giant slash Joshua Ben-Gurion. <laughs> well, Bear Horowitz is still a great uh, Jewish professional wrestler, though. Yes. Um, I'm trying to pull up. I think this is their first show back, right? Since the post-Each Brawl. Yeah, let's see. 
Okay. Uh, yes, it is. They had not. They, I mean, Herb had not run a show since November sixteenth, which was well, which was a house show in Mount Vernon, New York. Last TV taping had been October first in Fort Lauderdale, at a venue referred to as City Limits, I guess a nightclub or something, drawing fifty-two fans. No results available. <laughs> yeah, and then this TV taping, which I'm sure we covered in relative detail on the Patreon shows, although. Those are also available for free. We did with these. That TV taping had 24 matches. It sure did. And I think those shows aired mainly on Prime Sports, right? The 92 stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, this ends up being, for a short time, the UWF home base for some reason. Like, in the torch, yeah. the way that Wade has indie results set up at this time... He'll give a promotion's name, and then he'll put in parenthesis, like, what region they're running, and it'll be UWF, Carolinas. We talk, I think we talked about that on the show, too. Yeah. Interesting pivot. Just go where you can run, I guess. You know? I guess. And, I mean, he's making a decent run there, effort. Run but, anyway... Yes, as we move on, um, I mean, it's fucking about television at a time. It's just getting off the ground. You know, it's just a standard TV show. They're starting to build the angles and build up, you know, stuff going on. So uh-huh. it's like we don't have any clips from the TV for our week because it just wasn't, you know, nothing that was insanely dynamic going on. It was just straightforward television and stuff like that. It's table setting stuff. You know, it's stuff that, you know, yeah. hear Cornette's philosophy about starting up a new promotion. It's very in line with that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one thing I'm noticing, though, this never really hit me before. For name value in terms of both overall and just people that are right for the markets they're running, it's early Smokey really is a lot more loaded than they are later. Yeah. And look where they're running, too. Spartanburg, South Carolina. You know, technically not in the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> but at Cold Crockett Town, but they knew that they could that they would do good in. Also, remember the original... We'll have good, good TV. The original idea of Smoky Mountain Wrestling was not to be a Knoxville, Tri-Cities, uh, you know, East Kentucky, West Virginia. Or was it Western Kentucky? You know, but... Southern parts of Kentucky and West Virginia promotion. It was supposed yeah. to run as many of the Crockett towns as possible. And yeah. then the only reason it wasn't that was that TV was too expensive. Which, that probably should have been a sign to not go on with the project. That, you know, all those towns that were hoped for, Roanoke, whatever, like... Once those weren't doable, your biggest city is Knoxville, your second biggest city is the Tri-Cities. They have great wrestling history, but they can't carry a territory with no other ongoing regular stops. And even Well, they definitely, they definitely should have they, they, they definitely should have exper- you know, experimented more Roanoke. But the, apparently the TV was too expensive for what the budget was. Well, Rick Rubin should have come up with more money. I never figured oh. out if Rick Rubin was actually wanting to finance a successful promotion or just wanted a source for new tapes of old-style wrestling. Who knows? 
right, uh, so we can go to the tourists now. Jim Cornette spent pretty much the entire week packing up from Charlotte, moving to Knoxville. That tells you how early we are here in the run. He's just now moving. Right. They're only shooting TV tapings at this point. I don't think they've even run house shows, have they? Uh, they've run. They ran Volunteer Slam in Knoxville. That okay. just took place. But they're not that running place a, right a full schedule or anything close to. Yeah, no, 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 no. Mark Curtis is refereeing full time at Smoky Mountain. Mark is wrestling and manages Doctor Mark Curtis. Yeah, you know, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis, and Cornette <laughs> had been friends for many years. And I, if he had refereed before, it had not been much. But you wouldn't know. No, Tommy Young was in on a lot of the early shows as a road agent and helping teach him refereeing, and you know, he got really, really, really good at it. Now, this is something that makes a ton of sense to me now when I saw this. Smoky Mountain has no interest in being broadcast in Atlanta on Joe Pennison's wrestling block in order to not blatantly invite WCW to sign their top talent. I always wondered in this era why Smoky Mountain wasn't on the block. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it made no sense. But now I read this, I'm like, wow, okay. Now it makes sense. It does. It makes perfect <laughs> sense. You know? Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Now, they begin on Pedicino's block when he moves to Channel 14, but that's so low power that, you know... It, it had no real footprint. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't the the famous wrestling block. No. No. Thirty six and sixty-nine are the ones people remember. Mm-hmm. Yes. Alright, let's go to the USWA. May twenty fifth in Memphis open with a tournament at the Coliseum. The term no more contender for Brian Christopher's Southern title. Newcomer Jeff Daniels, not the actor, beat Cat Garrett. Newcomer Damien beat Arch. Tony Fault beat the man of the 90s. Rex Hargrove beat Psycho, the Texas Hangman. Then Daniels beat Fault. Hargrove beat Damian. And Hargrove beat Daniels during the Todd shot next week. Also, Eric Cameron beat Moondog Spot by DQ. Moondogs beat the Power Twins. Other great Jewish professional wrestlers, Bix. They keep the USWA tag titles. When Spot interfered and switched places and hit David over the head with the bone. Brian Christopher Billy Joe Travis by DQ. Jeff Jarrett over Eddie Gilbert by DQ. And Jerry Lawler over Stephen Dane. Who sub for Marty Jannetty, who then else was injured in a match on Saturday night. Sure. Well, we're in the global angle, Bix. So why not have Stephen Dane to represent Global Wrestling Federation? Because, I mean, good Lord. We all know he was basically a poster child for the television. Yeah. I mean, Marty Jannetty was representing uh, Burke Prentice's Global Wrestling Federation <laughs> in the storyline. Yeah, we never worked, never worked Global, but here's Stephen Dane who you saw prominently on global television and in, in many ways you saw him prominently on global television base. But why is that? Oh, that of course would be because you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. <laughs> and what else does Stephen Dane have? That was uh protruding ass. There you go. Yes. Um, I still can't get over that one time we were reading the YouTube comments and we and I see one of them saying like, "Oh, Global always had the best camera angles for crotch shots and ass shots." And then the two of us think about it for a second. And we're like, "Yeah, Global really did have a lot of inger- lingering crotch shots and ass shots, didn't they?" They were ahead of their time. 
Yeah, I mean, but do you remember? <laughs> I remember. Uh, what was it that I got it from Phil Schneider? They had. I don't remember where the hell they found this. It was like early, very early '90s British indie handhelds, but with all like your top names who are now just mainly working indies. Now the TV is gone and everything. So your family, Big Daddy, everyone. But it was shot on a handheld at ringside, but to be marketed to your gay wrestling fetishist audience. So you have just your regular British wrestling of the period in front of crowds, but with lots of lingering uh, shots on their anatomy. Weird. Well, you got to know your fan base. I guess so. And also it was called, of course, the Pro Series, because <laughs> as you'll notice sometimes if we read those YouTube comments, they'll refer to pro wrestling as pro. <laughs> That's because your likes of uh, Cyber Fights and uh, BG East and your other, uh, you know, gay uh, interest fetish wrestling things are always referred to as amateur. So, of course... From all this stuff, Bix. I almost ended up writing one of those jobber fetish articles, remember? Until that other guy beat me to it. <laughs> you were going to do deep research like Pete Townsend, huh? <laughs> he, well, that's different. That was uh, illegal uh, child abuse material. I know, but he, that was his excuse, though. Basically, he was doing research. I feel like this is all Dylan's fault for sending me the YouTube videos of a Danny the Jobber back in the day to <laughs> freak me out. Which don't look that up, people. Really, you, you, and I think that some of that stuff still exists online, and you do not want to see it, regardless of what your sexual orientation or uh, other preferences are. Oh me! All right. Well, the gate was up at the Coliseum to eighty-five hundred dollars. About seventeen hundred fans on May twenty-fifth with the double main event, Gilbert Jarrett's match. Was Gilbert delivered to the ref for the DQ as Jarrett was coming off top rope? Major argument ensued because USWA rules, which have generally been ignored in similar situations, are that a title can change hands by disqualification, but global rules are different. Big argument ensued, and Guy Coffee, playing the subtle heel USWA promoter, gave the belt back to Gilbert because the match is under global rules. Well, let's watch that, shall we? Let's watch how this played out here. Why is Guy Coliseum. Coffee a subtle heel on the U? What? I'm confused. So also, well, just to be clear, the idea with what Dave's talking about in titles changing hands on DQs and countouts, they never undid the rule about a technical loss, right? They just forgot about it. Pretty much, yeah. They never did the... They never went, kept up the, like, first to their feet, or first off their feet in overtime as a winner thing after 90, though. Anyway. Yeah. We have Jeff Jarrett going against Eddie Gilbert in a match that uh, I think underscores part of the problem. I think maybe you're aware of the situation where the USWA and, and Global have been trying to get together on a unification title. Well, keep your eye on Eddie Gilbert toward the end of things right here, and we'll tell you more about it in just a minute. But I think this demonstrates the situation. Watch. William Gilbert going to work on Jarrett's legs. Eddie's bumping here is just fantastic on Jess punches. I mean, Jess got those great punches, and Eddie's bumping here. Well, also, I don't know why it never really hit me before, but it makes sense since he was his tag team partner when he was starting out. I mean, 
the Jeff punches on the comeback are the Billy Joe Travis punches. There's a lot there to that, yes. How about Corey being so excited that he forgot he was on the house mic? <laughs> well, Lance will do that too. Yeah. That happened to the Coliseum to the guys, yeah. forget this thought but with the, all these roll-ups they're doing and counters and stuff you know what i'm noticing and just what, holy shit what professionals these guys are even yeah. though they obviously are you do not notice them feeding each other at all no it lo everything here looks so clean you know yeah. i mean because they're working they're working a style of match that was that territory yeah and also, I, I mean, know, I know he's, he is getting his flowers now from everyone finally, but it just holy shit! What a professional wrestler Jeff Jarrett is. Well, you know, a lot of the a lot of the Jeff stuff is because, unlike Lawler, Dundee, and all the other guys, I mean, we don't have full matches of his from the Coliseum. Like I don't should. think it's even. I don't think it's even that. I feel like. Well, that's part of it, though. It's part of it, but I feel like it's also with like. To your hardcore newsletter reading fans, he, they never really liked heel Jeff Jarrett. Well, as a worker. I mean, I mean, if you want to hear about it, patreoncom sheets on the new Patreon show in WWA. I mean, that's how Jarrett's talked about there. Yeah. And also, how about Corey Macklin inventing the talking over the the, the uh, mic here? Well, not inventing, Lance did it too. But he was doing ring announcing over the the house mic. You mean so WWE? Yeah, doing commentary. So WWE wasn't uh, doing anything groundbreaking. Well, I know there are shindies that did that before they did. I know. But, but yeah. Well, just to finish the thought, and then I'll continue playing it. Though, like, there's something about heel Jeff Jarrett that never really clicked for your newsletter reading fans in terms of his work. Everyone could recognize he's good. Well, he's a better Bayface work. See, here's the thing, though. Jeff doesn't think that, and all of Jeff's peers don't think that. They think of Jeff as being this amazing heel worker. And wow. in terms, well, in terms of what other workers are looking for, leading a match and all that, he probably is a better worker as a heel. But aesthetically, on a quote unquote great match level, he's a better as a he's better as a babyface. I mean, I guess. I mean, right honestly, right now, twenty twenty three, I think is the best he's ever been match for match in the ring as a heel, though. Well, he's he's doing he's doing something totally different. He's basically he, he's he's being an old school heel. At a time where you don't have old school heels, it makes it stand out. But he's fitting in with guys doing different styles, and you know his conditioning is fantastic too. But 
still like he's just it, there's something right he's sticking out it more because he's more different but he's also just he's i think the fact that he's clearly having the time of his life helps too yeah but anyway Hey, just straight up decked him. They don't say Global Wrestling Federation here, and they never say. And they, they, they never, Champions. they never, and they never do. Even on TV, they never say GWF or Global Wrestling Federation during this whole run. If they do, it's not. It's very little. It's always global. The and global, global champion. Glo- yes, never North American champion. That is an absolute fact. Even though he's carrying the North American belt. Yes. I love how the first and third times he's not Jeff Jarrett, he's Jeff Jarrett. Well, demonstration of the of the problem getting the unification back going. together mm-hmm. the disqualification global belt doesn't change hands on disqualification I why well, well i saw why disqualified you weren't you watching the videotape here you purposely hit the referee to get disqualified so you keep the belt how do you know dave brown that i purposely hit the referee it was pretty obvious and did you see jeff jerry hit me first i went down i got up i didn't even know where i was at i was just swinging Swinging, I thought Jeff Jarrett was standing there. I didn't even see Paul Neighbors, and I hit him. And then Paul Neighbors has the audacity to disqualify me. Then Jeff Jarrett thought, oh boy, now I'm the global world heavyweight champion. And then you forgot the rules at the GWF, Mr. Jarrett. You forgot well, see, Gilbert says this qualification, this collar right here cannot change hands. But off of that, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about tonight, tonight at the Mid-South Coliseum. Once again, the USWA has reached down to its bag of tricks, and they have pulled out some other contender, a man out of the woodworks, a man that called himself at one time held the unified world title, a man that says or did defeat Jerry Lawler for the title. We're talking about King Cobra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> King Cobra. 
So Gene Cobra's been sitting at home in Memphis, Tennessee, right here. He has seen me come out here. I have asked. I have pleaded for a unification match with Jerry Lawler, but I have not received it. Do you know what happened? Gene Cobra's been watching TV, Dave. And so he calls, he calls Guy Coffee up, and that's Mr. Coffee, I guess we need to call him. And he asked for a match. Well, he had to get down, you know, to his level a little bit like this. And then, 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 then he had to get down a little bit more like this right here. <laughs> to ask him for a match. And then it wound up all the way, all the way, all, well, give him all the way down here so he'd be just eye to eye with him so he could ask for the match with me. Now we'll come back up. <laughs> King Cobra, there's only one king around here, and I'm not talking about Elvis Presley. I'm not talking about Jerry Lawler. I'm talking about me. I'm going to make an example out of you, King Cobra. I'm going to make sure that you, Dave Brown, that Guy Coffee, that everyone in the stinking USWA understands one thing. I came here with one goal in mind, and that was to beat Jerry Lawler. And Lawler, that is what I'm going to do. But tonight, King Cobra, you bring that big following of yours you bring all those people in Memphis, Tennessee with you. But let me tell you one thing before I go, brother. I left home. I became a world champion. This is my town, brother. You try to take it if you can. We'll see tonight at the Mid-South Coliseum. I think maybe if there's anybody who can take it, it's King Cobra. Tell you what, he mentioned King Cobra's following. He's got quite a following around here. And, uh, you know, the support of the fans helped him put together that unification victory some time ago. He is a former champion, and he will be trying to take the measure of Eddie Gilbert tonight at the Mid-South Coliseum. More about the Coliseum card a little bit later on. Corey, you've got some action coming up around the territory, right? Oh, yeah, we've got a lot of... Uh, Eddie did not sound great here, did he? Oh, no. And, you know, I've been reading Medusa's book. She and Eddie got married when? Around the beginning of the year? Yeah. So this is right as they're splitting up? Yeah. I mean, she makes very clear in the book. And I give her credit because, as I think we've discussed before, there are definitely people who have blinders on about Eddie's issues. She makes it very clear. Eddie had developed a terrible pill problem. She was trying to beg him to go to rehab. He wouldn't, and she had to end the marriage. And at this point, you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell the way taught. Yeah, I mean, especially, like, I feel like there, even at times where he doesn't necessarily seem healthy, he does not seem pilled up on TV. Here, he actually seems pilled up on TV. Yeah. Yeah, just sad. Very, very sad. Yeah. And even then, he manages to uh, cut a decent promo. Yeah? Because he's Eddie Gilbert. But, yeah. Alright. Burt Prentice came out. And announced that uh, the GWF had just signed a new tag team, the Moondogs, and no longer work for the USWA. Guy Coffee came out and said that can't happen because they're USWA's tag champions. It was then said that Moondog Spike, Bill Smith, since being taken out of the tag team, is going to be a singles wrestler and will take Lawler's title so Global can gain control of all the belts. Which, Dave, knows this is pretty much the direction of the 1990-91 Jeff Bowdoin and the Booker stuff. Okay. Who is booking uh, at this point? In Memphis? Yeah. Um, it's not Eddie. Um, it's not Embry. 
It's not Ambry. It's not not Lawler. I don't right. think. Lawler would be able to tell. So I guess it's Jerry Jarrett. I guess it's J- Jerry Jarrett. Because not the so tag- either. Yeah. No, well, he's yeah, he's not really around. So the new tag team be Cujo and Spot, as uh, as that goes. Well, Pez Wiley's come in as Jeff Jarrett's partner against the Moon Dogs for this week because he said he heard what Global's trying to do and he wants to help. Well, let's go to that, shall we? Let's go to Jeff and Pistol Pez Wiley. That's an interesting team here. Wait, so we're getting, which Moon Dog is Cujo? Oh wait, it's said, it said already. Yeah, like, like, Lanny King. Yeah, yeah, oh, cousin Junior. Yes. Yeah. Bert Prentice over there shaking hands with everybody. Everybody count your fingers after you shake hands with Bert Prentice. Let me take right. your pockets too. I don't know. He's uh, he's been in here a week or so, and um, yeah, greeting everyone. Uh, he's from he's from Global, of course. This is also the this is the first time he's ever been on TV as Bert Prentice, right? Uh, in this area, yes. Yes, and uh, well, I guess in UCW in '90, his promotion he would have been Bert Prentice, not Christopher Love, or was he Christopher Love there? No, he was Christopher Love. Yeah. Yeah, even – that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even when he was starting out as a promoter, he was still Christopher Love for a while. But this is the first time he's actually on TV as Burt Prentice. <laughs> Where uh, Global and uh, USWA have been trying to get this unification match together for and a couple of weeks. And I like that they're using someone and, uh, who was briefly working in the week. office yeah, of Global. Yeah, you're ready, Burt. We're standing here uh, killing values for some man. time. Yeah. Waiting for you to make it around here for your interview, which is... Uh, and he just was there the year earlier as Christopher Love. And he's in no hurry to get here, but finally he arrives, the one and only Bert Prentice. And uh, I was just talking about the situation where you guys from Global are in here, and we're still trying to get this unification match together. Mr. Brown, you're doing a fabulous job. You're one of the greatest announcers in the world. These are the greatest fans in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, and I love them. I am so happy to be here. Things are great in the USWA, and they're just a little bit greater in global. We've got some big news here. All week we have been negotiating. Mike Samples isn't here today. The man is completely wore out because we have acquired one of the greatest tag teams in the world that will now be wrestling under the global banner. My friend, may I present Richard Lee and the Moondogs. They are now global property. Here they come, Richard Lee and the Moondogs, the USWA tag team champions. some businessmen that know how to sit down, do the negotiations, and now I've brought the greatest tag team in the history of professional wrestling. I don't have to fool with USWA anymore. I've got the fine folks at Global Wrestling. They've made me an offer that I can't refuse. I had to go ahead, take my title, and bring them over to the Global, sit down with Bert, sit down with all of the people in the front office. Here's Guy Coffee. Richard Lee, I told you Wednesday, I told you Thursday, and I told you last night. These are the USWA World Tag Team Championship belts. You will defend them in the USWA. You work for the USWA. No, Mr. Coffee, what you don't understand is we won these belts on an open-door policy with the USWA. The folks at Global Wrestling have made me a great offer. There are belts. 
I'm going to take these belts, and I'll defend them any place I want to. I'll take them to the WWF. I'll take them to the NWA. I'll take them to the finest organization in wrestling today, Global. What NWA? And I'll defend my titles any place <laughs> well, I want you to. Know. You or nobody else is going to tell me what to do with my belt. These belts belong to the USWA. You will work for the USWA when we tell you to work for the USWA. This is not the time or the place to discuss this. We'll talk about it later. Well, Please understand, Mr. Coffey, we have a signed contract as of last Thursday. That's right, as of last Thursday. But it, this has all been done on paper, is well, what you're telling me, right? Let me tell you right? something about this man right here, Dave Brown. This is probably one of the smartest people other than myself in wrestling. You put me and Burt Prentice together, and I don't know anybody that would be able to take care of anything in professional wrestling except us two. Bert has finally talked me, and he, he talked a little bit of sense into my head. I've already got the world tag title, all right? What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take Spike, and I'm going to start putting Spike Moondog in single matches. We're going after the world heavyweight title. I'm going to control all of the golden professional wrestling today, Dave Brown. And if you don't think I can't do it, I want you to pay attention to what Spike Moondog is getting ready to do in this ring right now. All right, it's a new day in the USWA. Go global. Well, there's the word from Bert Prentice and Richard Lee and the Moondog. Are right, he's calling for an opponent? Here's Chris Frazier coming out here, and he sends Moondog Spike. Oh no! Frank Morrell calls for the bell. <laughs> we fast forward to uh, the Jared Pitt thing. I thought I had that time stamped as well. Oh yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, I, well. Well, this was this, this was on there, but I thought I forgot there was a match that was going going to be going on. And it's a moon dog against Chris Frazier, so uh, probably pretty <laughs> violent. Let's see. Uh, well, no weapons yet, thankfully, for Chris Frazier. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> okay, he actually took it fairly easy on him. Well, we're not done yet. <laughs> oh, there they go. Okay. Oh, here we go. Here's Jeff. 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 Jeff, and or as uh, David Crockett would call him, Piss! <laughs> yes. Now, I want to get the young man out here. Everybody knows. Talking about Jeff Jarrett. Here he comes right here. And with him, somebody that uh, most wrestling fans also know, Pistol Pez Watley. The two of them together, they're going to be teaming up in USWA action in the days to come here. And we want to take just an opportunity to talk to Jeff and Pez a little bit about the situation which is coming up over the next several days here. So uh, here they oh, are. They actually have a black baby face in the USWA for once. Right there, <laughs> You're right about that. The fans make the USWA. They had them. This wasn't it's regular. There's an awful lot of things going on this week. You know, uh, we just saw what happened about the Moondogs coming mm -hmm. out here. And, and I got a call earlier in the week, and why I want to tell you this, I want to set up and I'm going to give you a little history of what's been happening this past week. You know, there's two sides to wrestling. There's inside the ring what happens, and then outside the ring, sort of, maybe you want to call it politics. Earlier in the week, I got a call from this man right here. Me and Pez go way back. And he wanted to know if I knew what was going on. I said, yeah, Pez, we got, uh, you know, a global situation in here. And he said, well, I want to see if you really know what's going on. Because he got a call from uh, uh, Burt Prentice, uh, whatever, Chris Love, whatever you want. He wants to be called Burt Prentice right now. Well, he got a call from Burt, and Burt was bragging to him and telling about he got the Moondog signed and, and that the USWA titles were no longer under USWA jurisdiction, that they were that maybe going to be called the global titles, that they were just going to steal the belt. 
And then, and then Bert Prentice was saying, Pez, he was trying to uh, sign him up. And he said, no, 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 you know, uh, Pez saw different than that. And then he called me up and let me know what was going on. And then uh, me and him got to talking, and, 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 and Jerry Lawler, they're trying to get his title, so he's tied up, so he really can't go after the tag titles. And, and, and everybody's sort of worried uh, about the politics side of wrestling, trying to make sure that the titles don't leave the USWA, the single and the tag. And Pez got to saying, he said, what we ought to do is, is we ought to just take care of our business inside the ring. So Moondogs and Richard Lee, that's exactly what's going to happen. You've seen boards, you've seen chairs, you've seen chains, but one thing you haven't seen, and that is the one heck of a wrestler. This guy was a two-time state champion amateur. He knows every move in the book. But I know one thing, when me and him team up, and tonight, tonight, we're going to put all the talking aside, and we're going to let our talking be in the ring. So Moondogs and Richard Lee, yeah, you want to call yourself under, uh, what are they, I guess they're employed, they think, now by Google. Well, we're going to find out tonight, boys, because when Pistol Pez Watley and Jeff Jarrett team up, you're going to see new USWA tag champs, right, Pez? That's right, Lil. Ah. Everybody! I want y'all to understand one thing now, because uh, we ain't going to take it away from the home folk. We're going to bring it on back to the home folk. Now, don't nobody want to see y'all stepping out here. We're going to take it away. I got one word for that. Oh, no, 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 no. Ah, 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 ah. today, sucker. I want you to understand, man. crazy how Pez never got a good Memphis run. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was about to say, though, too, is I think if he's a few inches taller and comes along a little bit later at a time where things are not as weird, to use a generous term for black wrestlers, I think think he's someone who could have been a much bigger star than he was. Well, I mean... You think? I mean, he was on national television a lot, though, Picks. I mean, he was on TBS for years. I mean, he was, you know, that he was a major figure in the Jimmy Valiant stuff with with Paul Jones. I mean, I do wonder, though, in some cases, how you know the ICW stuff may have affected it, some feelings towards him. But I mean. They took a lot of the ICW guys in as time went on. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, it is interesting how Pez never got a great run in Memphis. Yeah, but but you get what I'm saying, though? 
charismatic guy, can talk, can work, can handle yeah. himself very well, if needed. Yes. yes. You know, great amateur background. Like, there's so I mean, much the- there that you would think that circumstances were different, including, to some degree, skin color. I think he has a fairly different career. I mean, the thing is, though, is that um, I think, you know, we also got to remember he did have that run in WF where he was the, you know, one of their paid job guys. Their paid high-profile job guys. A fly-in job guy, yes. Like Tim Horner, like Black Bart, Al Perez. Well, was he full-time on the road like they were, though? Um... I don't know if he was full-time on the road, but he was working every TV. Right, those guys that you're talking about were working house shows. Bart kind of was and wasn't. I mean, well, I don't he, know. No, I mean, he absolutely did. There, I mean, Pez had some... I mean, Pez did his things, but... But yeah, I mean, he was... Uh, okay, I'm looking... He was definitely okay, one of those he, guns. He was on the road in 90. Yeah. So, I mean, Pez, Pez had his run there. So he got got his money. Scott yeah. Casey, like doing that type of deal. Yeah, I'm checking when this ends. Yeah, he's he's on the road with them full time for most of 1990. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Jerry Law now. Jerry did an interview on television, argue with Burt Prentice about what Global's trying to do. He didn't claim Prentice didn't even know Marty Gennetti, who no showed Monday, le- legit because of his legal issues, and who showed up on television, but Marty Gennetti. Who told Lawler he was behind the times? Let's go to that clip, shall we? Okay, I have a question real quick, though, before we get to this. Is this Janetti's first appearance in the studio? Like, had he been, or was he there the previous week? I don't think he was there the previous week. So the previous week, they were just like, Marty Janetti's going to be here, and this is the first time he's in the studio. Yeah. He shows up here as a surprise. Lawler didn't think he was going to show up. That's what I mean. All right, right now, I want to get a uh, young man out here. Everybody knows talking about Jeff Jarrett. Here he comes right here. Oh, wait a minute. And- yeah, wait, is that the right clip? Did I, it- did, I do the, did I do the wrong timestamp? You might have. Let me see what the other one is. The Mid-South Coliseum concession stand, no picture necessary. Here is uh, the king right here, Jerry Lawler. Let's, uh, boy, you heard all the stuff he's going got on, on, I'm sure. Well, there are a lot of things going on, and before we talk about tonight, I'm- What is yeah, that? It's some type of artistic design, that's all I can say. Because <laughs> it's like this multicolored flowery thing, but like, then like, from the nipples down and in between, it's like, it's 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 just stark white. It's very peculiar. Very I want to mention a couple of other quick things. Uh, first of all, this afternoon, I'm going to be, you know, it's always a busy weekend. They're always busy for the king. This afternoon, I want to mention to everybody that's in earshot of this and everybody that's in the viewing area, if you want to jump in your car, for this afternoon from 2 o'clock until 5 o'clock, I'm going to be over at Airport Toyota. They're having a big, uh, a big, uh, got your remote over there. Kicks 106 is going to be broadcasting live. I'm going to be there, and I'll have some free tickets over there. Mm, so if you want okay. to come by, tickets for tonight's wrestling. And as you said, the, tonight's a big card, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But I also want to mention that tomorrow, Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow we got that big doubleheader up in Jackson, Tennessee. I think we got three of the guys. Can you get a shot? Here's some of the guys right there from Pizza Inn up there that we're going to be playing. We're going to help raise Pizza some money in. for the Jackson Senior Baseball League up there. 
and uh, want to invite everybody out. And the first 200 people get free ticket to Monday night, next Monday night's wrestling uh, up there in Jackson, Tennessee. So uh, that's going to be tomorrow afternoon. And I understand that Eddie Gilbert and Brian Christopher are going to play for these guys' team over there. Well, I got news for you. There may be more than a softball battle going on out there at Toad Bailey Field tomorrow in Jackson, but I'm looking forward to that. But the exciting news is about tonight. Saturday night, right here in Memphis, Tennessee, Mid-South and this Unified World Heavyweight Championship. Well, now, let me let me explain one more time in case the people out there are, are not really picking up on what's going on, because this is a very, very serious situation. Last week, Mike Sample, one of the heads of, from the Global Wrestling Federation, is down here. He's got this well, that's all saying another guy with the Global Wrestling Federation down here. And what they have in mind, what they have, what they have as their big master plan, is that they want to do a basically a hostile takeover of the USWA. Now the USWA is very near and dear to my heart, as it should be to these wrestling fans, because that's a promotion that has brought wrestling to Memphis, Tennessee, for how many years, Dave? Long, long, long time. Long time. That's right, a long time. And what these guys have in mind doing. Let me just explain something real quickly here. What probably a lot of people don't realize how good we have it as far as wrestling goes right here in Memphis. Do you realize that this show that you're watching, what, look at that, it's right now it is 10.20, five seconds, that's six seconds after 10.20 in the morning. This is a live wrestling show. This is, this is the last, the one and the only and the last live wrestling show in the entire world. Not just in the United States, but in the entire world. This is the only live wrestling show that there is anywhere. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you. It is more expensive to produce a live wrestling show. It is a lot more trouble. It is, it is a little risky. Because what you what I mean you what what you see is what you get. If somebody comes out here and uh, has a slip of the tongue, or if somebody as has happened in the past, their uh, uh, dress might get pulled up or something, you're going to see it because it's live. It's not like the rest of these shows where they go out and they tape them about two or three months in advance, and then they take the shows back to the studio, and they edit out what they don't want the people to see, and they edit in some extra crowd noise because people are sitting there on their hands watching some dull matches, and then they show these tapes. Well, let me tell you something. That is what the global people want you to see right here. They want to come in here and they want to put a tape on Channel 5. They want to take off this live wrestling show and they want to put a tape from Texas or somewhere on this station at this time. And they want to not have wrestling every Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum. Because, quite frankly, as has happened, in, uh, you know, as they think it's progress. But if you look around the country, there aren't many cities that have wrestling events every single week. Your WWF, your NWAs, your Globals, what they do is they only go to a wrestling town when it's profitable for them, when the bottom line means that they can make a lot of money. So what they do is they stay out of a town for a long time, three, four, maybe six months, and then they go in, one big show, bang, they get a lot of people to come out, and then they say, hey, we made a lot of money, but let's forget that town for another six months. Well, that's what Global wants to do here. They don't want to have weekly wrestling events. Well, let me tell you something. I like wrestling the way it's been here in Memphis, Tennessee. I like a live wrestling show. I like wrestling every Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum. And that's the way I want it to stay. Now, this jerk, Burt Prentice, talking about tonight, he has gone out and he says that Marty Jannetty is supposed to be here to try to take this unified title back to Global. 
Well, Marty Jannetty, let me tell you something about Marty Jannetty. Everybody has watched Marty Jannetty. He's been a world tag team champion with WWF. Marty Jannetty is a fine wrestler. I got all the respect in the world for Marty Jannetty. He is a true championship caliber competitor. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't think Burt Prentice even knows Marty Jannetty. What he's got in mind is having me prepare for Marty Jannetty and then showing up with some global jerk like Steve Dane like he did last week. And then he's going to try to run a ringer in and he's going to try to scam us out of the title. Now, come on out here, Burt. Jerry, it's great to see you, my friend. We're going to have to get you. It's not great to see you. Do you understand that? It's not great to see you. It's not great to have you here. And it's not... What, what is not great is for you to come out here all smiles and trying to act like you're friends to me and all of these wrestling fans. When what? No, you don't love them. What you want to do is you want to take over this company. Why don't you tell the truth about it? Why are you so hostile to me and Global? Because I know what you're trying to do. That's why. I can read you better than I can read a commercial appeal. You understand that? I know what you're doing. Well, I want to be your friend. If you don't want to be mine, that's fine. I do want to tell the people, Jerry Lawler, just come out here for seven, eight minutes and told more lies than I've ever heard in my life. First of all, we adore these people. We are here for the fans. Now, you've been running your mouth about Marty Jannetty in just a few short hours, Jerry Lawler. You're going to see if Marty Jannetty's here or not. Oh, yeah, they're right. Just like last week. Marty Jannetty was supposed to be here. You come. Oh, he hurt his ankle, right? He had a twisted ankle, so he couldn't show up. I don't think, you know, like I said, Marty Jannetty is a top star. I've never seen Marty Jannetty wrestle in the global organization. I think that you're just sticking that name out of the air, and what you're trying to do is have me prepare for him and then run a Steve Dane or who's some of the other slugs you got down that global organization, trying to run them in, and you, with their help, trying to scam me out of the title and take it back to global. And I don't think you even know Marty Gennetti. You think you know Marty Mr. Lawler, I, I, I want to be your friend, and I hate to embarrass you, but of all these people, I don't know Marty Gennetti. Marty, come on up, my friend. I want to introduce you to Mr. Jerry Lawler, the supposed world champion, my friend. Well, that is Marty Gennetti. Uh, it's Marty Gennetti looking better than ever, my friend. You know, Jerry Lawler, first of all, I want to say, good to see you. You are a good wrestler. Now, I hear you back there running your mouth about Global taking over this place. You know, uh, think about it, you are living in the past. The way you guys do things here is history. You need to move up back to the future. But you know, you're crying about all this global taking over, and the truth is you're scared. You're scared of what's going to happen to you tonight. You know. Because, see, you are Memphis. You are the king of this place. And you people hold it down so I can get my t-shirt, huh? Yeah, that's what I mean. This is history. All of you are history. You're living in the past. But you have got something, Jerry Lawler, that every wrestler wants. Every wrestler would love to own a place like you own Memphis. Every wrestler would love to stay at home and wrestle and defend titles like you have for your whole life. It's been a cakewalk. The road was paid for you. You've never had to do like everybody else. Go out on the road and kick butts and take names and try to make something for yourself. No, everything's been handpicked for you. Right here in your backyard. And you know good and well 
With somebody like me, a wrestler of the 90s, the future, not the history like this place, is going to come in here, is going to take that title from you, and you're going to have to do like everybody else that's on the road every night. You're going to have to go out there, and whether it be global or anywhere else, you're going to have to chase after titles out of your backyard, and I don't think you'll be the kingfish then. Let me just say this, Marty Gennetti. I got to tell you right now, I had a lot of respect for you up until the last few minutes because I can see now that you've been brainwashed by this jerk and by Mike Samples and by all the rest of the idiots with the global organization. And let me say this. No, I'm not scared and I'm not shaking. But I'm going to tell you what I know. I know that if this belt right here gets in the hands of the global organization, that you can kiss the USWA goodbye, or we can kiss it goodbye. And so I realize that tonight, and every time I step in the ring with this belt at stake, that I'm not just wrestling for this belt, and I'm not just wrestling for me, I'm wrestling for the USWA and for wrestling for all of these fans right out here. And if you think, Marty Gennetti, and if you think, Bert Prentice, that this is going to be a cakewalk to waltz into my backyard, you're right. It has been nice to be able to wrestle in Memphis, Tennessee, and to have these fans out there to support me every week, and to have all the top contenders in the world have to come to me. That has been nice. And I don't want to lose that. Do you understand me? So if you think it's going to be a cakewalk to come here and take this belt and to take the USWA away from here. I've heard enough of your stuff. Listen up. You ain't heard all of it yet. Tonight, care about you. These people have been walking behind you the whole way. Well, I tell you what, you people with him. That's all. I guess all of Memphis is with him. Well, all of you are going down tonight. You got that? No more tape off for you. And I know you're scared. It's just a few short hours away, Jerry Lawler. It's almost over, ladies and gentlemen. It's almost over. We're going to treat you right. It's tonight, all right. Eight o'clock is when it all begins at the Mid-South Coliseum, Mr. Prentice. If you will escort Mr. Gennetti out here, it's tonight. It's global against the USWA. Eight o'clock at the Mid-South Coliseum. Don't miss this one, fans. Big double main event coming up here. Uh, Bert? Yeah. I got news for both of you jerks. If you think I'm scared, if you guys feel froggy, just jump on the king and I'll show you how scared I am. And I promise you this. Yeah, go up there, put on your little show. I got news for you. Genetic. Come on, Jerry. Come on, Jerry. Wait till tonight. See if we can get Hey, it's two against one. You got Prentice over here in the yeah, corner. Be careful, him. King. I tell you, Jerry, he, he won't back down from any, anyone. Looks like we may have a, a championship. Got an unscheduled match, yeah. looks like. Oh, Lawler. Now Janetti maybe changes his mind, huh? What's wrong here, Bert? He doesn't want to wrestle, it looks like. It's a game of fight. Jerry Lawler, it's almost over. Can you feel it in the air in Memphis? I can feel it on the street. It's almost over. I don't... Oh, I tell you what may almost be over. The takeover attempt by Global may almost be That's over. Right. I don't see Jerry Lawler backing up a step, but I do see... Oh, come on. He was in the ring, and he ran out of the ring. That's right. right look at him. Yeah, trying to sneak in behind his back what he's trying to do. 
And then when the king turns around, Jannetty suddenly decides he needs to be somewhere else. Let's get him out of Yeah, we'll see. Almost over. Memphis, your history. It will be tonight. Yeah, county hours till the Coliseum at 8 o'clock. Back here in a moment. That was a very interesting segment, wasn't it? It was long. <laughs> I know, but th- that was a lot of interesting stuff talked about in that. I mean, Lawler exposing a lot of the inside stuff regarding TV tapings yes. and stuff. And, and then you had Janetti basically speaking truths, you know, about Lawler there. You know, I mean... It, I just I watched this recently. I'm like, wow, this is a it, very intriguing segment here. Yeah. With stuff that's being said. And Jeanette's doing a pretty solid job on the mic here. Yeah. But, yeah, pulling that, you know, I mean, just the, the, this law talking about the TV tapings. I mean, that, that is just some. that was just something. And dubbing in crowd noise. And... Yeah. All right. They went to the Miss of Coliseum that night. And so normal night and drew eighteen hundred fans, which about double the normal weekly crowd. And that's something. Jeff Daniels beat Tony Falk in your opener. The Power Twins beat the Psycho and the Gambler. Candyman, Rich B. Fine beat the man of the nineties, Warren Bianchi. Hey, Stephen Dane worked a show beating Cat. You have Garrett. the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. Brian Christopher retained the Southern title, beating Billy Joe Travis. Moondog Spite beat Trade Keller. That has to be Trey Keller, right? I guess. Spawn Cujo went to WDQ with Jeff Jarrett and Pispez Watley. Gilbert retained what is Bill's a global title, pinning King Cobra. And Lawler kept USWA title beating Janani by disqualification. Now, Torch noted, and then, of course, we don't have this because we don't have the uh, commercials, but it says, during the USWA Wrestling Academy commercial, the narrator's running down various things taught to school as scenes air of wrestlers working out. And when he gets the personality projection, the scene has Jeff Jarrett lifting weights. Oops. Huh? <laughs> That's weight. <laughs> What's his point there? That they Jeff's should not... show him like cutting a promo? Or is he saying Jeff doesn't have personality? Or... No, he's saying Jeff's lifting weights. He's saying it should have been another clip? I... It should have been somebody that was... It, sh- it should have been Jeff lifting weights that they showed. What he's trying to say, because Jeff's not a big man. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Because Jeff had that rep, and that's another thing Jeff had in the newsletters of being that small guy. Hmm. So. All right, well, I'll tell you something that ain't small. Big D. They ran in Dallas on May 24, for 123 fans. As the California stud went to double count out with Stephen Dane. Hey. And Big D. Hey. Hurricane Mike pinned Billy Joe Travis. John Tatum kept his Big D title, beating uh, Gary Young by disqualification. Well, if you're going to give anyone the Big D title <laughs> in Big D, there are worse choices than Hollywood John Tatum. <laughs> well, what what kind of gear he was wearing? Uh, that's the thing. Well, he was uh, wearing the long tights a lot in this era. 
He I know, so he wasn't wearing the short tights, which insinuated his big D. Um, Blackbirds beat the Broadway bully, Sean Stevens, and Sweet Daddy Falcone. And the main event saw Big D himself, Gary Sturdivant, the promoter, beat Animal to win the light heavyweight title thanks to help from John Tatum. Manager Freddie Fargo challenged Tatum to set up a tag match on May 31st with Tatum and Big D going against Fargo and Animal with a light heavyweight title at stake, whomever scores a pinfall. Hmm. I wonder who sent in this uh, report to the Observer. Oh, hey, speaking of which. Freddie Fargo ran a show on May 28th in San Angelo, Texas. As Chaz Taylor beat Jimmy James. Then we had Savage Sherry. That's fantastic. A female wrestler. uh, Sherry Cliff, a female powerlifter, beating Los Tito, both in their first front matches. That's a man versus woman match. Tubboat Taylor went to double countout with King Stomper, Gary Vines. Terry Sims beat Lex Gretler, Jeff Gretler. The California Connection, John Taylor, Rob Rice beat the Goodfellas, Stephen Dane and Gary Young. And Chaz won a battle royal. Fargo and Sims did a lot of local PR work, including appearing in sit schools, delivering anti-gang and anti-gun messages. Hey, Dave, I did a lot of local PR work. <laughs> <laughs> told kids to stay out of gangs and stuff. I guess John McAdams should have been more like Freddy Fargo, huh? <laughs> Let's stay in Big D. Let's go to Global. The Big real D Global is Federation. in Dallas, yes. Yeah, the real Global Wrestling Federation. Not the Memphis version. Max Andrews, who owns and operates the GWF, was informed on May 25th that the $1 per paid admission rent had been raised to a flat rate, which was undisclosed, was said to be a substantial increase. The Friday night show in Dallas, 275 fans total. Andrews reportedly told the wrestlers on Friday that they would continue to run shows every week in Dallas and take television no matter how low the attendance dropped. GWF is currently averaging a .4 rating on ESPN during the weekday afternoon time slots, which is down some 65 to 70% from the early days of GWF on ESPN. And also well below the ratings that Jerry Jarrett garnered during his run the weekday spot on the network. Yeesh. Man. Yeah. I mean... Well, Eddie's just finished up, so like the, the quality of the shows hasn't completely fallen off a cliff yet. Yeah, but the ratings have. Yeah. Um, Also, you see the stuff about the rent. Honestly, no wonder that when Gray Pearson comes in shortly after this, he's like, you know what? Wait a second. You're giving me control of the concessions. Why don't I just try to get people in here for free and make money on the concessions? Yeah. And it worked. Which... It's also one of those things, you know, we talked about this a little on the Patreon show, in a manner speaking, but, like, there is stuff that gets made fun of back in the day in the newsletters. And then years and years later, you hear kind of the inside story from someone who was there, and you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Which, in this case, was... Gray Pearson was not trying to draw paid crowds. It was that the tenant of this auditorium controlled the concessions i think the parking yep. too right uh yeah that sounds right so especially once it's a flat rate and you have to structure things differently instead of the dollar a ticket rent it made sense get as many people in the building as possible and you know 
give them some salty popcorn so they buy a drink. I mean, you know, make have them buy salty popcorn, then they keep buying drinks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, don't forget the French fries, Bix. Thank you, uh, Stunning Steve Austin. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that was put over in the what, put over in the promos uh, sometimes yeah. about the French fries at the Sportatoria. Yeah. Remember that John Brazil's uh, yes big thing. Yes, so. that was, yeah. Who like Meltzer explaining? Oh, it should be. It's probably confusing to the fans that all of a sudden John Brazil is uh, being put on TV as the matchmaker when they know him better as the guy who runs the snack stand. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, the guy in Tupelo was the uh, <laughs> the guy that ran the cassette stands in the building. Herman Schaefer. Herm, yeah. So. All right, well, let's let's read this card and you see why the ratings are dropping. May 29th at the Sports Room, 175 fans. For a car promoted as the Night of Global Gold. Global Force Gold? Aww. Complete results saw Booker T of the tag team called the Ebony Experience beat Sean Stevens by DQ in the Beats Bully. Stacy Porto. Alex put the Pope Porto interfering. Well, well, no, 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 no. He's putting that because, I guess... No, also, the Beats Bully is... Is not Alex Porto, but Stacy Porto is Alex's real name. Yeah, but still, but the he's Beach not Stacy here. The, isn't the Beach Bully? I thought the Beach Bully is Sean Stevens. No, no, the Beach Bully was Alex Porto Porto. Well, also, it has a tag team beating one person when Porto interferes. Well, he's of the tag. Team. Oh no, it's Booker T of the tag team. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I missed that. Okay. Chas Taylor, Romania, Mike Davis, and the Village Travis attempt to interference backfire. The Goodfellas, Gary Young, Stephen Dane, beat The Connection, Rob Price, John Tatum, and Young Penn Tatum. The Ebony Experience, no relation to the Steve Ray, Steve Ray, no relation to the Steve Ray from Kansas City. I would hope. I mean, I would think that. But. Beat the Beach Boy, Sean Summers, and the Beach Bully, Alice Porto. Okay, Sean Summers, not to be confused with Sean Stevens. Then came a one-night tournament crown new light heavyweight champion. Since the last champion, Danny Davis won't be coming back. Terry Sims. Billy Joe Travis, Chess Taylor, three guys in and around Robin. Simmons pinned Travis. Simmons then Russell Taylor. Then one with Taylor injured his leg, couldn't continue. Chaz forfeited his match to Travis, but it didn't matter since Sims had won both his matches and he became the champion. Also, while Bill Irwin beat Gary Young by DQ and Johnny Mattel interfered, Sims beat Manny at Mike by DQ and Manny at Mike hit the referee. Tubboat Taylor and Dewey, the former awesome Kong, real name Dwayne McCullough, beat Beach Boy and Beach Bully. By count out. And if I saw Scott Putsky win the vacated GWF North American title, formerly held by Eddie Gilbert, who never dropped the title before leaving the promotion, beating Johnny Mantell when Wobbler and Trip Mantell to lead to the pen. Wait a second. I thought, I thought Awesome Kong was uh, Texas Terminator Haas. Well, it's Dewey at this point in time. Okay. Sam Houston no showed the card and is presumed to be history, which will leave no out of town talent left with the promotion. Oh, you think? <laughs> that was by design. <laughs> exactly. They want no, no more fly-ins or drive-ins. All right, let's go to the WWA. The debut of WWA Wrestling Reseda, California for a six-week run on, two, on Thursday nights at the Reseda Country Club on May 29th. Wasn't successful. Drawing a crowd of about 40 fans. They run again this coming Thursday, and they're cutting tickets down $2 per head. Although that isn't the answer, using mainly Tijuana-based wrestlers. This is uh, promotion on his Mora, WWA. Yes, and this is the venue that uh, UWF ran. 
and receipts. And this is two days. And this is two days before their next show at Cal State Los Angeles, which is on thirty first. We should talk about on another episode between the sheets. That's the so Onita they, show. Yeah. Uh, May thirty first. I think so. Yeah, I think he was on that show. Yeah. The big story, though, in the other uh, territories during our week is the end of an era. The man who has almost surely been involved in pro wrestling business longer than anyone in the history of the profession called it quits Saturday night. Don Owen, the 80-year-old promoter of pro wrestling in Oregon, made a tearful announcement before just 80 fans at the Portland Sports Arena that the May 30th show would be his last as a promoter. Saturday ended 68 years of involvement in pro wrestling by Don Owen, who started as a teenager helping out his father, Herb Owen, back in 1925 when Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb ruled baseball. Jack Dempsey and Stringer Lewis were the kings of boxing and wrestling, respectively. The NFL was a fledgling, barnstorming league, and the NBA was more than two decades away from being formed. Owen and his brother Elton took over the Oregon Territory after their father passed away, and Don became the main man as years went by. It seemed inevitable when Owen was able to land a new TV station for after a long time station KBTV canceled a Saturday night show in '91. That was spelled the end for the man who called himself the last of the Mohicans in his farewell speech. However, the timing of it came as a surprise to almost everyone involved, although it was expected it would occur. The retirement of Owen doesn't spell the end to Oregon Regional Circuit as Sandy Barr, who had run most of the spot in town's recent years, along with being a referee in Portland, will be taken over with the help of his son Jesse. The time of the retirement was most likely due to it being a choice of whether Don could continue as promoter, but with no television in the future, or whether he would turn it over to just or Sandy Barr, who had worked out a Japanese deal and a television deal, which gave the promotion at least hopes for a breath of new life. Don was gracious in t- talking with Barr, who had been maneuvered behind the scenes to get full control of the circuit, which would be renamed Championship Wrestling USA. Barr is very close to a deal with Channel 32 in Portland, which would improve the local television coverage from the public access station in Portland, which saw crowds dwindle from a few hundred a week down to below 100 in recent weeks, even with kids allowed in for free. Owen blamed his departure in cryptic terms on the problems that Tom Peterson, the longtime sponsor of the program who declared bankruptcy in 1991, suffered in attempting to compete with the WWF. The WF offered Channel 12 a syndicated show there in place of Portland Wrestling on Saturday night, which inevitably spelled the doom for Don. KPTV had been paying the weekly production costs for Portland Wrestling without Peterson's sponsorship, and with the decline in television ratings, they made the show a losing proposition for the station. The negotiations with WF for the slot made the decision easier because the station could keep airing pro wrestling in a traditional slot on Saturday nights. Basically, Owen said he could no longer compete with the big boys. He had a great run. It was time to step aside. When announcing Barr's new promoter, with Barr then announced his retirement as a referee, Don said, I hope Sandy can make a go of it because I don't want to see our style of wrestling die. The few regulars who were still attending were very emotional during his goodbye speech. The May 30th car drew 80 fans, and that's including kids who admitted free, when the crowd held down because of the Rose Festival, since Rose Festival time is traditionally the time the smallest crowds in Portland anyway. Results of the show saw the promotion change philosophy. We all saw the change promotion philosophy as Alma drilled into a 20 minute draw Brickhouse Brown. Ron Harris beat Bart Sawyer. When Don Harris came down, hit Sawyer with a gimmick. Don Harris went to a 30 minute draw with Jesse Barr. And after the match, Jesse asked for five minutes more. And they went the five minutes in a 1960s style match with tight mat wrestling. The grappler no showed his tag title match, no explanation given, nor announcement made about tag titles. So Steve Dahl winning against both Colonel De Beers and John Rambo for 15 minutes until Brown came down to save Dahl and got Dahl disqualified. 
The main event saw Ryuma Go and Masika Takasugi beat Matt Might Winner and Matty Irakura when Go made Irakura submit in more than 20 minutes of a solid but unspectacular Japanese-style match. The fans really didn't know what to make of the main events as there were no heels involved. What a final match on a Don Owen show. Holy shit. Well, we know and you would think Itakura as Hiroshi Itakura. Okay, but I mean, you would—I mean, you would think that on Don's last show that they would put on a main event to send the fans home happy. You would think, but yeah, this is this is the end of an era. Sandy Bar continues with Championship Wrestling USA, but it is by no means the same as Portland Wrestling. No. And I also, you know, we'll get to this in a minute or two, but I didn't realize that the public action show was not being taped at a sports arena, though. Yeah. It was being taped at Uncle Milt's Pizza, as we'll get to. Um, How about Don Harris? Wait, was it Ron or Don? Uh, Yeah, Don. Don. a 35-minute 60s-style mat wrestling match with Jesse Barr. Who would have thought? Yeah. And the last match, the last match on a show ever promoted by Don Owen had Ultra Seven teaming for three of them ago. Yeah, but Portland Wrestling is um, one. Of the, you know, it's just one of the all-time great promotions, and it was unique and just it was fantastic. And it makes so much sense that so many guys homesteaded that territory too, because. You know, until things really started to go downhill, if you like the lifestyle of that area, why would you ever want to leave? You're working for someone who is paying so much more than any other small territory promoter. There's a small roster, so you know you will always have a good spot. If you like that lifestyle with the hunting and the fishing and whatever in that part of the country... And, you know, unless you feel like, you know, you're getting stale, certainly, which happens in wrestling, you need to get time away, though. Why would you ever want to leave? Well, the missing thing, the ones that left would always come back. Yeah. Always. And the ones who didn't come back regularly, they lived there anyway, like Piper. <laughs> but, good lord, I mean, that's... Look at him there, though. You know, I mean, hell, he fucking booked. Yeah. You know, it's the only place he booked. And did a good job. Very good job. I mean, it was him and Len Denton. They were teams. But, but Yeah, but still. And, you know... Piper, Piper, Piper was like the point man for a lot of it, and Denton did all the, the grunt work. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I think about the most with this, and, you know, losing that kind of territory is... Trying to remember if it was when Don Owen won the Observer Hall of Fame or oh, oh, I think it was when Buddy Rose died in the obituary in the Observer. Dave laying out just why Portland was the perfect territory for a young wrestler to go to to get experience because it goes along with some of the stuff I just said. There is a small roster, so you know you are going to get a push and TV time. And learn how to work longer TV style matches and do promos and all the and work a program. Like you know that. If you get a spot there, you know that you are getting that. And there are these veterans around for you to learn from always, because there's always gonna be someone like a Buddy Rose or whatever around. 
And be the, if you're learning how to book, you need to learn how to get creative because you have a small crew and you need to learn how to keep programs going and stuff. Like it, it wouldn't have worked everywhere, but it was a very special place in the wrestling business. Well, there were, I mean, the promotions that come to mind there are like that. Portland, Calgary, Southeastern, and Memphis. And Memphis did not keep the small crew, though, that necessarily the, that the other three did. Uh, not as small. small. Crew. Not as small, though, it was like a Portland, Southeastern, or Calgary. They had small crew. Did Memphis ever have like a 12 to 15, a 12 wrestler roster, though, or anything like that? I don't think so. I mean, this. <laughs> There's different times and places. I mean, in Memphis, that had bigger crews, but there were times there when they they didn't have a whole lot. They did, like it's early 1980. You know, they have a very small crew, and it's noticeable on TV. When like you yeah, know, you have I mean, guys like Jerry Ralph winning squashes all of a sudden. Like, okay, I'm just just randomly gonna find something here. Right, I'm looking at April 90, April 82. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen wrestles on Mid South Coliseum show. Okay. Yeah. And they're not and they're not running two towns on Monday nights. Not at that time. And I mean certainly not at that time. No. Yeah. So Yeah, but and yeah. that's what why that's why those smaller territories though have that track record of the before they were stars thing. Because exactly. it's where you knew you had a pretty decent chance of being able to really learn how to do TV and programs and all that right off the bat. You know, mm -hmm. if you end up, you end up in Crockett, you're getting as a prelim guy, you're getting good money for a prelim guy, and you're gonna be learning, but you're just gonna be but a it's prelim such a big guy. territory. Yeah, you're a prelim guy in a big territory. I mean, it's then you got to look at the size of the territory too. I don't know Portland. Portland is it was a major city now. It wasn't as big back then. No, but I mean, Portland, Memphis, you know, I mean, Birmingham, Calgary, yeah. you know, small markets, small markets. Yeah, I guess the and Mid South and think with Mid South. Mid South was full of small markets, but it was just so big. It was spread out. Yes. Now, I guess the the biggest market to have a small territory would be, so to speak, would be Dallas, right? At least pre-world class. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because they had that kind of small crew, too. Well, Texas, Texas was so spread out yeah. because you had Bosch running Houston. You had Blanchard running San Antonio. You had whoever's running West Texas, Stephon, Mulligan, Murdoch. You know, so it was so spread out. Yeah. And until the split, though, all of those other than West Texas were the same territory. Same territory, but different promoters. But yeah, same. And different same, TV. Yeah. You know, same, uh, same talent that was going that was going through. But yeah. But, but anyway, I mean, it's just yeah. Portland wrestling was a, just a, a great, great territory. Great television, just ahead of their time in a lot of ways as far as angles and stuff. And 
Yeah, and Don Owen was the perfect guy to be the front man for. Tom Peterson was a tremendous partner for them in every way. So, yeah, when Tom Peterson wasn't able to do it anymore, I mean, yeah, that was definitely the, the end, pretty much. Yeah. All right, so what's the future hold for him? Well, there was no longer be shows at Uncle Milt's Pizza in Vancouver. Yeah, not Milt from Bachelor Party, but Uncle Milt. And it's Vancouver, uh, Washington, not Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, yeah, Vancouver, Washington. We're there taping the Public Access Television show. The final show aired this past weekend was taped on May 26. Sandy Barshall's Portland show, in, in order to have a television show for the weekend, was taped on June 1st in Portland. With seated on Brickhouse Brown versus Crone the Beards, John Rambo, and Rumigo and Itakura against the Harris twins, with all seats free and general mission, and five off spring sides away to boost the crowd from the deaths that has fallen. It is expected Barr will move the cards regularly to Monday, so probably after this week we'll go back to Saturday. However, the cancellation of the weekly shop, stop at Uncle Milt's is another regular spot show down the drain. All the rest who work here have regular day jobs anyway, but this week there are two only two cars during the week. So, yeah, yeah. so I'm curious, like, because the Japanese guys were here for a while, weren't they? So are they working day jobs? Uh, they probably aren't. <laughs> but they're not in for just a quick stop, though. They are here for a while. Yeah, but I thought they're working day jobs. Are you sure Ryuma goes not working at a uh, Piper and Lynn Denton's uh, auto body shop? Uh, well, Lynn Denton's down the territory, so I don't know. But... Well, no, he still lived yeah. there at the time. I know, but still. He's just basically done with wrestling for the time being. Yes. But anyway, like I said, the end of an era. Portland Wrestling. All right, let's close out with World Championship Wrestling. Bill Watts' first television shows, which will be in charge of, will be June 1st and June 2nd at Center Stage, and expect him to make a major speech announcing various changes on the first show. That show airs on TBS on June the 20th. Don't expect any real changes in direction until July at the earliest, however. Watts said his first priorities are to build back television ratings because you can't get viewers back to the arenas unless they first watch the television. Concentrate in particular on rebuilding attendance at the Omni and put together a product in which the credibility and believability holds up as a total contrast to the WF. Watts did also say the anti-steroid doctrine and eventual testing came from TBS itself, so the policy won't be changing with Kip Fry out of the picture. From a serious standpoint, there would be a day of reckoning with certain wrestlers, and we all know who they are, are told point blank they have to either get off the juice or find a new place to go. And since those are some of the guys in line for the biggest pushes, well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> because we're going to get into it here. One of the guys that's in the company now that's getting a push is Hercules Hernandez as Super Invader. You mean the guy who used to cut promos in Mid-South about being on steroids? <laughs> yeah, and he ain't natural at this time period. That's for damn sure. Was but, he ever? Yeah. I think the most natural he ever looked was in Mid-South. He was probably still on steroids, but right, no, he wasn't... He wasn't freakish aside from his traps, which were something – with him, it wasn't just a steroid thing. Like he, It was a thing he consciously wanted to get big because he was a huge Don Morocco fan. Yeah, and he always had them. 
Yeah. You watch, you watch, you know, rookie Herc, and he had him. But there are other ones too that that you could probably guess. So, all right, WCW just fast week. Uh, all received a letter officially and this is the new rules, most of which had either been previously speculated upon here or talked about in previous announcements to the wrestlers when Bill Watts appeared at a house show a few weeks back in Savannah, Georgia. Anyway, effective on June 1st, the rules of the Ten Commandments by the wrestlers go as follows. Use of the ring barricades and ring posts is forbidden and will also be caused for an automatic disqualification. Wrestling outside the ring is discouraged. Absolutely no low blows. First offense, $1,000 fine. Second offense, $2,500 fine. Third offense is a $5,000 fine. And we consider a breach of contract. If a wrestler is hit low, he is to make every effort not to sell the move as a low blow. All wrestlers are due in the building one hour before the scheduled starting time of the show, with the fines again being implemented for being late at $1,000, $2,500, and $5,000 breach of contract. Missing an event, except in the case of most severe injuries, is considered a breach of contract. The only excusable exception to this rule is an act of God. Wrestlers who are injured and can't perform are still spending the town in order to show the fans that WCW are no longer falsely advertised talent. The only exception would be a crippling injury, which doesn't allow for traveling. Talking of the PA during the show is to be discouraged. Lewd hand gestures are prohibited, as is any cursing loud enough for the audience to hear. Fraternization between heels and baby faces in public is not acceptable. This includes traveling together to and from the arena, public appearances at restaurants, even to the gym. This also includes facing heels, socializing together in social situations in the gym. You know, with how fraternization is used uh, as a word generally in workplace situations more recently, this does kind of age in a funny way because it's basically like, okay, wrestlers do not have sex with each other in public. <laughs> well, as far as, you know, in today's climate, but... Yeah, and back then, it's a different uh, meaning. Yes. No guests are allowed in the dressing room, including family members, media, etc. Each wrestler is allowed two complimentary tickets to each show for friends and family. Any number of tickets above that number must be purchased at face value by the wrestler. All right, let's uh, let's go down this list here before we get to Dave's thoughts on the list. Yes, so... All right. I have a question. Well, go when, on, let's go going. Oh, well, I'm going. I'm going order, but go no, ahead. No, but I have a question more broadly. When we went over these previously with Prazak, that was what the unofficial list before this. That was when I think that was the week that they in, instituted the, the rules. The week after our week. Okay. Because Watts has the big meeting in the locker room. Gotcha. Where he talks, where he goes over this list. Yeah, I'm checking real quick to see what episode that is. Because I want to say we did that in the last couple of years, maybe, or is it really that long ago? Let's see. It's been that long ago, probably. Okay, so with the 92 shows we've done with him, yeah, it was a while ago. We did September 25th to October 1st. We did April 20th, April, excuse me, 17th to 23rd. Okay, we well, did May we did, 10th okay. to 16th, and that was, okay, that was so 95, so that was a long time ago, so that must have been it. Show 40, no, show 46. Show 46 was May 31st through June 6th. That's not that coming was the up week. when I put Prazak's name in the search. He went on the, she went on that show. So it has to be the May 10th to 16th thing when they were unofficially coming out. Or it was just, or it just came up in a discussion about Watts more broadly, I guess. I so, guess. So anyway, 
where do you want to start here? Just go down the list. Let's go down the line. All right. So number one, all right. So we got the use of ring barricades and ring posts forbidden and will be caused for automatic disqualification. I mean, I can see that one both ways in the sense of like, why wouldn't it be a DQ? But I mean, they had kind of been a DQ. I guess it, I guess, the, guess this point is when it's really starting to get away from being a DQ, right? Uh, yeah. Because I feel like I mean, that it's kind become of thing, emphasized. Yeah, I feel like that kind of thing was still a DQ in most of wrestling until like ninety. It just wasn't something that was used a whole hell of a lot. Well, that's the other thing too. Like, it's not like it's being done that much. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. No. This, as far as these rules go, this is like one of the lesser ones. But yeah. All right, wrestling outside the ring is discouraged. It's, I mean, yeah. You want to make sure that if someone's doing it in a main event, they're not doing it earlier. Exactly. That's that's where you need to draw the line there. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have this happen in a main event type match, you don't need it happening in the opening match. Right. So, I would say discouraged. I mean, except when it's needed. All right, here we go. The, the no blows and the, the no low blows and the uh, fines and breach of contract okay. at the third offense. The fines and breach of contract are ridiculous. I don't think we need to yeah, get that deep into that. It's very, very ridiculous. But here's the thing that's always thrown me about this. In WCW in 1992... Or really anywhere in mainstream American wrestling for at least several years before that. Who was doing low blows other than the stuff that's plausibly deniable as a low blow like an inverted atomic drop or the Bret Hart headbutt anyway? It, it was extremely rare. So where is this coming from? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean... I mean, look, you know more about this kind of granularity than me. Until, like... Attitude Era, Monday Night War, there were not many blatant low blows in TV wrestling at all, right? No, very, no, 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 no. It was, it was very rare. So, I've always found that weird. Like, without seeing the TV or seeing detailed results, I always found the stuff where Bret Hart talks about the family arguing with Bruce about how he's booking Stampede because there's too many low-blow finishes. Like, I've always wanted a better understanding of what Bruce is doing in, you know, like, 80 or 81 or whenever that was. Because... Well, the thing is, is and it, it, well, the thing we think of low-blows as, you know, the fouls in Lucha. You know, the drop on the knees and, you know, go with the arm up. You know, it... <sighs> It was kind of more different back in these days, a low blow being more of a kick to the balls or. But no like one was the, doing uh, that. It happened. It happened. But, it but you would have this. Yeah, but you would have this situation where the guy, you know, had the guy on the mat on his back and he was holding his legs and then stomped him in the groin. You know, that type of thing was a low blow. But the stomp, but I you, feel like, goes with see, the. Yeah, I but you like, didn't see. You didn't see, like I said, you didn't see the drop to the knees, arm right up. You didn't see Right, that. I get what you're saying. No one is selling it explicitly as a ball shot, regardless. 
No. And it's why, okay, the perfect example. That's why the spot in the very first war games where Dusty drops down and just punches Arn as hard as he can in the balls was one of the most famous spots of that whole deal because that shit didn't happen. And right. that told you that this, this match was something different. Yes. That he would do something like that, that, you know, that blatant. It gave it the gravitas of th- this match. This, this, this is whatever you got to do to win. Right. And with what you were saying with the stomp, though, I feel like the stomp goes with the inverted atomic drop or the headbutt where it's like, are they hitting the inner thigh? Are they hitting the tailbone? Are they hitting the abdomen? Like, that's borderline. Again, it was generally not being sold as a low blow. The only thing I can think of besides getting crotched on the ropes or the turnbuckle that was sold consistently as a nut shot was, like, the Arn Anderson test of strength knuckle lock and landing groin first on the other guy's knees spot. Yeah. Like, outside of getting racked on the ropes of the buckle, I can't think of anything that was ever in that era consistently sold as a low blow. You know, we joke about the Rick Rude atomic drops. Rick Rude did those sells whether they were regular or inverted atomic drops. Or PP dance selling. So, this is just weird. It was not a problem when Watts was last active. It's not a problem at the time. Where did this come from? Yeah. yeah. What is the impetus for this? Yeah. I, I don't know. Very weird. All right, we'll move on to the next one here. Um, the Due to the building one hour four start times with fines with being the same as the low blow. I mean, the fine structure is weird, but in terms of an hour before bell time being a fair call time, it absolutely is. Now, yes, I got the problem with that. Yeah. Like, is it different in a pre, like, MapQuest and, you know, map apps on your phone era? Yes. But still, an hour before the show is still fair, reasonable. Even in a 1992 context. Now, the fines... uh, I mean, it's... I mean, especially when we're talking 1992 money. Let's see. And a breach contract as well. If you do it three times, yeah. So let's see. So we're going with June 1992. So it's 1,000 for the first offense, right? Yeah, 2500 and then uh, five grand plus breach of contract. Okay, so first offense in today's money would be, hold on, mind did that go away? $2,163 and change. So then 25 for the second offense would be $5,409 and change. And then $5,000. <sighs> Over $10,800 in today's money. <laughs> also, you're getting fined and fired on that third one. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's how that kind of thing normally works. <laughs> Double whammy. Yeah, you've been fired I mean, close to 20 grand, and you've been fined close to 20 grand in today's money, and you've been fired. That's, I mean, I guess I'm thinking, it's excessive. Uh, well, I- 
I guess the thinking is on the on these both these deals on that third. If you're so fucking stupid to do it three times, you deserve to get fired. <laughs> to a point, I just I you know. And in this case, I don't think if someone is being very habitually late in a way that's disruptive, there's nothing wrong with getting rid of them. But. I, I don't know. The way it's formalized and with so much money, I think, is a problem. Um, miss an event, in case, except in the case of most severe injuries, is considered a breach of contract. Only excusable exception, and this rule is act of God. I mean, breach of contract is maybe a bit much. So, act of God in this case means weather. Yes. Which, okay, so if you have a plane or a car issue that's not weather-related, is that a breach of contract? I don't think so. I, I think Act of God also goes into that. Okay. I mean, that's something you can't control if your car goes out on you going down the road. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't understand why this isn't just kind of roped in with the lateness thing. Yeah, you would think it would be. Yeah. You'd expect those to just kind of be mixed together. Yeah. All right. Next. Um, wrestlers who are injured can't perform or still spend the town. I don't understand the fans. They said we no longer fall to advertise talent. The session will be a crippling injury, which doesn't offer traveling. I, I would say as long as they're fair about it, I don't think is the worst thing in the world. And it's... It, if they had ha not had such a terrible history in recent years of false advertising, I would they, say they do have that. You don't need to go this far. But well, my thing is, my, my thing is, if you're going to do that, um, I mean, the talent needs to be paid. Yes. Well, they're WC it's WCW though. If these guys are already on guaranteed contracts, yeah. But what about their, you know. I don't know. What, I was gonna say, what about trans and stuff like that? You know, I mean, that's kind yeah. of screwed up for them. If I mean, for them to be doing all this stuff, but they're not able to work, they're not getting paid on the house. They're not getting you know money to be workers. I mean, they're just showing up, and there's money coming out of their pocket. But that only applies to the guys on the nightly deals, though. Yeah, but still. I mean, I, I'd I'd like to know more about this one, though. I don't. I don't think this is a rule that would be in effect if if these guys were under guaranteed deals. Probably not. This is Watts. This is Watts being pissed about these guaranteed contracts and figuring he'll a make the most of it by being like, "Well, okay, I don't have to pay you extra to justify bringing you there. So just we want you to show up as you would if you were not hurt." And this is also maybe Watts hoping that some of these guys would uh, book against it and he, and he can get some of their guaranteed money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's that too. All right, take it, talking to the PA during the show is to be discouraged. Lewd hand gestures are prohibited. Is there any cursing enough for the audience to hear? I mean, the hand gestures and cursing, I, I mean, I get that, but this is the era of what we're in. Talking to the PA, I mean, that, that's a house show thing. Yeah. Um I don't I don't remember that happening a lot. I mean that's a weird one. Yeah. That's a weird a weird one. Yeah, it wasn't I really that's a, a thing. I don't get. Yeah, it wasn't a regular occurrence really with either major promotion at this time. So 
Yeah, it just makes you wonder where is this coming from. Yeah, that's that's the part that's stumping me with some of these is that I don't understand why he thinks there's a need for some of them. Yeah. All right. Uh, fraternization in public is unacceptable. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, of all the rules, this is the most Bill Watts rule because that's what he did in Mid South. The babyface and heels are not to be seen together. I mean, that is a absolute fact. Listen to, I mean, uh, each interview with Mid-South Talent. Watch the uh, Tales from Territories of Mid-South Talent. I mean, that is a no-no. You cannot do that because that, that, that breaks kayfabe. And this is still 1992, so it's still a different time and place, pre-internet and everything going on. So we're still trying to keep that, that thing going, especially in the South. Right, yeah, and look, here's the thing. Even now, outside of, like, look, it, traveling indie opponents who might be coming somewhere together, whatever, I think even now it's not the worst practice just because you don't want to be slapping people in the face with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that happens so much. No, what happens... But, it, that, do you, now, I will tell you this. I, I mean, mean, if it's avoidable. I mean, if it's avoidable, I figure why not try to avoid each other a little bit. You know what I mean? But it's definitely it's definitely a cultural thing because this stuff still happens in the South, right? And in, in, in these Southern Indies, and I'm not talking about you know your action wrestling stuff. I'm talking about like your real Southern Indies. Yeah. Now, like when you get into the, the small small towns, you know stuff like Bo. And Bo runs in his neck of the woods and South Georgia and you get into Alabama and Tennessee and some of those Indies there. I mean, the fans still want to believe what, what they're seeing is real, even though they know it's not. But they don't want they don't want that illusion broke, you know? Well, it's also there's levels to it. Like, for example, I remember years ago, it was so I was at the show. I was not around when the other thing I'm about to talk about happened, but it was when Brent Albright and BJ Whitmer had their blow-off match in ROH. It was at... Yeah, I think they were still running the New Yorker Hotel at the time, which is, you know, right next to the Manhattan Center. And I remember hearing a story of a fan who went into, I think, the Burger King at Penn Station, so down the, sh you know, down the block, after the show, and saw... Albright and Whitmer eating together. And I remember the specific thing the fan said bothered some wrestlers because what he said to them was, hey, kayfabe. But I do think in a situation like that, it's like, yeah, just don't rub my face in it. Like, if you're, why do you have to be eating together at some place you know fans are likely to be at right after the show? Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's a, I mean, it's it's just, it's a tough situation because you know these people are friends and they like hanging out with each other. Yeah, but you got also you got to read the room too. I think as well. Yeah, I mean, there's and it's also the type of show and the type of atmosphere. You know, obviously it's different. It's something like SCI where all the fans and the wrestlers are hanging out together or whatever, but. Yeah, I I just feel like if it, you're going someplace where there's a high likelihood, if it's right after the show, you just had a blood feud, 
Like, just at least don't necessarily go out together someplace you know fans will be at. Yeah, the thing is, though, is that fan was a douchebag for doing that, though, too. Because he specifically said, hey, kayfabe? Yeah, I mean, that's a douchey <laughs> thing to do. You know, yeah. there's that as well. I mean, if I mean, if we're gonna rail on the rail on the guys and rail on that dude, like, come on, man. Sure. I mean, I understand, but come on. I mean, these two guys. I mean, our friend, our friends, they want to hang out, and yeah, I know they just had this blood feud situation, but but shit, you know. I mean, this is. It, this isn't 1992 anymore. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a different right. era. So, I mean, come on. All right. Um, no guests allowed in the dressing room, including fan members, media, etc. I get it. In the dressing room specifically? I, yeah, especially in 1992? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, I, there's, that, that shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Now, all right, so then you got this one, though. Each wrestler allowed only two complimentary tickets to each show for friends and family. Any number of tickets above that number must be purchased at face value by the wrestler. What the wrestler has a big family? <laughs> well, they have like eight brothers and sisters or shit, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's what? Are you treating? Are you treating your talent like they're doing some like Frank Goodman ticket seller bullshit? Like, and it's WCW. You should be wanting more people to show them the more you can get. However, you can get them there. It makes it look better. Like, whoa, look at this crowd. Let's let the people in the crowd know who the fucking family is. You know what I'm saying? Well, also, let's be realistic, especially with where the wrestlers are basing themselves out of and where the shows are and stuff. There's probably not really many guys who are bringing their families to a lot of shows anyway. They're probably mainly bringing them to pay-per-views, maybe, if they're traveling. Like... This it, this feels like just overthinking. Oh, we're not selling enough tickets. Well, I just wouldn't have done this if any Samoans working in the company at that time. I tell you that. <laughs> but yeah, it's just that's a silly one. But anyway, all right. So Dave has his thoughts. As far as my personal viewpoint regarding the new rules, here it goes. Eliminating use of the barricades and ring posts will have no significant effect, either positively or negatively. You can have super matches without ever using a ring post, smashing the head into the guardrail, etc. But eliminating those moves isn't going to have a significant effect on anything. As far as brawling outside the ring, overdoing is a negative. But I disagree with eliminating completely, but that's just my opinion. There are wrestlers, and Cactus Jack comes to mind, who really aren't anything special in the ring. But with creative use of that how the rig moves have put together many memorable and sexual matches. I've seen shows with match after match brawling in the crowd and it gets old, but having one brawl, wild brawl over the place in every few house shows on every shows becomes something different and wrestling needs different things to avoid sameness and predictability, which in the long run leads to indifference. And Dave's right. I mean, it's one thing where the whole match is outside the ring, but, you know, somebody like Cactus Jack at this time who made his hay, you know, with his stuff outside the ring, I mean, you're hurting him. You're hurting him more than you're helping him. And Pillman should be able to get a dive in. And yeah. Well, that's a whole story. We didn't even mention none of that stuff, which that one on this list is top rope and all that shit. No pretty blue mats. Yeah. That's not even, that's not even here yet. 
no low blows, good. Low blows are a turn off to casual fans, family audiences. That's where WCW needs help the most. Coming to the building on time, with all the travel involved, one has realized there are times when it may not be possible. However, any job you're supposed to get there on time, so it's hardly an unreasonable demand. And the no-shows have been a large part of the destruction of house show business for WCW. Somebody needs to get that problem under control and tighten up standards for no-showing is only three and a half years too late. Yeah? Uh -huh. I got a lot of opinions regarding the injury, showing up working hurt, etc. Pro wrestling is a tough profession. When you hear demands, aside from athletic ability, charisma, crowd appeal, and the rest of the ability to withstand punishments, you can't wrestle for any length of time and not have nagging injuries. The nature of the profession makes it impossible. When a wrestler gets older, the injuries nag a little more and take more time to heal. The basic instincts of any athlete is when they're injured to try and pretend they aren't and play anyway. Sometimes the psychological pain of being hurt is more damaging than the physical pain. A wrestler has to be able to work hurt. It's part of the job description. But a wrestler also has to be able to recognize when they shouldn't work. It's a fine balancing act. And the more macho one is as far as tolerance to pain or injuries to pain, inevitably the shorter the prime years of their career will be. Well, an occasional physical freeze like Ric Flair, and the exception here. My feeling is that if a wrestler is injured in a way where they kept four, but we're traveling, will aggravate the injury. It's a great policy to send them to the towns and have them appear to the fans, realizing the promotion isn't ripping them off. If they're baby faces, they should do autograph signs before the show or during intermission so the fans won't feel cheated about not seeing someone advertise. If they're healed, they should work the corner as a second for their replacement against the originally scheduled opponent. But at the same time, getting the athlete healthy has to be the prime concern. Many injuries are easily aggravated by travel or require extensive rest to rehabilitate. And going from town to town every night makes extensive rest an impossibility. Those guys don't need the travel. Then you get healthy. Bad backs are common because of the nature of taking bumps or driving long distance cars or taking long air flights is hell in the bad back that needs recuperation. It's a bad shoulder or elbow. Traveling generally won't aggravate the condition. While WCW doesn't need to improve its attendance, it's one of many things to rebuild the relationship with fans. Fans have to be taught and understood that if they want to sell a wrestling product, they have to accept that guys are never going to break down under distress. Real injuries happen to hard-hitting athletes. Some American wrestlers have suggested that one of the beauties of the Japanese tournament system is that even though the guys work so hard and so brutal, they can survive it with a tremendous attendance record because the guys know you just don't miss shots unless you can't walk. But when the tour is over, they get several weeks off before starting back out. Perhaps arranging house shows in a four weeks on, two weeks off fashion, which would be completely revolutionary in this country, would be a way to ensure as little as attendance problem as possible while still mandating a very physical style of match. Guys who are hurt and probably shouldn't work could at least get gutted out until the end of the run, knowing they have two weeks off to rest their bodies and recuperate. That is a very interesting thing that they just said. And it, it kind of makes you wonder why nobody thought about that, you know, doing a Japanese style house show loop system where you work a couple of weeks straight, you work every night or whatever, have a night off here and there, then you take a couple weeks off, then go right back in the end. Well, especially the way everyone's you know? taping TV. Yeah. I mean, WF's still taping, what, every three weeks at this time. Um, WCW is taping every other week, basically. So, yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer. It, it's crazy how nobody thought about that to try to do that. But I, I, you still have these people with the territory mentality. Where you know you work that town or that thing every week, you know. Yeah. 
And I know you, you know we're not doing that per se, but that's that mentality. You you just keep working. You work every week. There's no time off. Yes, and since we didn't talk about it, he's absolutely right too that if you're gonna do this whole you have to show up if you're hurt thing, like he's right that it could also worsen some injuries. But he's also right if you're gonna do it, have them sign autographs and stuff. Don't just have them or come the out heel. and wave. Yeah, or the heels. Or the heels be out yeah. there. And, yeah, doing shit. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a perfect way of uh, handling that problem. Yes, although so we should say too with the Japanese system. It's not just the touring schedule, it's cutting down on the singles matches, too. Well, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. You have more uh, multi-man matches, absolutely. As far as the gestures go, I'm in complete agreement, Dave said. Even though WCB doesn't attract as much of a family atmosphere as the WF does, and Dave's not sure hardcore wrestling ever attract a family crowd atmosphere, Boxing doesn't. Hardcore wrestling in Japan, while trying to make crowds on its own, doesn't attract the family atmosphere, but rather a huge hardcore crowd. New gestures and loud swearing does turn off families, and you don't need to do things that will turn off people or make them embarrassed to be a fan. Boy, I've known of some indies who uh, make that mistake. <laughs> they have family audiences, and <laughs> here comes the curse words. Yeah. I've seen that happen. Seen, there are seen awkward situations. <laughs> yeah, there are promotions sometimes, even up here, where I'm a little surprised when they're swearing on the mic. Yeah, fraternization rules are probably preferable in the building itself, and in certain public situations like personal appearances, well, there has to be some reasonableness involved. For example, if two wrestlers, say Rick Steve and Rick Rude, are involved in a bit of feud on television, they probably shouldn't be seen in public together, or even joking around the gym. But it was Rick Steve. And Richard Morton, even though one's a face, one's a heel. I'm not sure them playing pool together in a place where there are only a few fans around is really doing anything negative for business, or even if they can't find anyone else around and want to train together in a gym. Guests not allowed in the dressing room. Well, this has no effect whatsoever on rebuilding interest or anything else. It's not a reasonable rule, and it's similar how most sports franchises run their dressing rooms, which is very correct. Yes. That's for um, console. I know. I was going to say, as far as the fraternizing thing i mean two things one what do you think of his comment about the examples of steamboat and rude versus steamboat and morton well it's steamboat and rude are feuding and have an angle steamboat and morton are totally are totally different tiers of the system but do you agree with dave there's, that like if there's if these two people have not been involved on tv at all is it really that big a deal yeah uh, i mean it's not as egregious no Okay. I don't see the big. I don't see the big issue with that per se. Yes. I also love how Dave says Rick Steamboat so often instead of Ricky. That um, when Google Docs started doing the thing where it was scanning through everything in your drive to figure out spellings and make grammar suggestions and stuff, that if I typed in Ricky Steamboat in a Google Doc based on having all the observers and the notes and stuff in Google Drive. It would start being like, did you mean Rick Steamboat? <laughs> yeah. Or Rick Dragon. That's what we should have went well. <laughs> As I found that newspaper uh, article yes. that he was billed as Rick Dragon, the challenger to uh, Randy Savage. <laughs> Guess I'm allowed in the dressing or, or, you know, at one time he was, uh, in his early days, he was Dick Blood. At least uh, Vince didn't see that uh, name and uh, make that his new name. <laughs> Dick Blood is a heel name, brother. But, 
But the best one, though, when it regards that is uh, the, the old Shreveport newspapers calling Dick Murdoch and Dick Murder. Um, guests not allowed in the dressing room. Well, this has no effect whatsoever on rebuilding the interesting thing. I'm just read that. Yeah. All right, WCW isn't exactly playing the fat houses, nor are there any danger of that becoming prevalent in the near future. I can see cracking down on someone with an unreasonable number of comps. Making two-person rule seems strict on the surface. Whatever, but I'm sure if there are legit requests that can be made, there will be exceptions. And Dave's probably right. Yes. You know, if Sting came up and said, uh, I need 10 comps, they're not saying no. At least I certainly hope so, Dave said. Uh, not to always set WF or all New Japan as role models for perfectly run companies, because Lord knows they have their problems. But I'm sure the average house show of all those companies run, in the case of all Japan, New Japan, Japan, they're often it's not played at packed houses, but all three groups are very liberal about freebies, and they're successful running a consistently profitable house show business. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, Dave is very, you know, right on the money on, on most of this stuff, I think. I think so, yeah. So. All right, on Jim Ross's radio show on WSB Radio, the Blowtorch of the South, WSB, um, most of the callers and questions revolve around the hiring of Bill Watts. We're probably a few, if any listeners, realize the promotion Ross himself had just received. Ross, the best center stage tapings on this June the 1st and June 2nd, should be the first tapings Watts in charge of, and said people won't be waiting hours to see wrestling matches. It references to the tapings of the new Saturday Night TBS show that was Kip Fry's brainchild, which saw a few matches taped at each taping and long delays for fans attending live as all the segments were taped. That's the thing about those early WCW Saturday Night tapings was they would tape some matches center stage, and then they would show matches from other tapings, and then they would have the segments with the uh, the guest host. It made for a long period of time sometimes between matches, yeah. and that's not good. Yeah, not good at all. Those tapings were not popular with the uh, the fans. I can see why. The Saturday show almost have surely another major overhaul, which will become evident on television three more weeks. Ross Lacken Watts to Vince Lombardi, the late legendary pro football coach, and that his philosophy isn't that winning isn't is everything, but it's the only thing. He said a lot of the current wrestlers may be going through culture shock because of the heavy discipline that's going to be imposed, and he doesn't know how many of the current crew will survive. Ross reminds that there could be as great as 30 to 40% turnover in talent before things are said and done. Hmm. I mean, Jim Ross at this time, I'm sure, is very excited. Yes. The Cowboys coming back. He's got a promotion. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go like he thinks it's going to go, though. <laughs> do you think that Watts, I mean, what do you, why do you think Watts had such a downward spiral there as 92 went on from here? In what way? I mean, do you think that Watts became too overbearing yes as time went on and got more stricter so to speak and just wasn't i don't know i mean it, it seemed like it, you know it seemed like I mean, we all talk about this you know at the end of his run he was changing yeah and it was getting better so the beginning and the end was fine it's just that 
that middle run mm. that, that he was at his worst. You know? And there's all the rumors about, like, does he get a bonus if he takes this off, these losses off the books and all that? Which... I, my gut is that's not really true, but he wouldn't answer. I don't know. Alright, that's well, it's told Torch Weekly. In response to the concern for spreading AIDS, no wrestler will be asked by him or Dusty Rose to bleed or be bled on if the wrestler so chooses. He also indicated that the existence steroid policy we follow, but not examining closely enough to comment on in detail just yet. Yeah? Well, that's nice. Um... Of course, we would realize in due time that I don't think you can really give someone HIV by bleeding on them. But. Well, that's still no a thing at that time, even that time. Yes, no, People think that. Yes, but um, what was I going to say with that, though? Do you think that if Watts wasn't from the territory where Jack Briscoe broke in, do you think he'd have a different view of, of this not being as, if he wasn't relatively close with maybe the most famous non-bleeder of his era? I mean, this stuff had a lot of blood. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's my point. Yeah, like, this seems like a pleasant surprise. I wonder if the, if, like, Jack Briscoe is a factor there. I think it's more the or fact overthinking it. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's the fact that you know there's more chance. You know, the, the whole thought about AIDS yeah. and catching a disease yeah. is in there. You know, yes. and and who's to say that also? You know, TBS has been known to have that edict, that corporate edict about blood on television. So I don't know. All right, let's get off some Bill Watts stuff here. The Great American Bash on July 12th was moved. Man, another show moved. As had been rumored for some time, from the Philadelphia Civic Center to the Albany, Georgia Civic Center. As reported here earlier, there was a strong possibility that city workers in Philadelphia would be going on strike on July 1st, at which point it would be almost impossible to move a location for a main preview event. WCW waited about as long as it could for a contract settlement which didn't seem to be forthcoming. There didn't seem to be any change in the car, which is going to be headlined by Stan versus Vader for the WCW title, plus the final three rounds of the NWA World Tag Title Tournament. Okay, that explains a lot, then. They needed a short notice venue. Yeah. Well, boy, I, I, I wonder how different that show is if it was in Philly. Yeah. And Philly's like, man, well, you know, we got Halloween Havoc instead. <laughs> we came out on the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So that's three major shows in wrestling moods in our week. All right. Um, television ratio for WF and WCW and Cable, which hit an all-time low the weekend of May the 9th. And stayed that low for the weekend of May 16th. Had a slight increase over more of the weekend. WC main event had a huge increase from its almost record low the previous week in the 2.7 rating. Although that number is somewhat deceptive because it was led by an auto race, which had a 3.9 rating. <clears throat> and the show went to 3.1 and dropped into the last quarter hour to a 2.3. A drop delights can be considered a good sign, even though the ending number looks good. 
kind of like following up um, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> you know, you get dynamite ratings every Wednesday night. Will you stop? Use the high, the highest quarter hours that top that first quarter. You know, and, and it's not a slight against dynamite. It's a slight is saying that the, that the Big Bang Theory fans, which is not as high as it was. I gotta admit that. I mean, they watch that show on fucking syndication, cable, whatever. They watch that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Which I don't understand because that show is not funny. All right. Um, WCS 90 2.0 once again for the old new format with a strong six man on top. The new format, which will be history after the next week's show, turned out to be a big time loser in the ratings. So Saturday's show has shown a substantial drop from when the new format started just two months back. A lot more to be attributed to seasonal fluctuations. <sighs> that idea was such a flop. Such a flop. You know, all those, that, if for most of you ain't seen it, all those are on the WWE Network. You can watch them on there. Um, it just, the some of the guest hosts they had on there just like, huh? You know, it just was, it didn't make sense. And yeah, it was just, it was silly. Very silly. So that's something that Vince McMahon would have done. That'd be an idea that he would have put out there, not WCW. Well, it was Kip Fry with his film background. <laughs> well, yeah. Not everything Kip Fry did was gold, folks. That's for sure. Surprising power out at a 1.9 rating has been the lone bright spot for the group in recent weeks. Among all the other drop-offs of the cable show, Power Hour stayed the strongest. Primetime Wrestling WF jumped to a 2.5, which is below par, but an increase from previous week. However, All-American dropped to a 1.7. The combined rating for both of those shows is slightly higher, 4.2, and then previous two weeks, 3.9, in which cumulative rating on the new shows is the lowest in history. However, they're still down nearly a full point for this time of year ago, which is a huge drop-off. 20% of the audience over a one-year period. WF Body Stars did a point six that same weekend. Not a good sign for the World Wrestling Federation's television, that's for sure. But another thing, too, is that they didn't mention as a possible factor in all this. You are entering the, the summertime. Yeah. He did say seasonal fluctuation, but, I mean, you, once you start entering the summertime... I mean, on weekends, people are going out, and that's the thing. Getting back to AEW again, you know, starting up a Saturday show, it's, you know, uh, you know, Saturday evenings during the summer. That's that's interesting to, to do that because people go out, you know, and people, you know, it's it's just different than having a show on a weeknight. You know, when people are more inclined to possibly stay at home and because they have to work the next day or whatever. But Saturday nights a get out and go night, especially in the summertime when you've got more sunlight, you know, it gets darker later. Yeah. So, but, that, but hey, World Championship Wrestling drew great ratings for many years. So if you have a product, that's another thing that goes through 1992 as well. If you have a product that's good enough and hot enough for people to watch, they're going to watch it. Also, there's, no a big, what. there's also a big difference between 6 to 8 Eastern and 8 to 10. Yeah. But even then, though, 8 to 10 could be worse. That's what you I'm know, saying. Because, yeah, 8, eight to 10 may maybe worse 6 to 8. 
for for the you know depending on who the fans you're looking for. So, I mean, college football Saturday nights draw big ratings from you know in in that slot and you know the primetime slots and stuff, but and that's a different beast. But uh, but yeah, I mean, if you got a product good enough, people will find a way to watch it. But nowadays, so it really doesn't fucking matter because hell, we're living the age of DVRs and all that shit. So just record it and watch it when you get back, or watch it when you you know have a chance. Thursday Pro on May twenty seventh, Anderson, South Carolina, for eighteen hundred fans. The Freebirds working his heels went to a draw with Tom Zink and Marcus Bagwell. Dustin Rosby to tell him a man, pretty good match there this past Sunday main event. Then the angle with Ron Simmons of Super Invader, Hercules. And also Ricky Steamon, Captain Jack. Dustin Rose versus Greg Valentine and Rick Rube versus Nikita Koloff matches. And the Steiners beat Arn and Steve Austin in the top dart match. So there's that. Latest word on Big Van Vader's knee injury suffering Japan is that there's no chance to be missing the Bash review as it'll probably be scoped, which generally means one or two weeks off. He doesn't. He's there. Wins title. So, and doesn't take time off because he's working in Japan right after that too. Because I just watched uh, Bash was what was it June the twelfth? Wasn't that the day for the Bash? Was it was it June the twelfth? We mentioned just now. Let me scroll up. No, June twelfth. No, Bash Great American Bash is not till July. July twelfth. Excuse me. Well, he's working in Japan in June because I just watched that. Uh, Awesome match with him and Bigelow against the Steiners from Budokan. Fantastic match recently. So, yeah. On television this weekend, Jason Ventura continually stressed how the Steiners had never lost a match 1 2 3 in history, which come, must come as news to anyone who ordered the last two paper, at least two pay per view shows that come to mind where they lost to Doom, which was a few years back and must be forgotten, and the Sting and Muda, which just aired a few months ago, although probably nobody ordered it. They should cut Jesse some slack, Bex. He wasn't watching the product. No. <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't have said that, but he wasn't watching the product, obviously. Right. But anyway, it's it's wrestling. Highlights of this past weekend still so Rick Ruby, Dustin Rhodes in the finals of the Nintendo Top Ten Challenge. In three and three quarter star match on Worldwide. Wait a second. WCBC. Chris, you're telling me there was a tournament on Worldwide during sweeps in this era? I'm shocked. I know. It's very shocking. WCW Saturday Night had Gray Moon and Brad Armstrong in two straight fall matches. They went 28 minutes. Armstrong's a great worker. Muda's in the top five, six in the world. Was over like crazy to boot, even though he never was turned. But that match was too long for television, even though what the guys did was technically very good. And they did cut it down, didn't they? Yes, they cut it down. But it was, for television, it was pretty long. Yeah. Good. But pretty long. Yeah. I had no complaints myself because I love both men, but I could see where people were like, well, yeah, okay, let's move it along. Even though the Larry's Visco Dangerous Alliance breakup aired on Saturday night, the actual breakup on the mic was really good, but the match itself didn't sustain interest. It should, make, it should have, considering how much time he'd gone in the breakup and made it seem insignificant when it was never talked about again for the rest of the show. They'll still air segments teasing the breakup on syndication this coming weekend because, of course, WCW, everybody. Because the syndicated right, shows to the, are a week behind for some reason. And in their own universe. All right, so um, let's go to the clip from Saturday night, shall we? Let's see how this went down. 
said they want to handle their problems in, internally. They're going to get the opportunity right here. Let's go back up to Gary. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, weighing 244 pounds, Larry the Cruncher, the Big Show. I just want to let you know where I stand on all this. Ravishing Rick, Double A, beautiful Bobby, stunning Steve, Medusa, and I have sat in the boardroom for hours and hours and hours. We have tried to come to an amicable solution, especially after the war game. I've been your friend for 13 glorious years, Larry. But what it comes down to is this. There is dissension within the Dangerous Alliance. Everybody knows it, you know it, Steve knows it, I know it. And instead of just coming out here and firing you, I'm gonna give you a chance. I'm gonna give you a chance, Larry, because when it comes to the Dangerous Alliance, we clean our own laundry and we take out our own trash. And as of late, Larry, in the Dangerous Alliance, you've been the trash. Hey, hey, I'm talking to you. Don't you ever, when I'm talking to you, turn your back to me. You obey my orders like a common woman obeys her husband. Do you understand that, Larry? Do you understand what I'm telling you? You tonight will prove yourself because you're going to wrestle Sunny Steve. Remember, it's nothing personal. It is strictly business, Larry. But tonight, you prove yourself to me and the whole secret alliance. I'll prove it. But let me tell you what I think about the dangerous alliance, and it's not business, it's personal. Go to the end of the match. I should have on the timestamp, but let's go to the end and see how this ended up. Like Dave said, this ain't the network, so you can scrub through this. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right. Mission moves. Okay, so what Chris reacted to just then? <laughs> I'm, I, I just watched this recently on DV on my DVD, and I re- totally forgot about this spot. But go ahead. As I think we may have discussed before, the thing is, traditional pile drivers are safe. All the pile driver injuries you can think of are not on a regular pile driver, and they're generally not on a regular tombstone either. 
they're either dropping to your butt on it from a tombstone position or dropping to your knees from a regular pile driver position because the way the person taking it has their head positioned is too low for the opposite version. And Larry just gave Austin the opposite wrong version of the other wrong version that break, <laughs> basically breaks his neck five years later. He gives him the, the yes. Scorpio and Malenko on Taz pile driver. Yes. Oof. <laughs> so just to review, Zabisco <laughs> gives this to Austin here. I guess he's fine. Austin gives the K-Driller, the sit-out piledriver from the tombstone position, to Chono in August and breaks his neck. It is kayfabed to him that anything has happened. And then five years later, he has his neck broken with the same move. And because of the extraordinary coincidence in the five years apart, both in August, too, uh... There was the urban legend for years that he had the reason he told Owen not to do that K driller tombstone was because of the guilt he felt from injuring Chono. No. Yeah. Austin says he had no idea. He had no idea about Chono until years later. Yeah. I mean, you know, for as much well, as people nailed it. I don't say this to fault Zabisco, but as much as we talk about how you know, in the ring, bell to bell, the old school wrestlers always knew what they were doing and were the most utmost professionals. Sometimes they really would just try shit that was not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, that was different. <laughs> All right, let's, let's play the rest of the clip. Well, here's the thing. Little do these guys know what's about to happen to the Dangerous Alliance, too. So, uh, she just being angry with Larry. Stops existing. Yeah. Yeah, she just being angry with Larry and everything. And Diamond Stud's going to take a spot. And then they just fade away. Well, and Diamond Stud becomes Razor Ramon. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, so, there you go. And everybody go check out that mood of Red Armstrong match. It's a good match. Good stuff. Gary Juster has been elevated to head of all promoters and be responsible for hiring promoters. Return schedule and overseeing of the work of the promoters. Well, she had been there long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was basically, I mean, anytime you hear the word, you hear promoter in WCW, Gary Juster's name would come up on television. So. Yeah. All right, May 20th in Raleigh, drew 1,800 fans. This is Van Hammer beat JT Southern. Brian Poon beat Scott Flamingo. Steiner's over Bobby Eaton and Larry Zabisco. Dustin went to a draw with Greg Valentine. Barry Wynnum beat Captain Jack. Tommy and Man beat Tom Zink. Sting and Nikita over Arn and Austin the Cage. And Rudin beat Steamboat in the Cage. Two cage matches. 1,800 fans in Raleigh. <laughs> Let's continue. Norfolk at the Scope. 2,200 fans on the 29th. 
Z-Man over Katniss, Hammer over Southern, Wyndham and Dustin over Taylor and, and Valentine, Dylan over Flamingo, Steiners over Ian and Zabisco, and Paul Lee in a handicap match, Sting and Nikita over Arn and Austin the Cage, and Rune over Steamboat. Two out of three falls inside the cage. I like how when you said Paul E there, it sounded like you said Paul Lee. But two out of three falls inside the cage. 2,200 fans. Sure, why not? Then we go to Baltimore. 3,000. At the Civic Center. Had Z-Man over Joey Maggs. Van Hammer over JFT Southern. Dustin went to draw Valentine. Pillman over Flamingo to keep the lightweight title. Steiners over Eaton. Cactus Jack and Paul Lee. When Rick pinned Eaton. During the match, Paul tried to run away, but it was men the by Larry Smith. Go through him back to the Steiners. Windham over Taylor. Sting and Nikita over Arn and Austin in cage match. And Ruta receiving in the cage match. Said it before now, stars. But still enjoy 3,000 fans to Baltimore. Now, here's how that match ends. Rude and Steamboat cage match in when Steamboat has Rude hung upside down by his ankles in the cage and throws two tackles at him. And when he goes for a third, Medusa hooks Rude. Steamboat crashes into the cage and Rude recovers. It's Rude awakening for the pin. They do a spot every night where Steamboat suplexes Rude off the top of the cage and the bouts range from very good to incredible. Hmm. Suplex off the top of the cage. Well, that sounds delightful for Rick Rude's back. Yeah, I'm sure that's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> Yeesh. But yeah, I mean, Debbie Simi has, has this, you know, good television. They got this good roster. They're, you know, having these great matches. Can't draw. Nope. It's insane how how that how that happens. Yeah. There with a new blood policy, there's no blood needed in the cage matches. So that there's that too. Yeah. See, all you folks get on WWE for that shit. Here it is, thirty years ago, and another promotion. Yeah. In WCW, no less. Yeah. JT Sutton's probably history as he is in on feature booking sheets. Ditto Tommy Rich, although he may wear television. Well, maybe you shouldn't have brought in the actual guitar player as the heel to feud with a baby face who he correctly accuses of not being able to play guitar. <laughs> maybe. Why didn't so. they just turn Van Hammer heel? Uh, he would probably have been better at it. Hmm. You know I gotta do this, Pix. Ice cream! <laughs> Ice cream! Alright. Um, Bobby Eaton worked this weekend against Doctor's Orders and Rational Advice since they've had nobody who would fit in given the storyline take a spot on the uh, four and a half four and a half man tag match with the Steiners. <laughs> half man Stefali. Uh Steiners were easy with him since they really couldn't do much. <laughs> half, half a man. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> oh my goodness. And, uh, there seems to be almost no talk at all about Jake St. Roberts coming in. What about Bad Bob though? <laughs> just you wait and remember that was a Kid Fry theme not Bill Watts as we talked about Jake was talking Kid Fry what for he's talking Bill Watts and to close and to leave you with something scary several of the bash shows in July will be headlined by Sting defending the WCW title against the Super Invader sure why not Luckily, the matches I saw Sting defend the title in before he lost to the Vader was against Arn. So, I got the good ones. Yes. You did. 
Also, I like how he goes from super invader to just Vader. Yes. Well, I guess he's still big exactly. Vader at this point. He is still big Vader. All right, that's it for this week. On between the sheets, next week. Oh boy, we have a Patreon requested show by Alan Peisner. And he he did not have any pity for us, as he wanted us to go to ten years in the past. That's right. This is the latest show we've ever done. On between the sheets, we'll go to twenty thirteen. But there's a special reason why he wants us to go back. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's start in World Wrestling Entertainment, where it's going to be crazy talking about uh, these shows because, I mean, we got the Shield here, uh, Daniel Bryan getting pushed. Um, we got the the Authority. We got it's oh, so weird. turning babyface on Heyman. Wyatt Family vignettes airing. It is going to be a weird show to talk to do this stuff. Very weird. So there is that. And WWE is going to be uh, quite the section with all that television going on. SmackDown and Raw. Oh, Triple H and Curtis Axel. Remember that feud? So we'll have that too. Yeah. Um, similar, we have a, a Minis Cage of Death match to talk about and some title changes. We'll have that. Um, it's going to be a different show, folks, because there's so much stuff in here in the newsletters that we're not going to do all our normal like results and shit. It's going to be a very different type of joint cheese. We got stuff from Dragon's Gate. They got interesting shows running during our week. Noah has some interesting shows as they're working with New Japan. Plus, we have uh, a Lucha legend coming to Japan with his son. We'll talk about that. Best of the Super Juniors in uh, New Japan. We don't have the finals on our way, but we have uh, some interesting shows, including a uh, final round Robin show at Cork and Hall. A very interesting time in New Japan history, so we'll talk about that. All Japan, Keiji Mudo's about to be shown the door. We'll talk about that. Total nonstop action. Uh -oh. We have a pay-per-view, Slammiversary, to talk about. And the debut of Quentin Rampage Jackson. Yes, folks, that should be quite the deal there. So, uh, yeah, and TNA at this time is, is uh, you know, Bully Ray and Brooke Hogan era TNA picks as they're together. And Aces and Eights and all this, all that good stuff. For some reason, the, oh, the main memory I have of that whole storyline is... Forget if it's during the wedding or when he's proposing to Brooke, but Bully Ray is just like full on New York accent, just like I fucking love you. <laughs> yeah, he really lays it on thick in this era for some reason. He's 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 really in there. But yeah, it should be quite the TNA section. We have Tommy Dreamer having a bad night in Mississippi. An anonymous update on Scotty Tuhani. We have Ring of Honor. Uh, news. We have a CCW star having uh, health issues. But the story, the reason why uh, Alan Pizer wants to do this week, Chicago. What the hell happened? <laughs> and we one night in Philadelphia. So, <laughs> yes, that is a very, uh, very interesting topic at the time. And uh, well, it's we'll, the for we'll those talk who about all know, that. It's the, shut it's the shutdown angle. The start of that. The shutdown. Yes, a shutdown angle. So if we're going to have that, we had to have somebody on to talk about it that is knowledgeable on the subject. 
So joining us next week uh, for that section in the indie section in particular, and not the whole show, the return of Leonard F. Chakarson. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. I was gonna, I was going to see if you were going to call him Joe Smo's show. And then I was like, actually, I was going to, I was thinking of joking in response. Wait, shouldn't we have brought in Leonard F. Chakarson? But... All the same. So. Oh, God, I yes. just realized it's a between the sheets that takes place like two years and two months or no, less than two months, like two years and a month before the launch of between the sheets. Yeah, I know. I know. We're getting it. We're about there, Bix. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah. But that should yeah, be quite yeah, a yeah, next week. Assuming we're still doing this in two years, which I think we will be. I, I hope kind so. of feel like we have to do the week that we did the first show when it gets there. Yeah, I'm sure we'll probably figure that out. But anyway, there you go. Next week on Between the Sheets, 2013. Should be quite the experience. And if, yeah, and this, you know, we I was out of MMA at the time, but good God Almighty, the MMA cover. We'll talk about this on the show. The MMA coverage in the newsletters was insane. Well, that's why so, we have our well, rule that after basically post Ultimate Fighter season one, we don't cover MMA. Yeah, I was out of it anyway uh, by this time, so I wouldn't have had nothing really to add. But there I you was go. getting back in right. a lot at this time. <laughs> well, I know you was, yeah. but. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for us this week. Big thank you as always for rocking the show. It's Chris. And so long from the Peach State of Georgia. <laughs>